Hello and welcome to season six of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. And I'm the producer of the show, AJ Flary. Hi. We did it. I can't believe it's season six. I know. So many seasons. Yeah, we are uh, recording this, I guess, I was going to say in the middle of our break, but is it really a break if we're recording the longest episode we've recorded in a long time? break is over. The break starts once we're done with this. I think that's true, and then we'll have July off. Yeah. Yeah. But it hasn't felt, it's, it has not been work to prepare for the Dreamcast episode. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's been really I, fun. So we, we try, the constant challenge of doing this show <laughs> is not saying too much before we record. Yeah, we've you been hanging not, out a lot recently. Yeah, we've been <laughs> hanging out a lot. We've been playing the Dreamcast together. And yeah. I have to keep being like, isn't it cool the way some games are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i'm just like it like this has actually been and we'll we'll explain a little bit later how we've fully prepared for this episode this has been one of the shorter but denser like like for context when we did the ds episode we prepped for that for like a year yeah like we started like in january and that that console library is huge yeah which is partially why we did hundreds it's of games hundreds of games and also a lot of long rpgs yeah <laughs> Uh, the Dreamcast is noticeably shorter. It was only around for three years, which we'll also talk about the history of that yeah. console. And a lot of the games are arcade games, which right. like as much as I love Daytona, you don't have to play eight hours of Daytona for it to begin. Yeah, there are so <laughs> many games that you can get the idea of by just like sitting down and playing one session of it, quote sure. unquote, you know, like literally putting in two quarters and then playing until you die. And it's like, I get what this game is. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I've just like for the last four months I've just been like living and breathing the Dreamcast. Yeah. And you I, haven't even played Final Fantasy 16 yet. I haven't. I, I've put off the new Zelda and Final Fantasy wow. to dream with the two of you today. <laughs> wow. uh, and I, I just can't wait. So I guess before we get too into the Dreamcast, uh, this this has a decent probability of being many people's first episode. So we thought we'd yeah. reintroduce ourselves, the show how the show usually is, what this episode is going to be. And then we'll get into like how we plan for it, our experience with the Dreamcast, and then also like just overall how the experience has been. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Sure. Hi, I'm Steven. Hello. Uh, <laughs> Into the Aether is a low-key video game podcast. Essentially, uh, Brendan and I meet up every week and talk about games we're enjoying. And we make an effort to highlight things that we actually like uh which sounds obvious but i think that was something early on we learned kind of set us apart you know i think some shows that might have an obligation to cover new things uh will inevitably cover things that they don't enjoy uh and you know we also can be critical on the show and we also sometimes will bring a game to the show that we feel very divided on but we usually only bring it up if a we enjoy it and recommend it on some level or yeah. be like there's a conversation here i think yeah. i think one of the more critical episodes was overwatch 2 where like yes you know there's so much to talk about there but it's like well i have a history with that game right. and i think this will be like an interesting conversation right. um so that's kind of just the goal of the show so we do that every week we kind of allow each weekly episode to be whatever it's going to be. Sometimes we kind of experiment with the formula a little bit. Um, sometimes the game almost informs the vibe of the episode, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> and then we also do bonus episodes that are usually about one game or idea. And that will be like a deeper dive. So, you know, during the week we might be like, hey, we just started Final Fantasy 16. Uh, and then a bonus episode will be like, we have played all of Chrono Trigger. Right. <laughs> so in some ways, this episode is like a fully evolved bonus where 
for the last few years for the season premieres, we've done episodes on specific consoles and basically have played as much of that console library as possible and then bring to that episode our favorites of the console. Yeah, we started with the Game Boy Advance, which we did in secret over the course of an entire year, which similar to the DS is a library that has an unbelievable amount of games. And I think specifically about the Game Boy Advance and the DS, not... To, to dunk on the Dreamcast already. No. Um, uh, history has done that already. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> it's just like the amount of, you know, heavyweight all-timers on both of those consoles was huge, and we wanted to put a lot of time into them. You know, games like Mother 3 that you and I wanted to, like, see all the yeah. way through, playing a lot of RPGs like that. It took a really long time, but we we really loved that experience. I think, like, you know, for you and I, having a, a pretty uh, decent history with the Game Boy Advance and the DS, and we also did a 3DS episode for our patrons, I think that experience has been, like, really fun and rewarding every time we've sat down to do it and this year's is uh, a kind of big shift for us because neither of us really have that big of a history with the dreamcast um which is exhilarating it's really fun i think you know we come at this show with from the perspective of people who i think just like love the medium love watching it grow but also a, an important part of that you know if if you want to take like game criticism seriously i think you know you and alana uh, our friend alana just recently did a patron episode about like making games and like getting into game design and that's one aspect and another aspect is going back into the history of games and seeing how they've evolved over the years and having an entire piece of games history that you just like don't know anything about is a really cool thing to just like unearth and experience Absolutely. especially in a really intense way like we have over the past couple months yeah um and uh I-, I think like you and i buying the original hardware like we both bought dreamcast that are like heavily modded to be clear so they like work on our hd tvs we didn't have to buy a crt thankfully yeah uh, i don't have the space for although one although i kind of want to one day just for that sick button input delay you know mm. yeah there's something to be said about a <laughs> about a crt yeah if we if we do another console that maybe needs to get plugged into a crt i could consider it. anyway um but it was convenient to not have to get one yes exactly yeah. um but like endeavoring to play a lot of these games on the original hardware like we did with the ds and the game boy advance and the 3ds i think was a big part of it for us yeah especially with like how weird the controller is and I the vmus that. and everything like yeah there was just so much inherent to the actual hardware of the thing that informed the games that we were playing even just the other night we had a bunch of people over here we're recording in my apartment in brooklyn uh we had a bunch of people over uh for a party where we just like sat down plugged four controllers in and played a bunch of stuff multiplayer and that was like so fun and honestly changed a lot of my opinions about some games here and there yeah uh, which absolutely. which i think is very cool but a thing that you brought up like right after everybody had left uh was just like it was really interesting seeing what games on the dreamcast are still captivating people yeah mm-hmm. because i think what's fascinating about this library is like a lot of people uh I, I think just don't know the history they don't even know what was available on here they just like know that the dreamcast existed at some point right yeah but don't know anything about it. And a lot of these games have taken on new life elsewhere, you know, getting ported forward or having sequels on other consoles. But like just what the Dreamcast was capable of at the time, why it failed and and what games on there were like standouts um, for the very small group of people that played it was uh, a really interesting thing to just kind of dig up. Yeah, I mean, I think the irony that surrounds the Dreamcast is that like most people, if you ask like, did you play the Dreamcast? They're like, no, but I hear it's great. Me, or like, yes. There's a rep. Me, the, yeah. A, yeah. My, my <laughs> brother's me too. My brother's friend down the street had a Dreamcast. Hi, I'm AJ. I produced, <laughs> I produced the show. I edit it. Um, uh, no, my brother's friend down the street had a Dreamcast and I saw him play Sonic Adventure on it once. 
And then I never went over again because it was my brother's friend. This was my exact experience. Was my, <laughs> my mom brought me to somebody's house because she was running an errand. Mm. And she just like wanted to catch up with this person. Just like threw me in the basement with the other kid that lived there who I'd never met before. <laughs> and he was just down there playing the Dreamcast, which I didn't know existed. And yeah. he was playing Sonic Adventure. And I, I was a kid who grew up with the Sega Genesis. Yeah, you were the Sega kid. And yeah. I was yeah. still I playing also. Sonic the Hedgehog 1. Like I didn't yeah. even have sequels yet. No? Oh, man. And I was looking at Sonic in 3D. <laughs> Three dimensions. And then I had to leave within like five Five minutes and I was like no 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 take me back I've seen the future <laughs> I think I think anyone like I, we're all kind of around 1990 mm. birth dates uh, anyone yeah. kind of in our generation the Dreamcast genuinely felt like a fleeting vision yeah totally. you know like I think that's why everyone has this reverence for it but if you ask them to list more than two games, they can't. Yeah. You know, everyone yeah. goes like, Dreamcast, that's one of the best systems ever. Crazy Taxi. Yeah. Okay, see you later. <laughs> you know, like, they, they don't like, yeah. they, maybe Jet Set Radio, you yeah. know. And even myself, like I, um, my experience with the Dreamcast was really just intrigue. I mean, I, I used to read a lot of Nintendo Power and like, you know, when I was reading it in like the early 2000s as like a 10 year old, 11 year old, like a lot of I actually found an issue. I, I'm visiting home and I found an old issue in my room that serendipitously had an ad for Ikaruga in it. And it was oh, like, wow, the, the game on the Dreamcast coming to GameCube <laughs> um, and the combination of like, OK, this was like only around for three years. So it was a very small amount of time. Yeah. Not that many people had one. But it was like in the air. And again, like as we'll explore when we talk about the games, like this console was wildly ambitious. And that's the thing that I that's what's made this experience so rewarding is that even when I played a game that I would consider not good, most games are trying to do something that is 10 years too early. Yes. You know, like every game, nothing felt like a waste of time. Mm -hmm. uh, even games that I actively thought were bad. I yeah. was like, there's at least something here that is wildly ambitious. And I right. think the, the thing that makes this era special to me, if I had to boil it down to a simple thing and like you know I don't, I don't want this to like I don't want this episode to fuel the f embers of console wars like you know <laughs> I feel like it's the Dreamcast can, is the yeah, best console in 2023 there's this accidental Icarus like fable surrounding it the, the thing that makes it really interesting is like this is a brief window of game history where a giant company like Sega was willing to to give people tons of money to make their vision come true yes mm. I was gonna say yeah the, the ambition is not just like oh it has the best graphics yeah but like creative ambition yeah you know packaging a game in with a microphone or like right. requiring like a light gun at home so you could play a full version of an arcade game that you would like go down the street to play like in somebody's pizza shop but at your house <laughs> you know like that kind of stuff i think just to this day isn't happening that often you know yeah. I, I feel like the the resounding feeling a lot of people have right now is that indie games are really where the creativity's at and triple a is over time starting to take fewer and fewer chances creatively you know there are just like sure things that are happening you know mm -hmm. whenever a thing gets greenlit and it comes out it's like you kind of already know what a game is going to be before you play it sometimes mm -hmm. and on dreamcast that's just not the case like on dreamcast every single time you sit down to play a new game you could have a wildly different experience than the thing that you have in your head even games that i had a, a light idea of which is not very many to be clear on in this library but there are a couple games that i had like some context for sitting down sure. and then you get like one or two hours in and it's a completely different experience than you were expecting and yeah. i just think like to have a company like sega which was not really dominant at the time but mm -hmm. understood that because they weren't dominant they needed to take big swings and just giving like literal artists 
a shitload of money to realize those visions. Yeah. I mean, that, that happens so, so infrequently. Yeah. That, that, I think that's what makes this so special. Yeah. Because again, I think it's easy to forget that like the bulk of these games did represent the state of AAA. Now I feel yeah. like there's this mm. AAA is like the, a game comes out every six years and is like this giant leap in technology. Yes. You right. know? At the Whereas, time that we're recording, actually, we we have just learned uh, via a bunch of like lawsuits and court documents yeah. when the next generation of consoles is coming out. And it's going to be like 2028-ish, which means that games entering development literally today, the day we're recording, if, it, if a game started development right now, that would be a launch title for the next generation. And that's absurd, especially when you consider, as we'll get into, there are a lot of games that we're going to talk about in the three-year cycle of the Dreamcast that are the original and then the sequel that came out in those three yes. years. Hmm. You know, yeah. And like the jump between those two is huge yeah. a lot of the time absolutely and I, I think like you know talking about like it getting to experience game history by doing these episodes you can really see the influence dreamcast had i think specifically in the 360 ps3 era yeah like those feel like dreamcast fully realized and you can also i mean mm. it's pretty common to see people refer to the first xbox as like the unofficial dreamcast 2 yeah totally because there's a lot of connections there and also a lot of the xbox launch titles were sequels to dreamcast games yeah it's bittersweet in a sense but it's also like i have no allegiance to sega like i'm glad that like <laughs> you can visibly see the influence the system had kind of spread outward yeah and i think there's still such a reverence for it because like a lot of these games visually are still like a sought after art style like mm -hmm. that's at radio alone is a game that like people are still trying to make yeah. visually and, yes. and sonically, no pun intended. Uh, and I mean, there's Bingo. even a new game coming out uh, by some of the people who worked on it that's right. just like Jet Set Radio again, basically. Bomb Rush Cyberfunk? I think that's what it's called, yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, the big thing too, it's kind of, it, it, it dates itself at this point, but the whole online situation with the Dreamcast. Yeah is remarkable i launching I, with a with an ethernet port in the back in 1999 <laughs> yeah wild i looked up one of one of the games fantasy star online is the first console mmo yeah mm -hmm. um which we'll talk about later <laughs> uh but i just googled like does anyone still play it and there was a reddit thread from 2021 that was like yeah it's not as active these days but there's still people on it it's like <laughs> How did you just casually say that? Yeah. Think think about, and we talk about this a lot on the show, like think about how many live service games come and go yes. every year. And there's this 20-year-old game on, on a failed piece of hardware, to be <laughs> blunt, that people still play yes. and will like help you get to level four on. <laughs> you know, that is incredible. And yeah. I, I think that just shows like this system and this library has always felt like it came from space yeah <laughs> when it came out and still like i remember like again like i i saw ads for it i saw it in stores when right. i was a kid Same. my my friend had one in 2008 at that point it was already a relic and then my roommate <laughs> got one like in 2018 just for the thrill and we played soul caliber all the time mm. and like so it's always popped up in my life but i've never fully this has been like a desire of mine for forever yeah and I'm, I'm so happy to now know what I'm talking about when I say <laughs> this has Dreamcast vibes. Yeah, that's that's something everyone we talk about. We have a, a episode on our Patreon with Chris Plant where we go much further. Uh, thanks to Chris, we yeah. go much further into the history of like Sega at this time. Yeah. But he mentioned it's like people say Dreamcast vibes all the time. Yeah. And now I can actually give that vocabulary right i can give that meaning i even went as far and this is a little bit unhinged of me but uh i i 
constantly reference on this show and just in life understanding comics by scott mcleod yes one of the one of the famous parts of that comic which is like a lit theory about it's a comic about comics there's a part where there's something called the picture plane where essentially he has boiled down all art styles to this prism where on the bottom left it's reality the bottom right is language and the top is the abstract so like obviously there's much more nuance than just that but you can kind of map all art styles to that Mm -hmm. like bottom left would be very much rooted in reality fully bottom right is a smiley face where it's like this is not representative of reality but it is a symbol that we recognize as a human face Mm. and then the picture plane is like just shapes you know and i would say most like comic styles probably fall like right of center you know like they're they're rooted in reality but they're like stylized if you go a little bit up though out you would get something like cubism Mm -hmm. or or even uh further down i would say like mike mignola's artwork for hellboy Mm. very like geometric yeah so kind of as a bit i was like can i make a dreamcast version of this can i make a plane yeah that can represent every what is the what is a dreamcast vibe what is everyone saying when they say (laughs) that and if you'd like i can share with you my best attempt oh my god yeah please Okay, so start off simply, the bottom left of the Dreamcast plane yes. is the arcade. Uh-huh. So these are, totally. I think I think the spinal cord of the Dreamcast is the arcade. Mm-hmm. Uh, many consider it the swan song of, of the, the arcade era. Yes. I, I was actually catching up with my dad. I told him we were doing this episode, and we used to go to the Jersey Shore Boardwalk all the time right. in the early 2000s to play games. And he was like, I bet it's still there, but I bet the games are different. And I'm like, I bet it's still there, and I bet the games have not been washed since we went. And also... <laughs> are the same games because there aren't really new arcade games like there are new arcadey games but i don't know maybe maybe i'm wrong but i don't know if there are like new booths you know there's a halo game that people are going nuts oh, really? about yeah um that's not true <laughs> <laughs> you got maybe me. it is actually i don't know i also don't know i do think that the the initial pitch of the dreamcast being like hey you can take the arcade home yeah is yeah. still one of the best pitches of it yes uh and it has varying degrees i think we kind of talked about some games being like take home french fries where it's like yeah. the magic is gone <laughs> yeah. these are now cold potatoes yeah wow. um but i think i think there yeah there are a couple of games that i really want to get into where that works and doesn't yeah, yeah exactly there's some great examples of that overall i I think there's a little bit of the arcade in every game. Uh, yes. I, I think so. The bottom left to me would be the arcade. Mm-hmm. So that's like the the skeleton in the Dreamcast. The bottom right, and this is the guts. This is why it's fun to play the Dreamcast. Is what I call beautiful, ambitious disasters, <laughs> or bad as an acronym. <laughs> oh uh, my god! This doesn't. Wow. This doesn't mean that they are bad games. It just means that uh-huh. they went for it. Yeah. And maybe it's like all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so that's the bottom right. The top actual dreams. Like mm. literally this game is from another realm. Maybe it's a dream in the sense that like, oh, it's not a beautiful, ambitious disaster. They actually pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a dream like I had cough syrup like two hours ago <laughs> yeah. and fell asleep in the car. And sure. I, I dreamt of a fish with a man's face. Yes. Um, so that's the three corners. The arcade, beautiful, ambitious disasters and actual dreams. It's perfect, Steven. You like beautiful. it? Yeah, I think it's perfect. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm... Ev- I'm running through like all 100 games that I played and they all map pretty well to that. Yeah, I was I was going to come with like a whiteboard. I'm like, that's too much. I, I, I do think maybe I'll try to visually put this up somewhere. We should. This is an audio medium after all. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it, I hope that for you, dear listener, that that's some type of compass rose for this episode. Yeah. Because I do think as much as this console is worth playing, if you care about game history or if you just want to experience it for the thrill, uh, I do think you should go with that headspace in mind. I do think you need to kind of go back to 99 2000 2001 and be like this is an era where a 3d is exciting yes it's a new thing yes cutscenes are a new thing mm. the internet is a new thing yeah and that's kind of wonderful and, and beautiful yeah uh wow that was amazing <laughs> i'm brendan bigley i don't think <laughs> I, don't, I don't think i introduced myself <laughs> yeah um so i the thing about the Dreamcast, at least in the conversations that we've had about it over the past couple months, is my my read from you. We, again, we've been very coy with one another about yeah. this, but my read from you is that you had like a really like emotionally fruitful experience doing yeah, this. Absolutely. Would you say more so than the other consoles that we've done? Not to pit them against each other, obviously, but like in in this is now our fourth time doing yeah. an, an experience like this or like going through this. How, how do you feel like now that it's? quote unquote over i would say it has been the most transportive yeah the, i think the game boy advance was kind of a known it was like a sure bet yeah uh it was still amazing like there was a lot of stuff i hadn't played but i had such a it's it's the opposite in some ways like i had such a connection to it yeah and i think we've walked away from all of them with like a realization at least on a personal level about that period like yeah i think game boy advance is the moment where nintendo like fully dominated the handheld market yeah. like they always kind of have, even with the earlier Game Boys, but like Game Boy Advance was like, this is arguably on par with the GameCube. Yeah. Mm. This is not the like trade-off Donkey Kong County. You know, it's <laughs> it is it is you can play Super Nintendo on it. So that was totally. that was a really it, I in some ways that's like maybe just like cream of the crop quality. Uh-huh. DS I think was interesting too, because that also is an experimental console but like it did so well yeah, yeah. i would argue that that's nintendo's dreamcast in a lot of ways yeah mm. but like it did what it worked <laughs> yeah but it, <laughs> it fucking crushed yeah years. um originally it was called the nintendo dc but they felt like that was bad uh... <laughs> 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 all right i'll see you hey is this thing on <laughs> um <laughs> but i i do i do think that um I don't want to pit them against each other, like you said, but I, I do think I walked away from this, like l learning the most about a period I missed. And I really yeah. like a lot of these games really resonated with me in a way I wasn't expecting. Mm. Uh, like, I mean, I, I knew some like some were kind of short things, but like I just I mean, I, I have I love fighting games and this is like a golden era yeah. of fighting games. Right. I also love like uh, a lot of the music and a lot of the art style of this era, like for Capcom specifically, is like so good. Yes. So I just feel like I, I had a really personal connection. It feels like I found an album like that. I'm like, oh, like, this like, is the album I like the most. Yeah, it's like fun to find your new favorite album. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I think I think it kind of benefits from being like a short, like it's like a short but powerful era yeah if you wanted to play every game that came out like ports and all you could there's like 300 you could do it yeah yeah uh, the, yeah the total library is actually pretty small and and for this episode i played 101 games yeah as many games I as there are to 70 dalmatians um <laughs> but uh i i think in terms of the stuff that i 
missed in terms of like it, it should be noted i think we mostly played u.s releases with the yeah. exception of like a couple of games as you mentioned like some sequels came out on the xbox but they came out in europe and in japan uh on the dreamcast things yeah. like shenmue 2 for example came out on the xbox but released in in uh, on the dreamcast and in, in other uh, regions of the world but i think in terms of like north american releases of dreamcast games there are only like 20 or 30 that i didn't play um which is the most holistic i think either of us have been able to to uh to be about any of these experiences so far yeah um, and being able to play like I, I almost wish i had done it like in release order in some ways <laughs> so i could i could have just like watched the growth over yeah. time mm. um but even still like just witnessing almost the entire like oeuvre of the dreamcast uh in maybe two and a half months has really been a pretty transportive experience i th- i think i didn't have I'm, I'm realizing the more i talk to you about it over the past couple of days and even right now like i i don't think i had the like emotional center like explosion that you had about mm. it but i am walking away with an entire new appreciation for first of all just like game design and ambition and like the state of triple a games now which i think is cool like being yeah. able to experience this and map it onto what we're experiencing right now is you know uh i i think just like a uh priceless experience but outside of that you know i i wasn't even like a person with a brain when the dreamcast came out you know like even going back and doing the game boy advance and the ds and the 3ds those are all systems that i already had an affinity for and as a kid i could tell you why mario was fun you know Like it hasn't changed that much going back and and experiencing those console libraries, I think gave me a new appreciation, you know, as like an adult, uh, I I think I I learned a lot about why I liked those things as a kid and things like that. But like the Dreamcast coming in with absolutely nothing and not even I I didn't have a 3D console in my house until the PS2 had come out, which is like almost immediately after the Dreamcast. Yeah. Um, But that means that there's this whole era of of. I, I think you call it like prepubescent hmm. 3D, uh, like preteen 3D. Yeah. Um, that I I just had never really engaged with until now, with the exception of like a couple things here and there, like for the for the N64 and for the PlayStation One. But the Dreamcast was just leagues beyond that stuff, even at the time. Yeah. Um, and and that has been really fascinating to dig into. Uh, so I I think just to wrap that up, it's been a rewarding experience Hmm. and I can't wait to talk about some games in particular. Yeah. I, uh, so I guess we'll maybe explain sort of the format of this episode. So we're going to go through it by year. So we've divided this episode into four distinct eras. We got 99 AD, 2000, (laughs) 2001, and then a section called post dreamcast. Yeah. So these are games that are like you kind of said earlier, they came out on the dreamcast in Japan and Europe, but the Dreamcast was discontinued in 2001. So by the time they got to the US, they were ported to the GameCube or PS2 yeah. or Xbox. Yeah. Not including like the actual sequels that are like just on the Xbox. Right. Like Jet Set Radio Future and Dead or Alive 3 are examples of that. Yes. And it, it kind of feels like a big bang where it's like they just sort of spread to every other console. Yeah. You know, but see, so yeah, we're going to go through it year by year. Some years are longer than others. I'll say it. Um, <laughs> And uh, basically, we have, in all the games we played, Brendan and I each made our own list of, like, these are the games of note that we would, like, recommend that we really like. We have a collective list of 30 games that we're going to go through. 
these are the into the aether recommended games for the dreamcast <laughs> and brendan and i each also have our five personal favorites that we will reveal over the course of the episode and then once we're done we will settle on what are the five favorites for the show yeah um, yeah i think i think we used to do like a top 10 ranking system but i i think when you're talking about an entire console's library it just feels like weirdly moot to even try yeah, and like rank it things was, in that it way. It was fun to do for Game Boy Advance and DS, but yeah. I do kind of wish, especially with the DS because that library is so huge, I kind of wish we did this format. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad we're doing it for the Dreamcast too because like, there's so much weird shit I want to shout out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's it's also interesting, Like, so part of the research we did for this episode and for we do what we do for most console episodes is like we'll look up like, pretty much every game website has like, a yearly best of this console yeah. listicle. Yeah. Uh, so we'll look at that. We'll like scroll through Metacritic and see like what, what has above a 60, right? You know, uh, We'll look at like old forums uh, and also a big help and shout out to the discord. We'll ask people we'll yeah. be like, what are your favorites for this console? Yeah. Um, Backlogged.com hugely helpful for absolutely. this as well. Cause you could just like sort by all dreamcast games and then sort them by like average review. Yeah. And not to be like contrarian, but it is rewarding sometimes to do these episodes and look at a lot of like lists and be like, did you play this recently? <laughs> do, yeah, do, do you really think this? Sometimes yeah, yeah. the hit is the hit and you like everyone agreed and it's yeah. just we can all move on. And then sometimes it's like, can we stop propping this one up? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that was our joke about the 3DS was like, whoops, it's Zelda. It's yeah, like, right, right. Believe it or not, the Zelda game is one of the best Nintendo games. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess do we want to like start? Oh, my God. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it seems like seems like the time. Exciting. Wow. wow. So uh, we're going to take a break, and then we'll see you in 1999. 1999. And we're also going, just for context, we're going by U.S. release date yeah. uh, for these for these dates. So stay tuned for 99. Bye. Bye-bye. The year is 1999. I'm seven. I'm nine. I'm just a baby. I'm, uh, I'm developing my own critical taste, but I'm still a baby. <laughs> I'm six. Actually, no. At this point, I have a poster of Jar Jar. So oh. I may be a year away from being like, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold, I, can't, I don't have to say yes to every gift. <laughs> Not every gift needs to be displayed on my wall. Wow. Shit. And also, House of the Dead 2 <laughs> is released in arcades and on the Sega Dreamcast. That's right. Wow. The House, the of, House the of the Dead 2 is the first game. I can't think of a better game to kick off this episode. I with. totally agree. Yeah, yeah. It really does feel like maybe the best game to start um, with. This is, this is also one of the few games that I had like a strong connection to. I kind of mentioned that going to the Boardwalk Arcade was like mm-hmm. a tradition. Yeah. Uh, and this game, my dad and I, like this was this and Time Crisis 2. Yes, oh, that's the other one for me. Our yes. go-to games, and there was for House of the Dead Two. There was a booth in I think the Ocean City, New Jersey. Shout out to the Ocean City, New Jersey Boardwalk Arcade. There was a booth with like movie theater like drapery. Yeah, as yeah. we walked in, and the whole year we would save up quarters and be like, "This year we're going to beat it." Wow! And wow! It took us like we we went at least for five years, mm-hmm. like honestly between '99 and even in the early 2000s. So mm-hmm. like. Most of my middle school 
uh time we went and we and we eventually did i think it was like 40 dollars of quarters Wow. Straight to Sega. Yeah. It didn't help the Dreamcast, but it sure helped <laughs> us feel like we did something. And right. yeah, this game, I was a little bit worried because, you know, like we said, not every arcade game translates to a home experience. Yeah. And I was also worried because I didn't have the gun. Yeah, the light can, gun. Uh, the yeah. light gun. It's still so fun. We yeah. played it together yesterday. Yeah, we did co-op. Uh, it is just pure camp. It looks great, though. Like, the yes. environments, the zombies, everything about it is just so fun. And yeah. it's also, like, it's definitely designed to eat quarters. And how it works at home is you just have a, a limited number of credits, at least without cheats or whatever. Yeah. Um, <gasps> this is this is an era <laughs> of cheats. That? Cheats? Cheats. Hold on, I'm the producer, but I, even I have rules, okay? But uh, yeah, like it, it, it was so fun to revisit, and like there is enough time to shoot like projectiles and react that like like the Hydra boss is bullshit, but a lot of a lot of the game feels like oh there is like a little bit of skill here. Yeah, you know? I, I think okay, so just to take a step back, uh, House, sure. of, House of the Dead two, sorry, the House of the Dead the two, house. the House of the Dead. <laughs> Two. Yeah. Two. <laughs> I love when they did that. Yeah. yeah. Um, is it, yeah, if it was in that like little demon's voice. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. oh, wait. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> You're too late for G. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Anyway, G's bloodstains. It's it's if you've ever been to an arcade and played like a light gun on rails shooter, it is one of those. Um, and maybe it is like I think in the in the pantheon of those, I would say it's like that Time Crisis Two, as you mentioned. Maybe like the Jurassic Park game that, that I think everyone too. loved, which yeah. I was a big fan of, but. House of the Dead 2 is also a game that I played a lot, and uh, I was a little bit nervous about getting my hands on it on the Dreamcast, especially, as you mentioned, without the light gun. Neither of us bought one. We did buy some peripherals, but not not, not this, unfortunately. And it still works surprisingly well. So you're just using the analog stick to move the cursor around the screen where you would have been aiming with a light gun, and at any point you can press the L button, the L trigger on the, on the controller to just snap the cursor right back into the middle which is honestly very helpful at times for certain encounters and certain enemies but i think the thing that really works about this game in particular both at the arcade and at home but i think even better at home is repeated playthroughs you start to clock where stuff is like where all the secrets are where the enemies are coming from people how to save people which is a, a weirdly important element of this game where you're shooting zombies and it becomes you throw me out a fucking window if you want, but it becomes almost like roguelike in a way. <laughs> where you, where you, it's a Metroidvania. It's a Metroidvania. Yeah. Are yeah. all arcade games roguelikes? I mean, they, I in think some ways, all, uh, the most expensive they roguelikes share possible. kind of a score chase and like yeah, trial, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not trial and error, but like, yeah. you know, learning routes and stuff yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, I think the, I, yeah, maybe more like, maybe more speedruns. It's just an arcade game. This is just how arcade <laughs> games work. I, I love I going to I the Jersey store roguelike house. I can play all <laughs> the, my favorite roguelikes. roguelikes. Yo, where's the Spelunky arcade machine? Whoa. Why? Hey, Derek. <laughs> hey, hey, I know you mean it shares that learning process. Yes, I, yeah. I I really enjoyed the experience over time of continuing to run through it repeatedly, yeah. uh, and I'm sure you had that experience with your dad playing at the arcade and especially like saving up and playing it over and over and over again over years. That stuff, that information, starts to get squirreled away in your brain. I weirdly have that with Jurassic Park Three. They made a Jurassic Park Three. Uh, oh, is that the one you were in the Jeep? Yeah. Oh, um man. And got weirdly really good at that for some reason. I forget. 
I was on, I think a cru- my parents went on a cruise and they, you know, I was like a kid. So they took me with them. Um, <laughs> and, uh, they had an arcade machine that like didn't have quarters. Like they were all like infinite free play. Oh, nice. Um, and I just was like, I'm going to get really good at Jurassic Park three. And I, I remember that experience of like my brain turning on and being like, I'm going, I'm going to learn where every dinosaur comes from. <laughs> um, and I was dual wielding <laughs> weapons, uh, yes. cause there were no other kids on this cruise. It was like mostly for adults. Christ. Uh, but having that experience at home, specifically removed from the arcade knowing like i don't need to worry about spending money on you know quarters yeah. to continue uh making my way through this game but i can get better just by continuing to start from the beginning over and over again and you weirdly do end up having like an almost rocky horror or like troll 2 experience yes, like absolutely shouting out the weird line deliveries and like all the voice acting is so funny in this yeah, game it's like, I, I'm, so, I'm so sorry but like it's actively horrible but it's it it pushes so far past being just bad that it becomes like incredible like yeah. you, you can't wait to hear some goldman line is my favorite villain in yes. fiction. yeah yeah, yeah they're ever in between every level they'll just cut to goldman who is the villain and it'll literally just be him picking up the phone going hello and that's it yeah. and then it's like <laughs> you don't even really know he's the villain it's yeah. just like why'd you cut to this guy answering the phone yeah it's, he's just like the mini show in the in yeah the game. it's so yeah. yeah it's like you sw- you change the channel briefly like oh shit 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 <laughs> Um, it's so funny, but I, I love that about it. Like the, the fact it really does sound like they just hired people who were in the office. They were like yeah. making the game, like the developers. And there's a lot of charm to it. There's a lot of charm that. to yeah. it. Yeah. It's like, you, it's hard to deliver lines that poorly. I also think it's pretty <sighs> self-aware. Like I, I think yeah. it's, I, I mean, who knows when the demon shows up and speaks the way he does, yeah. like there has to be some element of, we know this is funny. Exactly. Yeah. Or like when you save someone, they'll be like, help me. I don't want to die. If you go left, you can find a health. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or like right in the beginning, <laughs> the bit we were losing our minds over was the, there's a bit in the beginning where they have like three people that you can save right at the top and it's so hard to save any of them yeah. to the point where you and I were like, can you even do it? But there's one girl of the three that you can like definitely save. And as soon as uh, that sequence is over, like at least one or two of those other people will have died and they just go, there's nothing we could have done. Bye. <laughs> Yeah. It's like yeah. There's nothing we could do. Yeah. Yeah. It rocks. I think you could have done something. You could have done something. That could yeah. fall down a well. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, this, this game is incredible. It's also worth noting there is also the typing of the dead. Yes. Which yeah. is kind of hard. We, we couldn't figure out a way to play it, unfortunately. Yeah. There's like a whole keyboard accessory plugin for the Dreamcast. And yeah. that's like pretty expensive and pretty hard. I was find. hovering over the blue transparent Hello Kitty Dreamcast <laughs> keyboard oh, yeah. wow. um, and ended up not doing it because at the end of the day the only game i would have it just for this. played is for typing of the dead um and it also seems like it i mean i can't emulate it on mac unfortunately and maybe on pc but i don't have one of those anymore so uh yeah just seemed like it wasn't gonna happen yeah that but, is one of my big like regret games yeah but i think i think they would have both made it i mean i think yeah. in spirit both of them are here like yeah, I agree. basically all it is it's the same oh game. right yeah we should explain it it's the same game but instead of guns uh was it harry and james yes the two main characters they have typing like it looks like keytars oh my keyboards yeah and rather than shoot zombies you're given like a mavis beacon teaches typing prompt yeah every zombie has a word on it you have to type the word out Uh, and it's so funny that's where it feels extremely self-aware yeah that's where it feels like they get the joke that's the thing if you don't make typing of the dead without knowing that your game is hilarious it's the bosses are funny too because then you get like paragraph like you have to type out like a story yeah it's (laughs) always like the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog odds with what's happening uh so typing the dead that's like our big regret but even still like the house of the dead 
2 is incredible. Yeah, I think I think speaking of arcade games that somehow work even better at home, I think yeah. that, is, that is one of them because as soon as you remove the need to spend money on it, it mm. just becomes kind of this like incredible game of memorization. Yeah, and then also like we have 30 games here that we're recommending that we feel passionately about, but like if you're getting this is like a crowd pleaser, but this is like a must. Yeah. Like if you have if you're getting a Dreamcast, have some friends over, play this game, you'll have a great It's time. not it's not one of your 5. It's not. It's not one of my five either. It's not one of my five. But it does feel like in spirit, maybe should have. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think if we were maybe top 10, if we were doing a 10, it yeah. would be on there. But again, it's on the list. Yeah. Uh, so that's House of the Dead 2. Yeah. You want you The House of the Dead 2. The, the, the House. <laughs> Jeez, Bloodstains? That's my favorite bit. They're like, they know what their friend's blood looks like. like that's so positive. It's yeah. just on the ground. And they're like, that's G's blood. What are you talking about? <laughs> How do you know your friends that well? G for I'm Smash. almost jealous. I wish he was in Smash. You know? <laughs> G for Smash. <laughs> Bush B to leave Bloodstains. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Snake is like, that's G's blood. <laughs> G's Bloodstains. Yeah. Yeah. If you go in the box over G's Bloodstains, it actually triggers a whole unique cutscene. <laughs> Kirby's like, what is this bloody box? <laughs> Snake, have you played The House of the Dead 2? No. Is that the one with G in it? <laughs> I love his blood. Okay, all right, all right. I love his blood. <laughs> Next up, this is another great arcade home experience. Hydro Thunder. Okay, can I? Yeah, uh, yeah. Here, here's here's my Leave bit. In. Right at the top. Uh, I think going into this experience, you were most excited about getting into all the fighting games because, yeah. as you mentioned already, incredible plethora of fighting games. It was like the era of fighting games. Yeah. It was like every. Not only were things like Street Fighter, Going Strong, SNK, Capcom versus SNK, like there's so many hits, but also companies like Capcom were trying to invent new ones. Companies were coming out of the woodwork with new fighting games. Very experimental entries, too. Yes. Yeah. I was excited about the racing side of that because simultaneously, mm. when you're telling me you can take the arcade experience home. The the thing that I think about when I think of arcades are like the wheel, the wheel, yeah. the yeah. bike you have to actually yeah, sit yes, on, dude. like all that. Stuff. I was like, I can't wait to experience that at home, man. Like almost none of those racing games are good. They lose a lot. They lose really? a lot. at the time. Yeah. Maybe, you know, like sure. maybe if you had the wheel also, like but we're in the era of za, you know, like we got, <laughs> we got Forza anytime. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, but even, you know, the, the problem I think with the racing game genre over time has always been the quest for realism, right? Sure. Like they all, yeah. they always want to uh, depict reality as, as cleanly as possible. They always want to feel as real as possible. Also like the, I, I think the, the quest for like, specifically like this tire on this terrain is going to feel different than this tire on this terrain and yeah. this car with this tire on this, you know, different weather conditions, stuff like that. And I feel like, unfortunately, because of the like 1999, 2000, 2001 of it all, a lot of those don't hold up as sure. well. The games that days. have been like art directed in a specific way have aged much better than the ones that are like, this is as going back to the picture plan. It's yes. Like, the ones that are really actually sincerely trying to replicate reality fall a little flatter. Yes. Mm, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah they, they would be, uh, uh, what, what was it? Beautifully ambitious disasters. <laughs> yeah. um, and maybe at the time disaster. they weren't. I mean, you go as as you mentioned, like we looked up a lot of like best of all time lists. We looked up like a lot of reviews from the day, like printed reviews from that era. And you see a lot of reviews for games that are like hyper real, you know, um, th that that just like ended up not feeling as great now as they maybe did then because they've been usurped. You know, that's just the nature of that genre, I think. But there are a couple games here and there that really stand out. I think like just one that I'll shout out is Test Drive Le Mans. I think is is uh, it's a great uh, series that I don't think exists anymore. I used to play the test drive games on the PC like way back in the day. Yeah. 
it was a it was a cool franchise, but that very much was one that like was the quest for realism. I would say that that game in particular is the best looking game on the Dreamcast. Like that of all of the companies that tried to push that graphics processing power as far as possible, the Test Drive team did it with that one game. Mm. But it doesn't like hold up or feel fun to play, unfortunately, um, especially in this era. Like if you were to go back and play those games, I don't know if you'd have a great time. Hydro Thunder on the other hand, is an extremely arcadey experience, but is a uh, like speedboat racing game. Yeah. Specifically. Oh. Um, really, really, really beautifully art directed, as yes. you mentioned. Has like all of what I would consider to be the hits of the Dreamcast art style. It has the beautiful, super vibrant blue skyboxes. Absolutely. But sometimes you'll get into levels that will be like, you know, kind of set towards sunset or like in cities, you know, kind of like Venetian in some ways. I just think that this game is gorgeous still. Like, I, I think that, that art direction really holds levels up. Levels are really captivating. The yeah. gameplay is really fun, specifically because they kind of, it's a speedboat racing game. They throw a lot of the idea of realism out the window and you're like going off ramps you're you're smashing into other boats you're going it also it's kind of f-zero it feels ways. yes yeah. it feels so much like f-zero yeah i just like this was the racing game that i kept putting on anytime i like had time to kill i find that every time we do these kinds of bonus episodes i always will gravitate towards a couple games in particular that will be like my go-to's sure. you know like i i don't know if i want to sit down and like jump into a new dreamcast game but i just kind of want to revisit one that i really like and hydro thunder was absolutely one of those mm. i just it's so easy to jump into also here's a weird thing about racing games on the dreamcast <laughs> almost all of them have some of the worst menu design i've ever seen <laughs> yeah so many of these games you get on and you're like how the fuck i just want to drive a car yeah. man i just like yeah put me behind the wheel and hydro thunder like you turn it on and it's like you want to race yes yeah done they also do a good job ramping up the like more over the top elements of it yes like, the levels kind of get more ridiculous as you go yeah the other thing too is like i i find that this era specifically, like I'm, I'm thinking about like Wave Race 64 and Diddy Kong Racing. Mm -hmm. The water, water is tough to deal with in an early yeah. 3D environment, and it feels so good in Hydro Thunder. Yeah, like weirdly enough, like the water racing game is the is is has aged the best. Yeah, you can you can feel the the pressure of yeah. the waves and the water, you know, kind of creeping in on you. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a little bit of like a forward momentum that you need to force yourself into to uh, propel yourself forward. Yeah, no, it's I, so cool. I, I think this is definitely my favorite racing game i had a great time with it yeah, and it has too. all the like hydro thunder like all the like arcade announcer stuff yeah. you want yeah uh, it's yeah it's like daytona adjacent yeah, yeah exactly yeah which is is crucial for the experience um I, yeah I, th I think if you're gonna go if you're gonna play a racing game on the dreamcast this is this is the one hydro thunder yeah if you're if you were to play a car racing like if you're really interested in car race, like i don't think we even do we have any on here we have one but it's trucks yeah i don't think that one counts also <laughs> we'll talk about why when we get to it yeah but i think like if you wanted to play a car racing game there's one that's called uh san francisco 2049 yeah that game rocks also similar similar deal it's like you know hyper real takes place in the future very f-zero but because it's set in san francisco you are racing these cars but as you're going down those like uh like famous hills your car will just sprout airplane wings oh my god and then you get to fly around nice. and uh it's fun it's really fun I, I i i would i would recommend it that's amazing yeah tokyo extreme racer also hit hit and miss for me yeah but this one feels it it, it stands out yeah for sure yeah hydro thunder is great it's very funny that we're looking at the golden gate bridge right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have like a very beautiful yeah we have my apple tv screensaver on 
and it's yeah. showing us the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, a uh, quick important question about, I guess, all these racing games. Do yeah. you get to enter the, your three-letter name? You sure do. Nice. Absolutely. Perfect. I'm always, ah, or SPH. If I, if I <laughs> like the game and I'm proud of my score, <laughs> you get my initials. Otherwise, you're getting AAA. And then yeah. even the game is like, we're not going to, we're going to redo that. Like, in some of the, like, a lot of the Capcom games, they'll just be cap if you yes. do AAA. Nice. Yeah. Um, I do BBB. Nice. Well, that's closer to your actual. Initials. It's almost my initials. Yeah, yeah they, they don't let me just enter two, so I have I have to put three B's. Yeah. I do ass. <laughs> Hell yeah, so, man! Or, or AJ exclamation point. Yeah, that's usually. very ninety nine of you. I feel like something is yeah. like, dude. You know, you can do if you get a high score. <laughs> but. All right, all right. Enough, enough fun in games. Okay, <laughs> we only have three games for ninety nine. And this next one, I think, is the platonic ideal of arcade at home. Launch title? Launch title in yep. North America. This was like the reason to get a Dreamcast for a lot of people. If you check lists, this is often number one. Yes. Mm. And I'm proud to say it is one of my five favorite games. Hell yeah. Uh, Soul Calibur. Yeah. So here's the thing. This game was was one of the few that I had a lot of experience with. The big one for me was two. Same. Which uh, that that was like that was a huge moment. Like I remember uh, that was. I mean, I was in eighth grade. So what's a huge moment in eighth grade? But still, like, <laughs> in I remember we had a, when we graduated middle school, we had to make like we painted this mural about like the year. Oh yeah. And someone painted like Killick and Sungmina and Link <laughs> and wow. like had like part of the year was Soul Calibur two. This was really like the only other fighting game that kind of like crossed the threshold like alongside smash like growing up mm. like that everyone played yeah I, and, and i think the big thing too was that it was ps2 gamecube and xbox and each one got a guest character right so gamecube got link xbox got spawn and you could tell what they thought the like team that got the xbox you know it's like you're the edgy kid right yeah and also the xbox was so new they just like didn't have any mascots yet exactly right? like they launched with halo but people i don't think really knew at least when soul Calibur 2 was probably in development i don't think they knew that halo was going to be the huge smash that it was exactly um and then ps2 got but it definitely would have been master chief right <laughs> right it, de it it definitely would have been maybe i don't know but anyway that's two we're talking about one the yeah. thing about soul Calibur one is that it is just as good as two i think like yeah. i think two has more to unlock and also has the ability to like choose weapons but there's something about the simplicity of one and this was the game at our party that we turned on and everyone sat down yes everyone <laughs> wanted to play everyone was cheering yelling screaming laughing it this was was on and off my shout list. Out, shout out to our friend Brendan Klinkenberg who uh, made us refer to him as Nightmare. Yeah, he said, "No, I am Nightmare." <laughs> yeah, like, like we kept, uh, someone was like, "Brendan, are you playing as Nightmare?" And he's like, "No, call me Nightmare." Yeah, no. <laughs> um, it was so fun. I, this was kind of on and off my list for forever because I'm like, you know, really, yeah. I, I just, I think I just wanted to like. It's so obviously one of the best games mm. that I was overthinking it to the point of like, well, <laughs> you know, do I? Is it overshadowed by two and three? Blah blah blah, and then playing it in that room, I just saw like the majesty of it. The, yeah, the environments are still so beautiful. In some ways, it looks like it has a very distinct look from two. Like two overall looks better. Yes, the characters look better, but like one still looks great and plays great. And really, what puts this game over the edge for other fighting games uh, is the single player. There's so much to unlock and right. so much to do, and the loop of like doing these almost like D&D &D narrated missions to unlock 
points that you can spend at the museum to get artwork of the characters that get you more levels <laughs> or new characters. Uh, I I played so much of it. I have almost everything unlocked, <laughs> and you know, I Soul Calibur is is it's kind of bittersweet because this is a series that has sort of lost its way. I think in the last few entries, six was definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, I don't know what the future of this series is, but I really I hope they make more. I hope they make more. But at the same time, one takes you right back to ninety nine in the best way possible. <laughs> yeah, like it really. <laughs> our friend Will was with us, and they caught me. They're like, Stephen, I I appreciate you reinforcing the fifth grade sleepover feeling of this. Being <laughs> someone was like, "Who's Maxie?" And I was like, "Oh, he's cool. He has nunchucks." And he's like, <laughs> "You just so sincerely said that." Yeah, <laughs> like I can I can feel the Cheeto dust just in the air. Yeah. Um. But this game is is incredible. It's it. I really do think like. <laughs> this era where 3d was new this had this could have aged very poorly just because 3d was such a novelty yeah but they really did consider like 3d space so deeply in the design of the weapons and like how to attack the fact that one button was horizontal and one was vertical even mm-hmm. uh it's incredible and and i think just the pitch of the game being like everyone has a different weapon is still like one of the best pitches of a fighting game yeah like i'm amazed it took until 99 for that to even happen right i i love soul Calibur. i think it's like it is soul bound to the dreamcast and it is one of my five favorites yeah it is unbelievable how good that game looks still I, yeah. th- I think speaking of games that have specific art direction that prevent them from aging like soul caliber one still looks astounding especially in the setup that we have on my like gigantic tv in, in my apartment like there were people coming in being like this is the dreamcast like this is what yeah. the dreamcast could do in 1990 like yeah man that's but also it is i think overshadowing a lot of other games that tried to do 3d on the dreamcast like yeah. it's amazing that this launch title for this console I think outperforms and outshines a lot of other, not just fighting games, but just like a lot of other games that tried to do 3D. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think there's something to be said about the fact that it's two characters and one state in like sure. an environment. You know, I'm, I'm sure that they could pack a lot more polygons in that space, a lot more triangles on one screen, but it still really holds up. Here's my, here. Okay. Here's my, my follow up to the racing game bit is the, I think not flip side really, but like the unfortunate side of going through the dreamcast library for me was I really, really, really wanted to like find that appreciation for fighting games Mm. that I've kind of been looking for for a long time. I just didn't. Um, and I could tell a fighting game was good when it clicked for me. Sure. Because I played a lot of them. A lot of the ones that like are at the top of people's lists, like games that are all time classics that people would like lay down their lives to defend. Like this is the best fighting game ever or like is at least in the Pantheon. And there are a lot of them that just like didn't work for me at all. Like I would sit down, play it for like an hour, just like couldn't do it. And especially hot on the heels of Street Fighter six coming out, which is a game that I am enjoying a lot going back and playing a lot of older fighting games and being like, cool, now I've been primed. Like now I now I understand. Is a interested little bit. in giving a lot of people that moment you're looking for. Yes. You know, there are some games on the Dreamcast, some fighting games in particular that I did have that feeling about. And I don't know if that just means I'm like really picky in particular or if maybe like fighting games just aren't going to be the genre for me. I just yeah. I really wanted to overcome that hurdle and I didn't. But there are some games that really, really, really stood out despite that. And Soul Calibur is one of them. I mean, like Soul Calibur 2 coming out, that was like the only fighting game I'd ever played when that came out. Yeah. And I loved it and unlocked everything. I bought a copy for myself. I unlocked everything in that game. And I kind of knew that I was going to have a similar feeling about Soul Calibur. It was really nice to like having played a bunch of other fighting games that didn't really work for me. Finally turn on Soul Calibur a little bit like into the into the process of going through this entire library and be like, oh, shit yeah man soul caliber still rocks mm. is it one of your five it's not oh no wow. 
Yeah. I, That's great. I, kept, I just assumed it was going to be one of yours. So I didn't put it on. Yeah. Mine. The minute, <laughs> the minute I like, once I finalized my, cause I, I had, I, I will say that there were nine games that I was constantly shuffling around. There were two that never moved. Yeah. Which I will say which ones they are. Yeah. Soul Calibur was like in early, like this has to be one of them. Yeah. And then I overthought it to death, tried <laughs> to be different, but sometimes a hit is just a hit. Yeah. The list that has Soul Calibur at number one, like that's a pretty safe bet to say this is the best game on dreamcast yeah i think in many ways it is yeah i, I think, think i would i would argue that also yeah. yeah totally do you have any experience with this series aj uh yeah, no <laughs> uh, it's uh funnily enough uh soul caliber 2 i was also super into on the gamecube yeah i'm jealous i, was I wanted to play as link so bad i was a big nightmare head oh hell <laughs> yeah. i love i could nightmare. never play as nightmare i always wanted to make nightmare my man yeah, I, I, I don't know if i was ever good at it but i sure did love the big sword with the eye on it mm-hmm. what i learned is that I'm very good at Soul Calibur. <laughs> now, to be fair, many people who are at this party were playing the Dreamcast for the first time. Right, right. And I am prepping for a, a multi-hour Dreamcast yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. but no one beat me once. <laughs> I sat down, we played Soul Calibur, and then everyone left. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was a big nightmare head. I, I was into Valdo for a bit. I, also, I think I was just I, into weirdo guys, I guess. I love Valdo. Uh, but no, so I have a, actually a, a pretty funny anecdote about Soul Calibur 2 on the GameCube specifically. No. Down in South Jersey, there's this like big flea market, South Jersey where I grew up. There's this big flea market uh, called Cowtown. And it's just like you go and it's just like this big warehouse with just like a whole bunch of people set up tables every weekend. And I went and I saw a copy of Soul Calibur and I was like, this is a relatively new game, I think. And it was $10. I said, sure, I'll buy this one. The second one. Second one. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll buy this for $10. Bought it for $10. Great. Uh, Go home to play it. Couldn't get it to start because I assumed that this is probably a spoofed disc. Like this is probably a bootleg copy of Soul Calibur 2. The only way I could get it to work is if I spun the disc then shut the GameCube and turned it on. Then it would boot up. So weird. I had to st- I had to pre-spin the disc I in order that. for it to turn on. I wish time. all games worked that it way. Was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I've learned? So I, I've, I've been like reading, you know, checking a lot of forums in, in preparation this episode. And it seems like 3 is the fan favorite. I never would have mm. guessed that. What? Because, yeah, 3 only came out on the PS2. I think it's because 3, had that was the first one where you can make your own character. Oh, right. And that game has like a weirdly in-depth story driven yes. half RTS half fighting game oh. like campaign for your character right yeah. I genuinely I think like I 6 kind of has that but I feel like if the series is to continue I think they really need to lean into the single player they yeah. so that's kind of like the secret ingredient for this series yeah I think Mortal Kombat is starting to realize that I yeah. think over the past like couple mm. entries in particular but being able to create your character and have that kind of campaign is really cool yeah, yeah. who's your main uh, would you if you had Lizard to pick Man. one Lizard Man in, the in first one game. what about two in two, I'm really good as Cassandra. Interesting. Yeah, I like the Sword and Shield characters. Did you Did you have one? Uh, oh yeah, you said it was Nightmare. Yeah, it's Nightmare. I also yeah. like Mitsurugi a lot. I love Mitsurugi. Yeah, yeah for me, awesome. it's Keelik in one and two, and then in two, my my alt was uh, Raphael. Oh, Raphael is great. Let us well then, dance. let us dance. Yeah. No good. Yeah. I, my favorite thing, and I'm glad they kind of brought it back in Street Fighter Six. In Soul Calibur 2, the characters face each other and you can push a button and they'll say something. Yeah, they'll like, <laughs> but they'll there's like this scream. awkward pause that has to load. So they'll be like, no good. Uh-oh. A souls gather. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's like, but in Street Fighter 6, you can make funny faces before the battle and uh, it's perfect. That's yeah. great. It's very good. I love that. But yeah, Soul Calibur triumphantly ends 99. A promising start to the ill-fated Dreamcast. Yeah, everyone's loving it. Everyone's buying them in yeah. droves. People think the Dreamcast is the next big thing. 
Little do they know, it's not. Y2, no, Y2K is coming. No, but it, it was, it, just to kind of end on a more positive note, it was incredible to like have people text me about Soul Calibur 1 unprompted the next day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, it, I'm so glad we had that communal event for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm very, very confident to put this in my top five. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, when we come back, the year 2000. The new millennium. Yes. Some of the games have that in the title, just to, pre- to prevent a jump scare. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. 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 We are back in the year 2000. Uh, so just for context, if 99 had three games, 2000 has 17. So this is this is the bulk of our journey with the Dreamcast. I'm, I cannot wait. It's a very active year Yeah, for our beloved console. Wow. Want to go right into it? Anything you want to reflect on in 99 before we move ahead? No. You want to talk about Soul Calibur a little bit more? No. <laughs> <laughs> I will add this about Soul Calibur. Uh, so we didn't really talk about this, but um, <laughs> the memory cards. Sorry for- to shut you down. <laughs> I'm used to it. No, I- no, but I want. I have a distinct memory of my friend Alan telling me I don't want to talk about this anymore. In third grade, with- I was holding a Tekken Three strategy guy. Oh my god! And I like was about to open my mouth, and he was like, "Stop! I don't want to hear about this anymore." Wow. And here I am. I'm sorry to hear that, but also you were born to make a podcast. <laughs> Clearly, yeah, I've been doing this for a while. Let's be real. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the VMUs. Uh, oh yeah, we should have the VMU. What is it called? What does it stand for? The virtual for? memory unit. Virtual memory oh, unit. So cool. The VMUs are one of the coolest things about the Dreamcast hardware. They are essentially memory cards, but they're like little Tamagotchi esque devices that you put into the controller and they have screens on them uh, and depending on what game you're playing there will be something on the screen so sometimes it's just like the name of the game other games are really creative shout out to virtua tennis one the match of tennis you are playing is replicated one-to-one in 8-bit on the vmu yeah you could get away with just looking right at the vmu while you play tennis it It is that is by far i think the coolest version of it did you notice that in uh in the res menus, the res logo will flash in time with the song that you're hovering over so in, in cool. the like song and level select. Yeah. It's really cool. Another wow. great one, of course, is uh, in Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, you can take your chow yes. with you as like a little yeah. virtual pet. And Soul Calibur, every, who you're playing as, there'll be a little 8-bit version of them on the VMU. And when you attack, they'll do like a little animation. Give an award to anyone who like chibiified Valdo. Like they really... <laughs> They, they pulled it. it off. Yeah. They pulled it off. I think that's kind of one of my biggest... I, I think one of the things about the VMU that always bums me out is just how how little memory is available yeah, on the thing. Yeah, some games need like a lot. Like Shenmue needs like a whole VMU. Pretty much. I yeah. bought a second VMU just for Shenmue. Yeah. Um, hmm. But also any any games that had a little tiny like you can take it with you game, 
that also took up like most yeah, of the, the memory card. The shower garden is also very, which is a bummer. Yeah. I just, I just wish that they were a little bit bigger. I know that there's a project out there that I think is just called the VMU two. That's like a group of people who are making an updated VMU that has like a better screen on it. That's backlit. That also has the ability to like put in a micro SD card, so you can just wow. like upgrade it. You know, uh, upgrade the memory like pretty dramatically. And I have a feeling that might be like the first ever way to actually experience everything the Dreamcast has to offer at yeah. once. Because I think, speaking of, uh, what, what was it? Beautiful. Oh my God, I forgot oh, it. Oh, Beautiful Ambitious Disasters. Beautiful Ambitious Disasters. I think the VMU like is one of those. Yeah, VMU is bad. Yeah. <laughs> where yeah. like there are some incredible things on there, but the fact that the memory is so small means you can't really engage with it. Yeah. Um, I also yeah. love like in the uh dreamcast like menu the system menu which i also love it's awesome soft 3d yeah uh in the file menu every game they did this on ps2 and gamecube as well yeah but every game file has like a little animated gif for it yeah i think the minute you turn 30 a devil hands you a card that says they don't make them like they used to (laughs) and i want to avoid this whole episode coming off that way Mm. but i do think that like specifically like system landing pages and like yeah. having fun with just menus god yeah like the switch the p and the ps5 are so boring and the xbox the xbox at least lets you customize it yourself but it has like burger king ads on it <laughs> but that's what i mean that's how low the bar is i know man. it's you know? such a bummer everyone loves that like there are it, it, there's such a place for that to come back yeah i, think. I just remembered uh the other day, I, was, I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. I'm always thinking about system startup sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about how the PS3, first of all, that the the XMB, the cross menu bar, became like a default for a lot of things that even weren't the PS3. But when you turn it on, it played the most beautiful like symphony yeah. startup sound. Ugh. What a cool idea. Yeah. I miss that shit. I do like the PS5 startup sound, but the landing page is like Mr. Beast video. Yeah. It's like, I, I have never watched one. Why are you yeah. showing me this? Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of Mr. Something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I just oh. felt three new listeners turn this off. I'm so sorry. We're usually better. Uh, Mr. Something. Mr. Something. Mr. Driller. Yes. We so I know I have my new Dreamcast Prism, which I'm now starting to equate all games to. <laughs> but we also once accidentally said something profound where every game is on a Katamari to Tetris spectrum. Yeah. And I feel like Mr. Driller is like right in the middle. If anything, it's challenging that entirely. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah exactly. it's, it's like somehow somebody heard that episode in the year 2000. Yeah. And was like, yeah, fuck these guys. <laughs> Someone was like. What if Dig Dug had realistic oxygen meters? Uh, <laughs> Jesus And that's Mr. Christ. Driller. It yes. is a puzzle game. It's essentially like a match three that you as Mr. Driller have to navigate down. Wow. So as you match three and break bricks, or not even match three, but like as you like, you drill into blocks that share the same color, it will temporarily create a space for you to go down, but then the blocks above it will shake and then fall down, potentially crushing mr driller yes all while you have oxygen that slowly goes down yeah now it is a overwhelmingly cute game with incredible music Yeah, the music rips uh it's a namco arcade game there's also a lot of them i I haven't played the other ones but the first one's excellent on dreamcast it's really hard and it's weirdly like violent like when you die it feels like it's horrible yeah it's pretty horrible yeah it's not like trying to catch you off guard with it just like kind of brutal in a funny way because it's i mean you're drilling down like hundreds if not thousands 
thousands of meters. Yeah. So when you get like a thousand meters down and then you get crushed to death by a thousand meters of blocks. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. But this game does a great job really building around a risk reward mechanic. Yeah. Like I think there's sometimes there are things that are harder to drill, but you're going to get like an item behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, really, like it, it's it's a it's a pretty steep learning curve but like figuring out timing like when you can afford to like drill a bunch and then just book it or like when yeah. you need to get oxygen it's really strategic for such a simple game and yeah. i think it's i love games that have a very very basic and simple mechanic that have so many systems around that one thing yeah there are a couple of games on the list uh that i played once and was like i'm gonna get good at this and mr driller was one that i like really actually did oh that's amazing where i was like i i'm gonna play enough of this that i'll get good at it i will say okay so we talked about playing this stuff on the original hardware i know there's some stuff we both played on steam deck as yeah. well and then i also have the retroid pocket 3 plus um which is able to play a lot of dreamcast games in both widescreen and also like upscaled pretty dramatically which is cool um it's just like a nice way to have a pocketable version of the dreamcast and mr driller is an incredible game to have in handheld uh being able to like knock out a round or two you know like sitting out on the deck or like you know out at a park or something i ended up doing like weirdly more than i thought and i have found that the secret to success at Mr. Driller, no brain, only drill, <laughs> no thinking. As soon as you start thinking, you get crushed to death. Wow. If you just turn your brain off, which I know is hard, but if you just turn your brain off, like me, an idiot, it's very easy. <laughs> I just have a switch. And you just go as quickly as humanly possible, you'll probably succeed. Wow. That's amazing. I, th- I think it's it's a game that you need to like feel. It's like, it's like mm. Tenet. <laughs> Where they catch you, though, is the oxygen. So you could be like, oh, I'm doing great. And yes. then it's like, I have nothing left to breathe. That's really the only yeah. thing I'm cognizant of as I'm as I'm drilling as quickly as I possibly can, is I'm yeah. just drilling to the next oxygen pill. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mr. Driller, like, rocks. This game is so, so good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I had fun. a great time with it. I, I just love the, the presentation and the music. And that's the thing, too. Like, I think because... A lot of these games started as arcade games. When you're in the arcade, you have to grab people's attention. Yeah. And that's partially why all these games have such a like vibrant use of color and yeah. sound. And they're like designed so interestingly. Yeah. Um, I love it. I, I think it's great. I'll be honest. I didn't even know that this was an arcade game. I thought this was just for the Dreamcast. I, I'm pretty sure it started. I mean, a lot, a lot of them did. Yeah. But regardless. I should have just assumed that probably. It feels right at home on the Dreamcast. I think they also had a Game Boy version too. Mm. This is this is like a fairly uh, prolific series. I will say, I don't know if I would want to play this in an arcade because it is so crushingly difficult. Yeah. Liter- yeah. Literally. That was interesting. <laughs> word. Wow. Cr- cr- Bingo! Yeah, I, could, I could see that on the magazine. <laughs> crushingly difficult. Yeah. BB. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mr. Driller is BBB, awesome. BBB, Steven. <laughs> Fifth place? He <laughs> turned his brain off. Mr. Driller is great. Uh, moving on to the next one. Cannon Spike! Yeah, this is one of my five. This is this is also like every... Oh, this is one of your five? Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I was th- We played this together, and I was like, not to be too egocentric, but I'm like, every now and then, when we do these episodes, there's always one game, consciously or not, that everyone buys when we when we bring it up. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I feel like Cannon Spike is going to get the eighth or bump, because yeah. this game does... I have seen no mention of it anywhere. Yeah. It is... It is. It feels like a fake game when you play it, too. <laughs> it feels like Capcom was like, shit, we have like eight 3D assets. Do you want to just like put them in uh, fight uh-huh. robot ninjas and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's essentially like a arcade. <laughs> How would you even describe? What is it? It's, it's sort of a bullet hell. It's sort a of. twin stick bullet hell yeah. with one stick. <laughs> 
Nice. Starring Cammy from Street Fighter. Yes. Arthur from Ghosts and Goblins. Yes. BB Hood, is that her name? Yes, it is BB Hood. BB Hood. Who is Little Red Riding Hood. With guns. With guns. Uh, from Dark Stalkers. It's like a, basically like a mashup. Mega Man. Mega Man. It's worth noting also that Mega Man and BB Hood are not on the character select They're menu. Like secret. You need yeah. to go all the like it'll it'll have this there's this great uh like collage of all of the characters and you just kind of like highlight which one they'll do like a cool animation. But if you go all the way to the left side, Mega Man will just pop out and be like, I'm here. And if you go all the way to the right, Little Red Riding Hood will pop out and be like, hello. What? Yeah. Which rocks. Um so it's a bunch of Capcom characters and you basically just like go through everyone has like laser guns and you just fight a bunch of like robots it's like it really you know what it feels like why does it feel like it feels like remnant from the ashes <laughs> it really does. if you haven't played remnant it's a game that steven and i oh love and and one of the reasons that game is so great is it was pitched just as like what if dark souls had guns and was co-op and you and i picked it up just based on that it was like oh it'd be fun to maybe stream this and what we found is that the game starts as the last of us then becomes like I would say maybe even God of War uh, and then becomes Mad Max and then becomes Interstellar and then become, you know, it just like keeps throwing all of these disparate worlds and ideas at you. And every single time it works somehow, like every yeah. single time it all meshes together and it feels like a completely unique thing, despite being described, I think, in a derivative way as like just Dark Souls with guns and co-op. It ends up taking on a life of its own and becomes really special. And I think Cannon Spike has the exact same feeling to it, where every single level we even figured out, like they'll sometimes jumble them up also. Um, every single level is like completely bizarre. And sometimes you're fighting like an evil SWAT team in a city. Sometimes you're just fighting alligators in a swamp. <laughs> sometimes you're fighting aliens. Sometimes you're fighting zombies. Sometimes you're fighting werewolves in a, in a graveyard. It feels like like an episode of TV from like the late 90s, early 2000s, where like the kid is playing a video game game yes and this oh. is the video game that they're like it's the fake My game they God. made up <laughs> yeah where all the actors are just hitting buttons but yeah. it's like i know this is actually that's actually that how you game. play cannon spike yeah, yes. that's how you play cannon spike i'm so happy it's one of your five I, I i it's not one of mine but i loved it this this is like this feels like a treasure game in a great way like it yeah. feels like it has that kind of like embracing extra yes like it's treasure just, the developer just to treasure be clear. the developer yeah. exactly but yeah i I love it. If you're a fan of Street Fighter and you're a Cammy main, it's a must. It's her game. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's so interesting awesome. that they just named it after one of Cammy's moves. Um, yeah. I will, I will just say, uh, this is another game like Mr. Driller that I played once and was like, I have to beat this. Like I, I, <laughs> I need to make it all the way through and I did it. Uh, and it was very difficult, but what an incredible experience it is. Like I, I really can't recommend it enough. I don't, again, this is another one that I don't know if it was an arcade game or not, but it really feels like it was set up to be one. Yeah. I, I think it's, I don't know like the history of it, but I, I it kind of feels like a pre-existing game that Capcom kind of slapped there. Yeah. Properties over. Yeah. In, the, in a good way. Yeah. Like it, it works. But it's it's really, really incredible. I will just say, so the, the way it works is uh, there are a bunch of enemies like flooding onto the screen and you use the analog stick to move around. But as soon as you start shooting, which is the A button, you'll lock in place in terms of the direction that you're facing. So like in a let's say a level that's like completely horizontal. If you're all the way on the left side of the screen, you're facing right and you start shooting, then you kind of almost have like an Ikaruga bullet hill experience. Yeah. Uh, or I guess more Mars matrix if it's horizontal sure. and not vertical, but if it's vertical, then you can kind of place yourself at the bottom, but also you can press the right analog stick to lock or sorry, the right trigger to lock onto enemies, which is really helpful in boss battles. Mm. But frequently what they'll do is they'll start boss battles with like just one enemy. And as you get further into the game, they'll hit you with boss battles that are like four or five enemies. <laughs> so then you're just kind of like switching lock on between all of them and like taking away little bits of damage for all of them on top of that 
every single character has like a unique ultimate move, which will kind of fill up the screen in different ways, um, which is fun just to like discover which character you really click with. For me, it ended up being Cammy, weirdly enough, um, because the B button is also a melee button. And the melee button is like destructive. Yeah. If you can not get hit and you could just get up in front of like a giant like Metal Gear ass mech and just <laughs> punch and kick it until it blows up. It's like one of the most rewarding experiences you yeah. can have on the Dreamcast. I really like BB Hood because her whole she's like awesome. stick is that she's Red Riding Hood, but she has like automatic machine guns in her like picnic basket and bombs. Yeah. And it works so well on this game where her special is just like two giant rocket launchers. Yeah. It's so funny. And you can tell that the Mega Man character model is like the one they use in that like like ill-fated 3D Mega Man game. <laughs> yeah, he's a little uncanny. He looks completely different than every other character in the game. Yeah, it's so yeah. funny. He's just very smooth. Everyone else is like pretty detailed and he's just very smooth and looks like he's from the N64. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I also want to shout out that this game's difficulty slider, the easiest difficulty, is named Baby. <laughs> it's on Jesus. a scale of 1 to 10, but 1 is Baby. Yeah. I think the next one is Child. They really keep rubbing it in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this game's awesome. It's one of your five. Wow, that's a surprise. But it's one of my five. Yeah, it's wow. great. I had I had to look this up. What it looks like? Just yeah. Can you describe I, what you're looking at? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm I yes. I, I was just in awe of it from your description. Yeah. And I just needed to see what it looked like. We should play it in the break. I would love. It's a lot of fun to play single it. player and multiplayer. Like yeah. It works both. It it, it, it kind of it, it's kind of got the same camera angle as like a like a Diablo or kind of CRPG. Yes. Situation, yeah. yeah. It's top but down. You're, yeah. But yeah. you're. Yeah. We should definitely play uh, it. Yeah. I gotta play it. I, I gotta. That's Cannon Spike. Wow. Yeah. Moving on. Okay. This is a big one. This uh, is a big one. Next up. Grandia 2. One of, I would say, the two RPGs that people really care ones. about. Yeah. There, 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 there aren't that many RPGs on the Dreamcast. I expected there to be a lot more. Yeah. But the two big ones that are on pretty much every list are Grandia 2 and Skies of Arcadia. And even to this day, it feels like this is the big argument between people on the internet is yeah. which one is the best RPG on the Dreamcast. Yeah. Grandia 2, I will say, it didn't work right away. Mm. I really didn't like the main character, and I still don't know if I do. Uh, <laughs> he has big, excuse me, princess yeah. energy. Like He's supposed to be kind of like an anti-hero. He's sarcastic. He, they're going for a cloud strife, like mercenary who doesn't care but yeah. slowly opens what is up. it uh, what is his profession is geo a something geo hound geo hound yeah, yeah. and when, whenever he introduces himself as a geo hound people are like get the fuck out of here yeah why are you here why are you talking to me uh and he has a pet eagle named sky but yeah. he, what makes him up every time is he like he thinks he's so witty but his insults always suck yeah be like i don't have time to go to the lollipop town kid you yeah. know it's like this is the best you got <laughs> um this game rules though this is also kind of floating around my five for a bit it's um, really good basically I would describe it as the Edgelord's Final Fantasy X. Uh, it kind of <laughs> oh. is, it's in some ways kind of a traditional RPG, but I think right away it's interested in sort of questioning some tropes. Mm -hmm. And also like, if I had to choose one thing, I feel like the plot is really like kind of satirizing organized religion. Yeah. Uh, not like you don't have to look too deep to see that. No, it's, it, it's like within the first hour, it's also really you're like saving somebody from essentially like a ritual sacrifice. Yeah. Mm. And basically the game is also very concerned with like the, uh, sort of moral ambiguity of people and of like society. Right. And how we want to lump everyone as either, you know, good or bad. And, Everyone you meet is kind of somewhere in between. Sometimes the good guys are bad. Sometimes the bad guys are good. Mm -hmm. One of the recurring party mates is like maybe the devil. 
uh, <laughs> which is like thrilling whenever she shows up. But it really, this game really, like, it, it was kind of a slow burn. But like, once I got more party members, once the combat took off, the combat in this game rules. It is maybe the, like, I feel like it's what every ATB game dreams of yes. being. Yes. Because, hmm. oh my God. It is turn based in a sense, but basically, like, every. All your party members and all the enemies are like running around kind of out of your control. And then there's a gauge on the bottom that you see when a character can enter a command and when they're actually going to execute it. So there's actually a delay between when you tell them to do something. So you're almost it's almost kind of an auto battler where you're suggesting like do that. They'll do it. They're not going to say no. (laughs) But basically what that means is that there are moves you can do that if you time it right you can cancel the enemy from even taking their turn right and that is so it feels almost like a fighting game where like you're pulling off a move and just the variety like eventually the customization you can get over the characters like unlocking different skills giving them different uh mana eggs that have like different magic (laughs) like once you have at least three people the game not only gets more interesting narratively because there are more people challenging rito as a character and he i i'm interested in his story now mm-hmm. like i i think he's supposed to be unlikable yeah and i think you have to remember too that this game at the time the idea like i think a lot of early rpgs are almost allegorical with their cast yeah and this game was very much like let's do a deep space nine and like have a morally ambiguous cast that like become good people as the game continues yeah um so i think like one of the first party members you get like originally it's uh this woman elena who is like the yuna of the game like the destined priestess who has kind of a naive worldview but like ultimately wants to do good and i feel like she and rito actually do learn from each other like he teaches her like don't trust everyone like the world can be a bad place but she also teaches him to like trust some people yeah Uh, and then you get um roan roan is where i think the game like kind of took off for me Mm -hmm. i think his addition to the party and also Melania, who is maybe the devil, yeah, shows up rocks. sometimes and she she steals the show. Yeah. There's Her also is like a like a, a crowd applause moment. Yeah. Very much. <laughs> and she she in combat is fun because if she gets pissed off enough, you lose control of her and she just starts like throwing fireballs at like everything. It's sick. Which yeah. is a great way to tie the narrative with the mechanics. But yeah, this game I I haven't finished it, but I'm like about halfway through. And we've even floated around the idea of doing a bonus about it because there's a lot to talk about with the plot. Yeah. It's I, a very thematically rich game. I started playing this game on the Dreamcast and then found out that they had ported it to Switch yeah. like, a couple of years ago. Like pretty early in the Switch's life cycle, weirdly enough, this came out. Uh, it was a port of one and two as one package. I think it's like 30 bucks. So I picked it up. I will just say playing it on the Switch is great. Uh, the right analog stick lets you move the camera, which is great. Steam Deck is where I played it too. Mostly. Yeah. It just, it feel, it's a good handheld game because it's paced in a very like yeah. Dragon Quest way, where it's like uh, chapter Chapters. by chapter, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, th- this is this is a game that I'm definitely uh, of all of the games that we're going to talk about. This is the one that I'm like most excited to keep playing when we're done with yeah, this episode. Because um, I, I just think there's a lot here narratively that I think is really compelling, and yeah. it's another great example of an older RPG that got combat so on lock that I have never had a moment where I like didn't want to be engaging with it. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I mean, it, again, it also goes back to pacing, where it's like the game is pretty good at being like, okay, like you're going to go on a road to a new place where it's more open there's more exploring you can do you get to the new place then there's a dungeon it almost reminds me too of persona 4 and just the way the dungeon crawling works but i yeah this game is is so much fun 
and I'm really excited to keep playing it. I also really want to play the first one because Grandia 1 is also like a beloved RPG. Yeah. Uh, and it's very different. That one is more like charming, like let's fully embrace the sense of adventure. This one is the kind of like sarcastic 90s edgy one. The Majora's Mask. The Majora's Mask, exactly. But yeah, yeah Grandia 2 I would highly recommend. It's a really great RPG. Yeah, same. And I'm glad I gave it more time. Oh my god. <laughs> So we we kind of have a random. This is order all bangers. Here. I mean, look, yeah. you're gonna just, you're gonna have that reaction to every single yeah. game in the year 2000. Uh, the next next up, we got Marvel versus Capcom 2: New Age of Heroes. This is also one of my five. I want to take you for a ride. <laughs> This was the first game that I played in preparation for this episode and kind of set... It came with both of our Dreamcasts. Yeah, it, it kind of set the stage for the whole experience. I also have a lot of history with this game. I borrowed my friend's PS2 copy of it, yeah. not knowing it was like a rare, like <laughs> unfindable game that's now hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But this game is like just... Inc- I mean, I think you were talking about like trying to get into fighting games. And, and for me, I think there's kind of broadly speaking, very broadly speaking, three types of fighting games on the Dreamcast. There They're are on 2D a plane. Fighters. Huh? They're on a plane. <laughs> on the bottom left. There are 2D fighters, 3D yeah. fighters, and yeah. like party game fighters. Yeah, mm. right. And this game is... This game shares a lot in common with Melee, in my opinion, because mm. it was made to be a f- kinetic, frantic party game yeah. that became an eSport by accident. Right. Uh, right. Another game where Capcom was like, we have so many assets. Yeah. We need to use the Hulk in something with Morgan. <laughs> and this is another game also that at the at the party we had the other night, like people were coming in and being like, yo, yeah, this looks shocking. It's good. incredible. Yeah. It also feels like kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's as simple as like, the past is good, now is bad. But I think when it comes to fighting <laughs> games, like this is from an era where IP was not as precious as it is now. Totally. Like, I'm sure Capcom and Marvel still saw the potential of like a crossover event yeah. for marketing purposes. But like, if you have Goofy Venom, you know people are having fun. Yeah, you got Goofy this, Venom. This is the era of Marvel just being kind of very flippant about yeah, right. allowing other people access to their IP. And yeah. I also think just the roster being as huge as it is. Like, yeah, no, like, this is before DLC, but it's just like it is such a generous game. And also the fact that the music is just like jazz and it has nothing to do with any like these characters it's it's also telling that the game has three just original characters from nothing in it yeah because in some ways it feels like all these characters are not from other things they're all from marvel vs capcom 2 <laughs> everything the, the, the yeah. fact that it all has uh the artist bengus has done all these characters in their style yeah uh i love their interpretation of a lot of the marvel characters Same. i love the way like jill looks as a fighting game character mm-hmm. seeing also just how people who have never been in a fighting game would fight shout out to marvel vs capcom 3 for having phoenix Wright and maya in the roster yeah. i do miss <laughs> them here but this game is like just so inviting and so fun it's beautiful like the sprite work is incredible the music's incredible there's a lot of reason to play single player just to unlock all the characters which that's something that i just personally miss like i love doing that i mm-hmm. i know it was kind of a divisive thing but i appreciated smash ultimate like kind of making you unlock the cast same yeah you know it kind of gave you like there's something a little bit anticlimactic buying a fighting game having everyone and then just waiting for dlc right i like being able to unlock characters and the other thing too this game 
game let you like trade characters on your VMU. Yeah. So they cut. They're like, there's so many fucking characters. We know you're gonna have to trade some. Yeah. It's almost like Pokemon. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. We didn't mention this when we were talking about the VMU, but at the top of the VMU is like an I/O port essentially. Yeah. Like there's a, a part that plugs into another VMU. Uh, so you can kind of just like smash the two of them together, and then uh, in some games like Marvel vs. Capcom, they'll let you like trade information or transfer your save data over which yeah is yeah but I, I just i just love this game i i i do wish this is this is one of it's kind of weird like i think there are there's no consistency as to like what's easy to get these days from the dreamcast library yeah this is one of the harder ones you can get three on xbox three and ultimate marvel's Capcom three are available two is like nowhere to be found and it's such a shame because i feel like this would still be huge yeah and i i love it who's I, your team my team is jill venom and dr doom great uh i swap out the third sometimes but jill and venom are like my musts yeah for me it's uh captain america wolverine and i swap out between spider-man or ken that's a good team you know, you know why great. though you told me when we when i started playing street fighter 6 to start playing as ken hmm. who i has just been my man i haven't played really as anybody else from street fighter 6 yet i'm still just playing as can yeah. all the time just to like learn that game and weirdly feels very similar still in in marvel vs. capcom 2 that's the thing about street cool. fighter and especially like those I, there's a term for that type of character but like the ryu and ken and akumas yeah. once you know them in one game like you can kind of play them in every game including super smash brothers ultimate yeah right <laughs> which is probably why they did that yeah you know because i, I totally. do think there's like every every street fighter is different like i actually just played alpha for the first time i'm like what how do i play this <laughs> um but uh yeah i, I it's it's kind of amazing how much they carry over from game to game. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I love this game. This is also just very rarely was this off my top five. I just kind of knew it had to be there. Yeah. Oh, this is, wait, this is one of your top five. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, uh, soul caliber and this so far, yeah. Two, yeah. two fighting games, two fighting games. Mm, yeah. This tracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say this is one of the fighting games that made my overall list. Amazing. Uh, this is one of the ones that did click for me and like I had a good time and enjoyed playing yeah. enough to realize what my team would be, which that, I think yeah. says a lot. And that's the thing too, is I think like we're getting a little bit, like I think Street Fighter 6 be like making an active effort to not only think of new players, but like gamify the process of learning how to play a fighting game. Yeah. That's like beautiful and I think that will catch on. But I do think like a lot of modern fighting games are built to be an eSport and they're not yeah. really concerned Concerned with like a, a new player just having fun for lack of a better term yeah, no for real i i think street fighter 6 being like hey we've we are thinking of you and here are tools to learn and even a game like guilty gear strive which like isn't really just being so wild just mm -hmm. catching people's attention yeah. and being like check this out for a bit yeah I, I think that i think that that's really special and i think that this game again inviting is the word that keeps coming to mind is just like it's so fun to play even if you're not doing well or if you don't know how to play it's it's energetic enough to appease anybody yeah so uh, the Steven segment continues, I think. <laughs> oh my God. With the next one. This is subconscious. Uh, next up is Skies of Arcadia. Hey, -o. the other RPG. The other RPG. Uh, and this is also, surprising nobody, one of my five. This is one of the ones that never left. Yeah. I'm still not finished. I'm, I'm about halfway through Skies of Arcadia. And I went in kind of knowing like this is kind of so my shit. It's like a Sky Pirate RPG. 
kind of Ghibli inspired. I was sort of expecting like the, the, again the thing is like there are two RPGs that people talk about. I'm yeah. like, is that just because there were two? Yeah. These are the two. <laughs> Skies of Arcadia is genuinely like out, even outside Dreamcast, it's one of the best games I've played this year, and will probably end up being one of my favorite games of all time. And I think. It's the kind of game, if someone asks me, like, why do you like RPGs? I can kind of just point to this game and be mm. like, I don't know this. <laughs> like, first yeah. of all, it looks like I think this is one of the best looking games on Dreamcast. I, I really hope they do, like, just port it because I think there's something special about the way it reminds me a lot of Ocarina of Time. Like, all the character models look similar. Yeah. But it looks like Ocarina of Time on the 3DS where it's like a little bit more detailed, a little mm-hmm. bit more refined, a right. little bit less sharp. Um, Incredible skyboxes. I mean, it has to, yeah. you know, you're in the sky. Yeah. Uh, and I think really like the commitment to gamifying, like being a pirate and being in the sky, getting to the point where like there are genuine turn-based airship battles. Aesthetically, it's incredible. I do think the battle system is, is I, I, I do think Grania 2 has the better combat. I agree. Uh, but I think Skies of Arcadia is also really good, especially the bosses are really tough. Yeah. And they really ask you to consider like every piece of it every tool you have um we talked about this in was it the last episode we did before the break or maybe the one before that we talked about them, yeah. skies of arcadia a little bit yeah. i i really love the magic system yeah it's in, so cool. in the game specifically asking you to continue using a form of magic to level that form of magic up so like if you want your characters like fire abilities to be better you could just like keep using fire over and over again until you unlock other ones oblivion-esque i would say <laughs> it is you know why like that yeah i i just think it's really special it's a really cool game i will say the thing for me the reason it didn't make my top five is because i didn't play a whole lot of it because i heard pretty early on after we had recorded that episode that the gamecube port of it really has so many quality of life improvements that i'm like Uh, i think i just want to play the gamecube version so i'm like after this i'm going to continue playing grandia on the switch and i will probably also play (laughs) the gamecube version of skies of arcadia i want to play both i think the difference is the gamecube version adds more side quests and also reduces the random encounter which was starting to get to me a little bit yeah i didn't find it to be that bad because it's not in areas where it would be especially grating it's more noticeable when you're in the world map when you want to explore and be open uh but like in dungeons i didn't find it to be too tedious and i don't know i just i was so caught up in this game that I, I just sort of accepted it all. Grandia also has the leg up in that it has like the chrono trigger. You can see, like, you the, can enemies. see the enemies. Yeah, that, the is, that is cool. But this game's story and characters and atmosphere fully take the cake for Kid's me. Kid's got a uh, goggle eye patch. Yeah. I, I think Come it's, on. it's really the optimism that I think sets it. I mean, it's in stark contrast to Grandia 2's yeah. like questioning. I mean, this game does have some heavy themes in it like it's done in kind of like a fairy tale way yeah so it doesn't feel quite as like it doesn't feel as satirical or as biting as grandia 2 does the thing i would compare it most to tonally is peter pan weirdly <laughs> in some Whoa. ways yeah, or I, I would say like dragon quest 11 or like, yeah like if drag yeah if, if if they did peter pan i feel like that would be the <laughs> yeah entry. but i think like the game's sense of optimism just feels so earned like i think the, the sort of central tenet of the game being like these are characters who are not naive or unaware but like just genuinely give a shit and they've devoted themselves to giving a shit yeah and like even if they die trying it, it's worth giving a shit yes. basically which shouldn't be like that complicated of a message but I think it's really it, it, it weirdly hits hard I, th- um, yeah, I think you know not not to be the like it hits even harder today than it sure. did when it came out but I think we live in this era this is a thing we, I talk about on the show all the time 
time, but like we live in this era where the idea of like apathy just is like the supreme emotion of discourse on the internet, right? And and the idea of like caring or uh, having any kind of enthusiasm for something so frequently gets squashed by people who are like trying to prove that they're cool by being above that mm-hmm. and playing a game like Skies of Arcadia that is so open to the idea of like, yeah, I'm going to be a sky pirate. It's going to be fucking sick. And yeah. then you are a sky pirate and it is fucking sick. It's great. It's like, yeah. it's such a bomb to that level of discourse that I think we're just surrounded by constantly. Yeah, it's 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 refreshing to see a game just like play it straight. Like it, yeah. it's it's just like yeah, this is I don't know. I I just it's weirdly rare. Like you only really find it in Dragon Quest. Yeah. Even then there's usually some kind of twist or something. Yeah. It sounds a lot to me like uh Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah. Where yeah, Ch- in some ways. Chai is just a dude who's like yeah, let's Chai do it. and Vice like, would going. get along for sure. They would definitely get uh, along. Yeah. I also, I, I really love, like, I, I do love an ensemble where you see characters meeting for the first time, but starting the game where Vice and Ika are just buds immediately yeah. is so fun. Yeah, like, it was nice. Like, beginning as best friends is yeah. also kind of a rare And thing. they already have that, like, banter and rapport and just, like, dunking they on each other in, like, a fun way. Yeah. That happens all the time. That was the moment. I'm like, this is this has to be it. Yeah. Uh, I love this game so much. I, I... We'll absolutely finish it. Maybe we'll talk about it again someday. Yeah. I also want to play the GameCube version just to see, but I kind of want to play both. I just I love I like it enough to want to experience both. So cool. yeah, Skies of Arcadia, I I would say is is in my five and also probably like probably my favorite game on the Dreamcast. Wow, yeah, yeah. nice, cool. Uh, <laughs> you want to take us in the next one? I would love to, Stephen. Uh, the next one is Seaman. <laughs> There's our air horn. Um, Okay. Creepy. Here's the thing about Seaman. Before we even decided to do the Dreamcast, I was hoping that we would pick the Dreamcast because I really, really, really wanted to play Seaman. Yeah. Because once once I was aware after that Sonic Adventure experience I described earlier of the Dreamcast, I like looked into it and became like cognizant of ads for the Dreamcast because there was that era that it was happening. And I saw so many ads for Seaman and had no idea really what it was, just that it was a game where there was a fish with a man's face and the game came packaged with a microphone so you could talk to him. And I was like, that sounds bizarre. I don't really fully understand how or why that's even possible yeah because again i just have the sega genesis at the time yeah um that's three leaps too far yes you tell yeah. me i can talk to sonic yeah you had just discovered wait fire a and someone was giving you the electric car <laughs> yeah. wait a second i just learned about combustion exactly yeah uh so this this i think of all the games that we played for this experience was the one that i was most looking forward to wow and, and you and i both ordered microphones for the dreamcast uh which is amazing so with the dreamcast controller there are two vmu slots um so you can expand your storage and memory and whatever but with c-man you could have you know one to save your game and then the other vmu slot is where you plug the microphone into so you're holding the controller like up to your face and speaking and that whole that whole experience of like plugging in the microphone and being like all right i'm ready for c-man and turning it on and the first thing i hear is leonard nimoy being like (laughs) hello welcome to the laboratory of dr jean paul gasset i was like what the fuck like that by itself was amazing and you just you just see this street sign of like a fully evolved c-man who looks like a frog and he's like breathing and there's this like very 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 early 2000s 3d render of like foliage in the background and sometimes it's raining and you can hear like kind of jungly sounds in the background like bugs and stuff i was like the aesthetic of this already is i think uh, in your prism is like so in the actual dreams yes. <laughs> that's right world it's like well. yeah it just felt like a thing that shouldn't exist can't exist and definitely shouldn't have existed in the year 2000 and the actual gameplay once you hop into it 
ends up being like a Tamagotchi that you check in with every single day. So day one is literally you just have this fish tank and you need to heat it up enough and then you need to aerate it enough to kind of get rid of all of this like debris and and mud and whatever. Um, And then after that, you drop an egg into the tank and the egg just kind of floats around and you have to wait for like 15 to 20 minutes before anything actually happens. Mm. And when something happens, the egg kind of explodes into all these little like almost tadpole-y looking things. They're just like kind of orbs with little tails and they just kind of float around for a while and there's a nautilus shell that's in the tank as well and if you tap on the glass like one of your only the only things you can really do are like tap on the glass or like pick things up yeah um and if you tap on the glass in front of the nautilus all of those little kind of like tadpole looking things will just kind of like congregate in front of wherever you're tapping so if you tap in for the nautilus the nautilus will start to come out of its shell and will start to eat these little tadpole things Mm. and then like you just kind of it's like a little fun mini game that you play for a little bit where you're just like, oh, can I get the Nautilus to eat all these little things? Because, you know, uh, Leonard Nimoy told me that I should do that. He gives you hints every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he gives you that. little hints like right at the yeah. top um, just about like how to care for the tank and whatever. Uh, but he says that the Nautilus is important. So you're like, OK, cool. The Nautilus is interacting with these things that must be important. And then after you've eaten all the things or after the Nautilus has eaten all these little tadpoles, like you have to wait another like half hour. Like it takes a long time. But then suddenly you start to hear this sound that's like horrible. It's just like this like rattling sound. It's almost like a like a guttural like organ adjacent sound that starts to happen over and over again. You can see the Nautilus is starting to spit up like a black ink and then it starts to spit up blood and then it comes out of its shell and starts writhing in the tank. It's really dark. Yeah, it's it's scary. It's surprisingly dark. And I I was kind of shocked by that. I was kind of shocked by that experience because I I thought that this was going to be just kind of like a fun, weird time. Yeah. And then I'm being confronted with like, I I fed this thing something that's poisoning and killing it. Yeah, I fed this thing parasites, basically. Mm. Um, And eventually the Nautilus is writhing and writhing and writhing and blood is like filling up the tank. You need to continue aerating it to like aerate the blood out of the tank. And then it explodes the Nautilus explodes into the sea man, all of the little like fishmen as like little guppies essentially. Yeah. And they're all babbling like babies <laughs> immediately. They're all just like, blah, blah, you know, like over and over again. And they're all speaking all at the same time. When I, when I started playing the game, I have a video on YouTube of like my entire experience. I just kind of like cut it all together as one super cut, but I had seven in my tank at the beginning, which was wild. And then at that point, there's really not nothing left to do except like feed it like feed like just drop one food pellet in it'll feed all seven of them and then you leave and you check in the next day and you have to check in every single day for a while as the seaman starts to grow but things start happening that are like equally dark like there I, I think there are these like really high highs in terms of the joy that you experience interacting with these things and then really like horrifying low lows mm. for example they start to eat each other they have these like antennas that they use or like almost a proboscis that they'll use to like impale another fish and then drain its blood and eat it. Jesus Christ. And and at that time they're still talking like babies. Yes. They're like, stop it. It's like really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They can start, they can say a couple words and some of them are like, that hurts as they're like getting drained of blood and dying. It's really horrifying. Yeah. And I, I think weirdly, I was like, I'm having a religious experience playing this. <laughs> I, was like, I think this is like one of the most profound video gaming experiences I've ever had in my life. I just was so taken by it because it felt to me so much like this incredible recreation of the actual human experience of life yeah. and like reproduction and just like the evolution of humanity over time in this little tiny tank that you check in with for like 20 minutes a day. Unfortunately, my experience did not end very well uh, in reasons that I don't want to spoil in case you go want to watch that uh, YouTube video, but I will say um, that having 
failed at raising my seaman again like like grandia 2 it's like a game that i'm really excited to just like turn back on and start again i think i've been waiting to do this episode to go give seaman another shot and like mm. really just check in with it every single day for a long time this is a game that you can't emulate unfortunately i think there might be a way on windows uh i think there's like one dreamcast emulator that has microphone support but for the most part like you need to buy a microphone for your dreamcast and and play it that way but i just remember having this experience where i went to philadelphia uh, with my partner, Persia, and we were hanging out with her family and her oldest brother just had their third kid, like just recently. And we were watching this baby like wide eyed looking around at everything. Mm. And like it was like, that's the first time this baby's seen a light bulb. That's the first time this baby has seen like a fly. That's the first time this baby has seen an apple, you know, and you could see the synapses turning on in her head as this was happening. And I just kept thinking about Seaman, weirdly. <laughs> and I know that sounds so <laughs> funny. <laughs> But I was like, the fact that I'm watching this actual human baby, like, interact with and experience life for the first time yeah. and thinking about Seaman says, yeah. I think, how much that game imprinted on me yeah. as, like, a really profound experience. I, I would go as far as arguing, I think, that Seaman is the game that best encapsulates everything that the Dreamcast is trying to be. I think I, I, that, yeah. I think that this game is, like, such a huge artistic swing miraculously works better than you think it will with the <laughs> microphone. You know, it ha I, I would say the biggest drawback is it has some like very uh, 1990s, early 2000s like humor. Yeah, so he which here's the does thing. Not work. It's like the game starts off and for the first few days they're babies. And then as sort of a comedic jump scare, eventually when you come back to the tank and you turn the, because usually when you turn the heat up, they go like, woohoo. Yeah. Uh, then you go back and they're like, yay. It's, yes. they're, they're adults now. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and once they're adults, they start to like ask you like about yourself. So they'll ask you like, they want to know who you are. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll ask your age. They'll ask, uh, I was mocked for being an Aries. They basically have the vibe of like, those restaurants where the waiters zing you yeah, yeah. like no matter what you like they mocked you for being 30 in the video they're yes. like oh it doesn't can't stay up quite as late now can you yeah um and that's a lot of it's funny uh sometimes it does like potentially cross the line it veers into problematic sometimes, uh, yeah. yeah but i i still think that like just the decision to have these things kind of turn the tables on you where it's like yeah because it's really like it's not like it probably sounds a bit outlandish to have that connection to seeing a baby like yeah become sentient basically but the first time one of these weird ass fish with the man's face says hello to you yeah it's it's like you gasp and it takes like two weeks to yeah. get there also it's like it's literally like two weeks of playing this game and raising what is a baby and then suddenly it's like how old are you i have to say the secret weapon of this game is leonard nimoy like i think yeah. he does such a like because it is so genuinely off-putting like as soon as you kind of get used to it something weird happens like yeah. they start sucking each other's blood or like the female will be like, I just remembered something. And then yeah. like the lights go off and you hear about a memory they had. It's supposed to be unsettling. It's supposed to be funny, but also, you know, immersive. Yeah. And Leonard Nimoy just being like, you're doing well. Like, here's what you should do today. He's like, oh, it's like uh, Isabel at the beginning of Animal Crossing being like, <laughs> yeah, today is Tuesday. Like there's a visitor at the tent. Like it really is like it eases you into the experience. Yes. And uh, and he like genuinely is rooting for you and wants the sea man to be okay. Yeah. It's like weirdly touching. And then you, then you kind of remember what you're playing. You're like, what am I thinking? Yeah. So my experience playing this was weirdly just like immortality where I, <laughs> uh, I got my microphone the day before my flight. So I'm like, I got to play sea man like tonight. Yeah. Uh, for, for context, immortality was a game. Like before we recorded game of the year, I played that all in one sitting before an early flight the next day. Right. <laughs> 
I did the same as C-Man. I basically just kept, I would play, turn it off, go into the settings of the Dreamcast, go ahead a day. Yeah. And I played it for like five hours. So I, yeah. I haven't gotten to the point where they like become a frog. But uh, it was a real, I was expecting this game to be kind of like a meme. Like I, I everyone same. wanted us to play it. I kind of knew, like I, I had seen videos of gameplay. I kind of knew what to expect. I didn't expect it to be quite as profound as it was. Yeah. Especially in like the early like raising them to be adults phase right i think a lot of attention goes to just like the really philosophical conversations you have with the adult fish mm -hmm. uh he said like ah and aries like never finish what they start i guess i'm gonna be belly up you know <laughs> uh but it really like just the act of using the microphone and, you know a lot of times they won't respond to you like they'll kind of ignore you yeah that's i think the major frustration with the game is like there isn't you have to be pretty patient yes uh, but that's also what the game want like they want to give you that kind of like you're slowly witnessing something grow and become yeah. alive speaking of animal crossing i mean it, it feels like in the early games where they didn't let you run or else you would like destroy the grass yeah. in your town it feels very similar to that where it's like you really need to meet the game where it's at sure and in that case like first of all i should have done this and and this is like the jump scare of the video for me but like almost a couple days before i failed i was like i should probably read the manual and i like looked up the pdf scan of the manual that somebody had uploaded online it was like the amount of stuff that i was missing the amount of context i was missing and like but that I could have been pressing and like ways I could have been interacting. Yeah. Re like having known that at the start probably would have changed that outcome pretty dramatically. But once you know all of that stuff and you can start to like look at the VMU screen because the VMU will tell you if your C-man understood the thing that you were saying or not, uh -huh. I, I think is like hugely beneficial and kind of kind of lulls you, I think, into into this sense of like you are having a philosophical experience in some yeah. ways like you are you are having like an actually profound time raising this creature I, th I think it's miraculous and i think contextualizing the actual name of the console the dreamcast i really do think that this, <laughs> that seaman is the most literal answer to that i think i think it is like one-to-one -one the best example of what this console is capable of yeah is it one of your five? Yes. Did I not say that? Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Imagine if it wasn't after yeah. all that. Yeah. So, as I was saying before, there are a lot of really amazing things about the internet, but as with everything else, it's not completely perfect. Think of it this way. You can do almost anything on the internet. Work, shop, chat, get the news, play games, listen to music, and pretty much anything else you want to do. That's all terrific, but pretty soon people won't even need to leave their homes in order to conduct their daily business. You humans are going to get lazier and less mobile, and forget how to deal with each other face to face. I think things could get pretty ugly a few decades down the road. Do you think the internet is dangerous? Yeah, I, I, I kind of expected it to be, and it was definitely on. It was definitely in consideration for me. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's like a must. I think you should experience it. Yeah, uh, and it, again, it's it's hard to really explain until you have that mic. 
You know, like yeah. it really does. Like watching footage of gameplay is not really enough to experience C-Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's something to be said about like naming it yourself. Like I didn't realize I was gonna have to name it, and I just was like looking around my room like frenetically, like oh my god, like anything that I could think of as a name. I was like ah, Mar- Mario. I'm gonna name <laughs> Mario. Um, but then when Mario died, it was uh, equally profound in yeah. a really sad way. I will give one shout out. Uh, speaking of like you know, if if there's a world in which like you just can never play this game, I would recommend checking out dan reichert over at giant bomb and fire escape uh did a full let's play for an entire year of c-man that is awesome it's really fun and like if you know anything about dan reichert and his vibe he is really engaging with that game where it's at and is you know c-man insults him and he insults c-man right back (laughs) it's really i was trying to be so patient like if it was like being mean to me i was like all right i just need to give you your space and i'll walk away (laughs) dan reichert's like fuck you you know (laughs) which i love um so if you if you want that experience i would highly recommend looking that video up it's so good uh and and i i watched that up to the point that i got uh, but I, I just want to see the rest of it for myself absolutely yeah I, I think i'll play this game again i had to delete my save because i didn't want it to die while i'm gone but yeah i think i that's the thing if you yeah. go away for like two days it dies yeah and you're just screwed i don't want to make leonard sad yeah. so but yeah seaman's an incredible experience well, yeah okay i have a feeling oh the next one's big in general but i know it's big for you so why don't you take us in oh okay next game shenmue shenmue <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with the title shenmue two great <gasps> syllables put together yeah um no shenmue i think is is another game that is like legendary on the dreamcast yeah mm-hmm. uh this is famously like one of the games that bankrupted sega uh this it, at the time it was the most expensive game ever made yeah this this and its sequel i think are like you know of of the the pillars of reasons that the dreamcast did not make it like shenmue and shenmue 2 are like they're pretty big pillars sure um, but also why it's still relevant in some ways yes you know, I, and i'm sure you'll get to that in a moment yeah so uh shenmue if you if you don't know anything about it it is um i would say most analogous weirdly to like the yakuza franchise right yeah. now um it is at least the first one is set in an open world uh kind of like a couple blocks of like a city area like a town a kind, kind of a small town more more than a city even but you follow uh this protagonist named rio who uh, watches his father get murdered this is not a spoiler is the first thing that yeah, happens it's, it begins with you running or rio running home yeah and seeing this happen seeing his father get murdered by this guy named lon d uh who steals something and leaves and most of this game is you know if you're just talking about the plot which i i honestly don't even think is that important in terms of your experience playing shenmue most of the game is rio trying to run around his hometown and like find information about lon d anything he possibly can about his whereabouts what he stole and why um and then eventually starting to kind of build himself up as a fighter to be able to take him on because Landy famously extremely talented martial artist uh, and Rio's father was also an extremely talented martial artist and getting absolutely rocked immediately by Landy says a lot about his like ability yeah. to and fight. there's also like an ambiguity to like why Landy killed Rio's father yes, which right. is a big part of the story as yeah. well so you know thematically it's tackling a lot of stuff I would say the first game is mostly a revenge tale like it's most you know even though it's investigative in terms of a lot of the gameplay um a lot of it is about rio's like almost blind revenge yeah desire like he he just cares about finding and killing Landy in 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 revenge for killing his father a fact that i think a lot of other characters in the world kind of push back against and are like you're you're destroying yourself to try and do this but what i think is so beautiful about the game as a whole and i think it feeds into that theme specifically is it feels so real. Like it feels so much like actual people having an actual conversation 
famously the voice acting is horrible the english voice acting yeah the english voice acting yeah. is horrible you can play this game in japanese if you buy the the recent ports of it like if you buy it yeah. on consoles or on steam deck or whatever like you can play it with the japanese voice acting which i'm sure is probably better for the first game i played the first game with the with the english voice acting uh but mostly on mute uh just because I think the the actual writing isn't bad. I think that's kind of the big no, thing for me. No, it's like, not. And that that's the thing about Shenmue is I feel like this game is is has been made fun of a lot. Yeah. The the thing that's interesting about it is like it came out. It, it was Sega's hail mary. Yes. They gave Yu Suzuki, the creator, who was like an all star game designer. Yeah. Uh, he had made like the entire Virtuous series. Yes. It was. When people say Citizen Kane of gaming, I really think it's Shenmue specifically because it's like, here is all the money. Yeah. Like, when does that ever happen? Yeah. When does one person get like full creative control? Right. And an and, and infinite budget. And in, in a way, I feel like Shenmue was like, they wanted the Dreamcast to be Shenmue. Right. And this was an open world game before the term even really existed. Right. And a lot of it reminds me weirdly so much of Red Dead 2, where a lot of it is like, you can go and like open a drawer and yes. like manipulate each digit in your fingers to pick up an <laughs> item uh you know you can shave like red dead 2 is all that shaving your beard yeah. uh and that's that stuff is cool and that's like kind of the buzz of like it's it's funny how much shenmue was doing that like even in 2018 that was like a shareholder pitch yeah, kind of thing right the thing that I, I i and you know the thing about shenmue is that it's it's a hard game to recommend and even when it came out it like sold okay and it reviewed like lukewarmly. Yeah, I think the reception to Shenmue... some people thought it was a miracle, and some people were like, you know, all a lot of the parts of this game are exceptional, but they don't add up to anything exceptional. Right, that's itself. what I find so fast because yeah. I feel like so often there are games that are like, oh, this set the foundation. It hasn't held up well, but at the time it was like a miracle, and like Shenmue is that. But even when it came out, people were like kind of confused. Yeah, like, it, it was almost too much too soon. Yes, and that's the best and worst thing about it because I think you play it now and it's like. Like, okay, I watched Rio watch his father die and he goes out and he asks people, have you seen men in a, in a black car? And they go, I don't know. Ask this person. And you don't know where that person is. Right. And that's kind of the bulk of the game is yeah. asking people where to go next. And that could be a miserable experience for some people. Yeah. The thing I think is really successful. So we also have Shenmue 2 on this list. So I'll save some of my thoughts for the sequel. Yeah. I think you and I have a bit of a divide on which one we like more. We do. Um, <laughs> but Shenmue 1, I think, really succeeds at questioning the revenge tale. Like, you're right to say that that is the bulk of the story. Yeah. But I think begin like the music that plays like the day after mm -hmm. is so sad and like surreal and Rio just like relentlessly asking everyone like where'd they go and everyone's like wait you're not like actually going after those guys are you right and in the interim like I mean the bulk of both of those games is Rio on this you know tenacious quest to not only find the people who killed his dad but like get good enough at martial arts so he can have revenge and yeah. like but that that pops up by him like getting into random bar fights and stuff like that that sure. that vibe of like the only thing he can think about is revenge starts to seep into him just like acting irrationally yeah. in a lot of moments which is I I think mm. one of the beautiful things about that game is like people start to call him on it in ways that I kind of wasn't expecting and I think also combat is like weirdly rare in both games which yeah. actually gives a lot of weight to the violence it's awesome and yeah it, if it, it has a big like 1980s action star like John Claude Van Damme energy when you get into like a quote-unquote boss fight because you haven't gotten into any fights for like two hours yeah 
the thing though that both games do that I think really succeeds more than the actual story is just like Rio is constantly surrounded by people that like genuinely care about him yeah and all kind of represent different lives he could have because he's a teenager yeah like he shouldn't mm. be this is a revenge story happening way too soon like he should be doing other things yeah and brilliantly like Lundy isn't even worried like for, yeah. it's not even a thought that like Rio is gonna come after me yeah you know and I think like a lot of Shenmue 1 is like really what you leave that experience with is a sense of home yeah. more than anything like you didn't you didn't finish one right i didn't finish one i'll just say i without spoiling there's one there's one moment in particular where londi like acknowledges that rio exists and it's like right after a boss fight and londi's like hanging on the side of a, of a helicopter like a big like ladder and you could just see him like looking at rio and that's like it that's like all you get <laughs> honestly i thought that was like incredible and it's, it's, it's like, not too subtle that like as rio goes down the path of revenge he's becoming more and more like Lundi. Yes. You know, like it's it's fairly obvious and yeah. i think but you, you, were, you were getting into the crux of what i i was getting into the i mean i think about, like yeah. you, you and by extension rio both like leave the experience with the sense of home and the sense of life and like genuine connections to these various characters i mean yeah. one of the big selling points of shenmue is like you can go into the arcade and play sega games as yeah. rio right uh <laughs> you can play darts and like just enjoy life and take your time yeah uh and that kind of rings louder than the rest yes you know and i think Similar. The thing about the the big distinction with Shenmue Two, which we'll talk about more later, is that that is a that's Rio arriving in Hong Kong, like ready to be trained. Yeah, and you're in this new place that is like not super welcoming, and right. but still like as you play that game, and I got much farther into two, finding the connections there and finding a new sense of home. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful, and I, and I think like. As tragic as it is that we'll probably never see the end of this story because Shenmue 3 came out as a crowdfunded game and like kind of flopped. Yeah. I don't really know if it needs a concrete ending. Yeah. I think the game already kind of said what it wants to about revenge. And also like what's really contagious is just the reverence for martial arts. Like (laughs) there is a love for not only martial arts as like a cool fighting game mechanic, but like the philosophy of it. Mm -hmm. And that's more present in two where like you meet the martial arts master who's like, this is meant to protect. Yeah. Even like the first moment you get off the boat and you meet that guy who's like, can you tell me why rivers are so important? You know, and you have this whole like philosophical conversation with him. I love that bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, Shenmue is not a game for everyone and I think that's the tragedy of it because I think Sega wanted it to be yeah but I I think we wouldn't have I honestly like pretty much any game that could say it's an open world game owes part of its structure to Shenmue yeah I think so many games on the Dreamcast have rippled out and are, are still still relevant and some of their DNA still still shines through I think honestly everything you just said about why you like Shenmue 1 tells me a lot about why Shenmue 2 is your favorite over the first one because there's a whole I think I think the whole aspect of Shenmue 1 that I really connected with and the reason why I liked it more than the second one specifically is a lot of the like the incredible attention to detail of the open world right yeah. like the fact that every single NPC there's there's a day and night cycle. They all have their own little uh, routines that they're going through like on a oblivion. daily basis. There's, uh, I think, one of the more famous things that we were just talking about yesterday, but this idea of like every single day. So it takes place in the 80s. Every single day has a different weather pattern that is literally based on the actual weather in that actual town in the 80s. Like Yu Suzuki and the team went and looked up what the weather was on every single day that you would be playing through Shenmue and like made the weather the same. Things like, you know, pressing a button and like seeing through Rio's eyes needing to look at you know, actual physical maps on the wall to figure out your way around the town. I just found that I got so lost 
in Shenmue in a way that they were forcing onto me in two, which we'll talk more about with when we when we talk about two. But like two is a travel story specifically, and and the whole idea is that you're lost in a new place. But Shenmue one is more about immersing yourself in one place and and getting to know it as best as you possibly can. Where I thought Yakuza really ran with that. Yeah, you know, with to- I mean, still same. to this day, it's, right. it's you know, it's uh, that that same district of Tokyo. Every single game, they just make it more dense as the graphical yeah. fidelity gets better. They're like, oh, now you can go in this building and this building and this building, but everything you knew and loved about the last game is still present. Like, that's a brilliant thing. I think I think Shenmue 1, weirdly enough, tackled that, you know, back in the year 2000 to great effect. And I think for me, I just found myself almost transported back to like nights in high school walking around our hometown that we grew up in hmm. and having this feeling of like, I know exactly what's going through his head. You know, I, I know exactly what I would do in this scenario. I know exactly, you know, which person I would want to talk to, which places I like to hang out in in this town. Like, I just found myself so immersed in that space that as soon as, you know, that game, I don't want to spoil it, but obviously in the second game, as you mentioned, you end up in Hong Kong. But like the end of that game is real being like, this town is too small for me. I need to move on hmm. the same way like most people do in life. You yeah. know, when they hit a certain age, they're like, yeah, I grew up here, but that doesn't mean this is the only place I'm going to live forever. Hmm. You know, unless you're like born and raised in New York, Brooklyn, baby. But like, um, (laughs) but I think most people will resonate with that feeling. And I think at that point, I knew the ins and outs of the town so well that I also was like, I am a little bit itching to like move on and do something else. And it wasn't until I started Shenmue 2 that I realized how much I missed that space. Mm, I I think weirdly enough, starting Shenmue 2 and being in like a completely like foreign atmosphere for me was like, oh my God, I just, I just want that sense of like hometown and community again. And seeing like NPCs evolve and change throughout that experience was so great. I I think like, you know, the story is important in Shenmue. And I think having that sense of place and that sense of character to like kind of ground Ryo and, and teach him that revenge isn't the only thing that matters. But there are some people who like take advantage of that from him also yeah. and push him into it in ways that are like really unhealthy and bad and dangerous and like will probably be the reason he dies. You know, at least that's probably what they're thinking in the moment. All of that I think is really great, but it is the overwhelming sense that they took that budget and put it into making it feel as real as they possibly could in the year 2000 that really stands out to me every single character is voice acted every single character's mouth moves and matches the dialogue like five years before anyone tried doing that on the ps2 like the amount of things that shenmue uh that shenmue was able to accomplish on the dreamcast that we wouldn't see for years and years to come lays a blueprint for so much of what we love about video games but on top of that i think even if you were to remove all the like the technical artifice of the game at its core, the thing that resonated with me so much was just like the emotional center of the hometown and the emotional core of like, I live in this small place and something very big is happening Uh, and and needing to explore and learn the ins and outs of like every single store, talk to every single person, like get good at Sega games, get good at darts. (laughs) Occasionally like... I love darts. Darts uh, darts is great. Occasionally getting into combat with people, like it just added to this, this like kind of like Seaman, this like dream realized of like, I do feel like this person living in a separate place. Mm. My, my experience, I played through all of Shenmue. It was like one of the only games that I was like, I am going to finish Shenmue no matter what I do. When we're prepping for this episode, I will finish that first game. We'll see about the second one. But like, I definitely want to at least see one of them all the way through. Mm. Um, I just, I thought it was like a really, really, really incredible experience. That is not to say that there aren't drawbacks. Obviously a lot of that stuff is, as you mentioned, like ahead of its time in a way that's not good. Like, yeah, 
technology wasn't there for some of that stuff. Yeah. Mm. Some of the implementation also isn't there because it's the first time anyone tried doing it. Yeah. Um, but at least, you know, coming at this from an almost like scholarly angle, you have to appreciate that ambition in a lot of cases. Yeah. You have to appreciate so many of the swings that they took because some of them land and are still the way we do it now. And some of them are like, obviously, in a couple of years, somebody's going to figure out a better way to do this. And some of them are like, they succeed in a way that still makes Shenmue one of a kind. Like yeah. as much as this is like the blueprint for a lot of modern open world games, like that lack of urgency and that focus yeah. on place is not super common. It's, mm. I mean, even to this day, there are so many games that are open world games. I, everyone points out Fallout 4, but it's like maybe the best example ever of like a game where its main plot is so dissonant from what it is asking you to do yeah, it's very on a moment to moment basis, right? The, you wake up, you watch your baby get taken. And the next thing you know, you're like, I'm going to be a private eye for a bit yeah, and investigate something that's not who stole my baby. <laughs> right? yeah. uh, where Shenmue, everything for better and for worse is deeply consistent. Yes. I mean, that, that makes it feel like and I, I do think one is the more focused game yeah uh i as much as i prefer to i mean and it's worth noting they were meant to be one they were meant to right. be one game yeah it's it's like a golden sun it's like golden sun exactly yeah. but i i was really i mean as much as i i i prefer to like I also love one. I remember I tried playing this game years ago and all I remembered was knocking on doors and hearing perhaps they're out. Like that was like, <laughs> but I also remember being kind of like intrigued. Like there's, there's a lot of intrigue in the game. It looks incredible. Yeah. There's a lot of like anticipation. And I do think that that does pay off. I think if you meet this game where it's at, it can still be a pretty profound experience. It's definitely not for everyone. I, I get why someone would, would be bored. By I wouldn't it. recommend it to most people. Yeah. <laughs> I had, I had a profound experience. I think, I think like you really, really, really need to go in and commit yourself yeah. to having one, to have one. I would say if you're interested in game history or a big fan of Yakuza, I think it's a must. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's really like it's kind of like cilantro. Like, I don't know if it's going to taste like soap to you or not. Yeah. One of the one of the things I did uh, as soon as I wrapped up uh, Shenmue one was go and play Judgment again, yeah. um, which is a game that I haven't finished, just to be clear. And I still haven't finished it, but I went and played like half of it this time. So I was like, this this is a franchise inspired by Shenmue doing a spinoff that is not too dissimilar from Shenmue in that it is like a really down on his luck like fucked up guy who decides to get into investigating a murder you know yeah. um, and it is amazing how much of that game still feels like Shenmue to this day. Like yeah. it obviously like the graphics are better. The voice acting is better. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that just is better objectively about judgment, but it still at its core feels like a child of, of Shenmue's like glory in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, and, and I think the more games I play after this experience, the more I'm going to start seeing Shenmue like pop up here and there in other open world games I'm playing. Absolutely. Which I think it's so cool. Yeah. Um, but at its core for me, like really I'm just a sucker for like hometown dramas like that. Yeah. And, um, and having a game from the year 2000 fully realize the hometown drama in a way that I think a lot of games don't, I don't want to say don't have the like ambition to do, but there is, there is a certain ambition in having the game be quiet, have, yeah, right. spending so much money on a game that like for the most part isn't exciting hmm. is actually kind of beautiful. And it feels to me, I was, I was talking to a friend Dom about this yesterday, but it feels like one of two games I'll talk about on this episode that like, if they made a criterion collection for video games, I would put this in there. Like, I, I think this is one of those games that just has such a clear artistic vision. It was realized so well that 
to this day, I just don't think we get games that are are as on the nose about being smaller stories that are really self-contained and really just like beautiful and trying to recreate realism. I love like I loved getting lost. I love yeah. just like hanging. I loved like getting to a place too early and needing to wait like 15 minutes. Yeah. Like weirdly enough. That was all added to the experience, even though a lot of the reviews I read, I think rightfully, again, would knock on that stuff. The fact that like you can't just sit and wait, you know, like there's not like a button you can press like in Skyrim or even Shenmue 2 to like just pass some time. It's so funny how quickly they took some feedback in Shenmue 2. (laughs) But all of that stuff that I think like... All of that stuff that I, I think doesn't work for some people just happened to work for me. The reason I think of Red Dead 2 as well is that that game was yeah. trying to give systems for everything. Yeah. And some of them do really work. Mm-hmm. And some of them feel like, again, if it was like a, a D&D, it feels like a dungeon master following every rule in the player's handbook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, did needing to clean my horse really add to the experience? Yeah. That's not even one of the ones I, I kind of like that one, honestly. Yeah. But it's like, it kind of feels like this stuff is in here because they could brag about it, mm-hmm. not because it's adding to the experience. I mean, I, I think Death Stranding is a good example of a game where like all the systems that are there are to aid a central idea. Yeah. And I think Shenmue, as, as messy of a game as it is, all the pieces were there conceptually to aid that feeling of home. Yes. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think I think that's the biggest thing for me. I think Death Stranding and Red Dead are two great pulls on opposite sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Red Dead 2, I finally got into, I think, earlier this year and really just didn't have the experience that I wanted to have. And I did find that in Chenmu. Yeah. I, I really did find that every single thing, even if it was like so cumbersome and so like superfluous and a thing that every single review dunks on i was like this does make me feel more like this character in this space than you know fucking gun cleaning in red I Dead. also i think there's something to be said too about- that's not just to be clear that's not why i'm there in red dead yeah like, right like red dead is about the story shenmue is about immersing yourself in a space right it's the, the story almost comes second to the atmosphere yes there's something to be said too about And I think Yakuza is more explicitly kind of saying this, but I think like Yakuza and Shenmue give you a open world or at least like a city or town to explore and interact with almost fully peacefully. Yeah. Like your connection to the place is rooted in relationships and in helping people Yeah, in a way that like Rockstar is the total opposite. And there's a place for that. I don't like, I think Vice City is a great game. I I think like (laughs) Mm -hmm. there are times where you want to play some city where you summon Godzilla. Yeah. You know, like I think that like that's a totally different experience experience but weirdly and I, I think red dead 2 is also a great game but it's like it really is about what systems are in place to aid the experience you want to provide yeah and i think we've said that already some just to be clear some people that did click with them with red dead 2 and like i, I yeah. think i think similar to my experience with shenmue like even though the story was supposed to be the forefront of that game it came secondary to the amount of immersive stuff that was going on yeah. in that game I, I know our friend kim shout out to kim loves red dead 2 for exactly that reason so yeah. i don't want to detract from that and those systems exist to let you play that game the way you want to like if you want to just make that a hunting sim like yeah the game is waiting for you you know so like i think that that like i loved playing texas hold'em in that game you (laughs) know so yeah i had a great time with red dead too but i think it is weirdly kind of a game that came to mind a lot while playing this would you believe it steven shenmue is one of my five games (laughs) i I was gonna ask i'm like why even ask it's clear
yeah, Shen- Shenmue was, was a great experience. And I, this is also, I do want to see through both of them. I was kind of doing a Godfather 2, like switching back between 1 and 2. I would not recommend that, doing that, yeah. to be clear. <laughs> uh, but um, I just, I'll say this, 2 is easier to play. I actually think yes, if you is. want to... Like if Shenmue sounds a little bit intimidating, but you do want to give it a shot, I actually think you could start with two. Yeah. You just need to know that Ryo, Ryo is on a quest for revenge and he just showed up to Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think there's something really special about one. And I like that they're distinct. I think it's intentional. Like you, you, you mentioned like missing home at the start of two. And like, I think that was absolutely the, the, it was the intention experience. No, totally. Yeah. 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 It just it just made me realize how much more I liked the first one. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, the other thing that I just want to shout out before we move on is uh, this game started its life as the virtual RPG and on the Saturn, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, you know, when they started developing it, it was supposed to be virtual RPG. And because of that, it has inherited a lot of virtual fighter yeah. uh, DNA in oh, terms of its combat. Cool. And it just doesn't feel as good as Virtual Fighter, unfortunately. <laughs> in one and two, like in both cases, like I j- it's just not all the way there. It really, again, like huge swing, very ambitious to like take the entire Virtual Fighter combat system and put it into this game. It just doesn't work as well as you'd like. Yeah, I will say though, and this might be a hot take. I love the Quick Time Events. This game does Quick <laughs> really? Time. Ev- yeah, this is also one of the. This first, is the invention of Quick Time Events. One yeah. of the f- first, if not the first. Yeah, yeah. it depends. I mean, some of them are annoying. Some of the ones that like make you do it again are a waste of time. Time. Yes. The ones where failing them actually changes what happens. Yeah. I love. And there's some oh, really cool. like there's a That's se- what I wish was more the norm. I yeah. think I wouldn't care about quick time events as much if it wasn't like, oh, you fucked up and now we have to reload the save. Yeah. Now you have to watch Lark. I, I played by through a sack of wolves. Yeah. Exactly. I, I started both of these games on the Dreamcast. And actually, uh you can get Shenmue one and two on modern consoles. Right. I had them on the Steam Deck. They play great. I played through the beginning hours of both of them on the Steam Deck. So I played through the beginning of both both games twice hmm. uh and there was a chase sequence in Shenmue 2 that I completely fucked up the first time yeah and it became a Jackie Chan comedy where like, it was genuinely funny that's like, awesome bumping into servers like helping them yes. as the kid gets away and it changed the outcome of of the story oh, cool. whereas when I when I succeeded at it on, on the second time Rio almost showed it like a darker side of him like he caught up to the kid and was like tell me where my backpack is yeah and I was it's that that's Mass Effect baby that's all <laughs> <laughs> that's branching storylines yeah man yeah. so i think i think when they're like that i i really enjoyed them yeah what yeah. i what i wrote here in my my notes for every game is just miracle <laughs> it's a dream it's a miracle a shenmue yeah one of your five yeah wow all right uh we're gonna take a break and eat some lunch and then we'll be back <laughs> with the rest we're of the year wait 2000 in real life fittingly after talking about shenmue and yeah, we're just gonna later. stop recording and then sit <laughs> And then we'll come back. <laughs> I'll say this real quick. There's a so one of the mechanics they added to help out some of the complaints about Shenmue One and Shenmue Two is you'll ask someone for directions and they'll be like, "I was going there anyway. Just follow me." <laughs> and they walk like in real time to that place. And I would often just like make lunch while that was happening. <laughs> so it's fitting we're gonna eat now. Wow. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, I think it's good that you're exercising a little caution about your internet use. Fire is a wonderful thing, but I wouldn't want to sit on a sofa made out of it. A place for everything and everything in its place. Isn't that how the saying goes? Well, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed this little chat about the internet. And we're back. We have had lunch... We also, crucially, have played Cannon Spike and yeah. Power Stone 
with yeah. AJ. Great Power Stone 1. Power Stone 1, specifically. Yeah. We only had two controllers today. <laughs> yeah. Great time. What'd you think? Great time. Amazing time. Uh, really, really, uh, Cannon Spike especially, uh, to me, encapsulates the, like, arcade, but you bring it home. Yeah, yeah uh, totally. Because it's, I mean, I said this to you, too, but it's, like, breakneck pace. Like, you're, you choose your characters, and then you're in the game, and yeah. then every, <laughs> there is no break between waves. There's a pretend just, loading screen. Yeah, yeah, it's boss after boss after boss. It's, uh, it's great. It's so much fun. I just yeah. looked it up now. It was an arcade game called Gunspike in Japan only. Oh, there you oh go. got it. Was it still the same cast of characters? Do you know? I have no idea. Huh. I've gotten one sentence into the Wikipedia page so far. <laughs> <laughs> Read faster. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'll take us back in to the next game. We yeah. Have. Yeah. Totally contested this one. The yeah. year 2000. So the next game we have here is Power Stone 2. <gasps> so here's the thing about both Power Stones. Uh, they're both great. I, I honestly think that this is a great series. I think it's tragic. We have not seen ports of these to modern consoles. Yeah. Because I think this is the closest comparison really is Smash Brothers, where I think it, it is a party fighting game. But yeah. like specifically it's it's the cosmic opposite of final destination no items fox versus falco <laughs> like it is all items all nonsense all yeah. the time and the uh the power stone mentioned in the title if you get three of the power stones in a, like basically it's an arena fighter items appear and the power stones also show up and if you get three your character will transform into something ridiculous <laughs> and you become completely overpowered yeah so power stone one is a little if i had to describe the distinction between the two power stone one is a fighting game first wild party item quest second yeah power stone two is not only the opposite but they lean harder into the levels, not just being arenas, but like games of them. Like yeah, they're games like on game show own. obstacle courses. Yeah. Yeah. Like every level begins with the announcer going, what's going on here? And then, <laughs> you know, it will suddenly transform into an Indiana Jones, like running away from a rolling boulder. Yeah. So the thing is, I think they're both great. And I can see I, I have a lot of friends who actually prefer Power Stone 1 over 2. I don't know what the consensus is. I just think to i think leaning into the chaos makes it more fun because mm. uh, i think one for me one is kind of at this awkward middle ground where like i think it is interesting that like when we were playing it was like the meta of it is preventing the other person from getting the power stones right but two i just think kind of removing that part of it and just being like it's gonna be all chaos all the time uh and, and also just the the levels kind of ask like they almost level the playing field by like giving you obstacles to get through. Yeah. I just think it becomes one of the best like multiplayer experiences on this console. That's interesting. I mean, look, I'm a person who prefers the first one. Oh, really? Over the second one. Yeah. Um, but I get all of those reasons for why you would prefer the second one. Yeah. For me, the fact that there is a little bit more of like a meta strategy and the fact that it's just one. On, I, I, did we mention that it's one on one in the first one? Yeah, it's, it's a one four on one player fighting game. Yeah. In the second one, even just like adding the ability to have two other characters on the screen I think adds to the chaos and then they add even more chaos on top of that. And then more chaos on top of that. Like that is fun. And the other night when we were playing with four people, like we had a great time. It was really cool. Yeah. But there is something to me about that first power stone game being a little bit more, I would say it's interesting because it's less focused. As you said, it is a little bit of like a halfway point between becoming a fun party game and also trying to be another fighter on the dreamcast. Yeah. But the game does still feel more focused mechanically in the first one to me than the second one, which Again, even though it is like just kind of like letting it all loose and letting it all hang out does end up making a game that is so chaotic that I have a hard time sure. actually engaging with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas especially 
and I think a lot of this comes down to just how we prepared, like sitting down and playing Power Stone one by myself. The first one is like more accustomed to uh, allow players to engage with that. You know, yeah. it's like a lot easier to play Power Stone one by yourself than it is Power Stone two. Sure. Um, but as soon as you have four people like screaming in an apartment, Power Stone two <laughs> takes the cake. You know. Mm, yeah. Um, I think you know this is this is one of those ones where we we have an honorable mentions list and we have Power Stone one on there also because it was obviously going to come up when talking sure. about the second one. And I feel like everyone would have this argument. I was talking to Dom, our friend Dom Nero, who hosts I Have the Duck, while while everyone was playing Power Stone two. We were just like hanging in the kitchen watching people play and. Uh, he leaned over to me and whispered. He was like, "I like the first one more." <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, me too." We can't tell anybody. <laughs> it really, it really is kind of like Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, where it's yeah. like one leans into the camp and one is more of a horror movie. Right. It's like it's really gonna hit people. I, I, this might be ways. because I am more. It's kind of ironic that I like two more because one hmm. is is the like more of a fighting game. Yeah. But the, I think it just. I think two finds out like. How does Power Stone exist alongside Street Fighter and Marvel vs. Capcom yeah. and all these other huge series? I just think it, it kind of finds its identity more in two. Mm. Um, but I, the good news is that they both exist and they both like, I, I think if they ever make a third one, which, you know, I would love to see, maybe kind of having versions for the two. Have mm, a one-on-one -on -one mm. mode, have a four-player mode. Totally. You know, kind of do what Smash Brothers does, where like you can play with items and spirits and like <laughs> have that completely unhinged experience, or you can have that, you know, more uh fighting game centric, all just pure mechanics, one-on-one -on -one and no and final destination. I was yeah. a no destination. <laughs> uh but yeah, I mean, both both games are great, and I think these these are also games I had experience with. Yeah, I also just I, some of the new characters in two I have a soft spot for. They're great. My guy Peter just absolutely broken. Yeah. Um, and Gormond is Gormond the, the chef, the chef that becomes chef. a dinosaur. Yes. Yeah. Incredible. The funny thing about Power Stone is that you can also get a bundle of one and two on the PlayStation Portable. Really? Which is such a weird place for them to be yeah. and live on. I'm, I'm so, I wonder, because I, you know, some of these games I kind of get why there aren't modern ports of just for like licensing reasons, but then there's stuff like this where I'm like, I don't know what's holding Capcom back. What's preventing this from being yeah. on the Switch? Mm -hmm. Like, because like they're, especially with the Joy Con situation, yeah. like it feels so built to be on the Switch. I, because Capcom is like known for being good about this stuff. Like they've ported Okami forward. We just yeah. got the recent ports of Ghost Trick. Like a lot of their library is very well preserved. So it stands out that this is just sort of only on Dreamcast and PSP. I do wonder maybe how well it's sold and maybe there's sort of an incentive there, but mm. I, this is one of the games that comes up when people say Dreamcast. Yeah. I feel like people have a very fond memory of Power Stone. This is also a huge, I think there's a huge like place for fighting games like this because mm -hmm. there aren't really a lot of like party fighting games other than smash right you know like there's a kind of a vacancy for that yeah so you know power stone 3 baby cross my fingers <laughs> the other <laughs> the other thing i'll shout out if you want a power stone 3 is if we ever do ps2 or gamecube as one of these episodes there's a game called tom and jerry war of the whiskers <laughs> which is a I, I didn't i didn't know this until i started playing power stone it is a blatant power stone ripoff Holy with characters shit. from tom and jerry it's like not bad that's it's sick. like not a bad game oh my yeah God. uh and it kind of works also because yeah. like the tom and jerry like very cartoonish like picking up these like you know like acme weapons to bonk each other over the head with and stuff weirdly fits very well with honestly the Power Stone. man this should have been multiverses i think they should they they, they <laughs> overthought Yo. it making it like a like a dota thing yeah i feel like um they could have gone full power stone with yeah them. Mm. wow why not? It's it's already Looney Tunes chaos. Yes. Right. Just fully embrace it. Right. Yeah. 
Anyway, shout out to Tom and Jerry wore the whiskers. <laughs> a game I I remember seeing an ad for in a magazine and and being like, I don't know, I'll check it out. And I got it like in the bargain bin like six <laughs> years later and played it on my PS2 with like I just invited some friends over. Could not believe how much fun we had playing that yeah. thing. Um in the same way, it was so funny to sit down and turn on Power Stone and be like, oh my God. It's just to- Tom and Jerry. It's just Tom and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tom um, and Jerry. It like. is funny though, like thinking about that, like we started with Power Stone 2 and everyone was really like like pulled in but it was also like okay but what's next yeah and that's when soul caliber came on and was like oh shit yeah mm. yeah this this is such a fun game to play with friends yeah i, I highly recommend both power stones uh two is is my personal pick speaking of fighting games we got another one next another two uh capcom versus snk2 mark of the millennium 2001 incredible incredible title um especially coming out in the year 2000 yeah, yeah. Wait, what <laughs> it's, it's like it's like a uh, sports game rules you know yeah. Oh sure. NFL 2K1 comes out in 2000, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, everyone was very excited for 2001 and 2000. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get this over with. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things about this game is that you choose right away, like if you want the Capcom or SNK art style. Right. Oh, all the characters cool. have both. Wow. But this, this is a really f- like there are there are a lot of crossover fighting games in general, but especially on the Dreamcast. Being able to kind of choose specifically, like. The game asks you to choose a groove, I think. And every groove is like a unique control scheme. Oh. So it's like if you want to have like, uh, there's one control scheme that's specifically all about parrying. And there are other ones that kind of cater to different play styles. But it, this is just like, it kind of has a similar energy to Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Not quite as chaotic, but it feels kind of equally celebratory. And it's awesome. I don't really have that much to say other than it rules, but I just, <laughs> I really enjoy this game. And it was cool to like, be fully on board without having like an affinity for half the cast. Yeah. So I, I just had a great time with it. The plot is very good. <laughs> the plot, the plot is literally just like a bunch of millionaires just start throwing money at the greatest fighters in the world to Amazing. like just watch them fight. And they all, and they all show up. Yeah. And they all show up. Uh, yeah. I don't know. This, this is also one of the fighting games that I turned on and immediately was like, Oh, I get why this is fun. Oh, I'm, I love I'm having a good time. Uh, and I played it more than most of the other ones, maybe except for, uh, Soul Calibur. Hmm. Wow. I'm glad this one clicked for you because I feel like it is on paper somewhat intimidating with like the control schemes and yeah. everything like that. I, I just love the background art in this game. It's so good. It's like yeah. shockingly Yeah, the music's yeah. great. Like it has one of the best presentations. <laughs> yeah. I actually had this on GameCube weirdly so I did have like oh, some really? experience with it. Yeah. I didn't know it was on GameCube. Um, That's cool. My friend gave me his copy and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Wow. But yeah, it's 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 amongst the best fighters in my opinion yeah yeah i think you know if we if we were to like just rank the fighting games like this is definitely up there for sure um wow up next i'm up exci- next this is all you man yeah this is so, a big one this this one landed less strongly for me but i'm really excited to hear because for full context like we each made our lists and then like we saw the crossover so you know for for metrics 22 of the 30 games we both had yeah so there's actually a lot of crossover yeah and then we looked at the games that each of us had individually and we're like okay what what do we want to make if we want to have an even 30 yeah what makes the list and d2 i did play and i do have i do appreciate and i'm excited to talk about it with you but i really want to hear this is the one you, you really want to make a case for so i'm excited to hear about it yeah this is the other game besides shenmue that i think if they had a criterion collection for video games <laughs> would be part of it this is very famously by a game developer by the name of kenji ino who uh is kind of like legendary for uh his very very kind of like outlandish 
ambitious artistic streak, hmm. uh, his almost like auteur vision in video games. And D2 is, I think, really up there. It's a game that I, I had started playing. This is like also kind of late into me playing through all of these Dreamcast games that yeah. I finally pick up D2. Because honestly, every time I turned on my Dreamcast and like got to D2, it's like six discs. I was like, what? It's intimidating. It's a lot. It's just yeah. like, it's literally just like red font D2 and like, like, a, like a blonde woman's face on a white background. And like, that's it. I was like, I don't know what this game is at all. <laughs> Um, but I eventually turned it on. Shout out to uh, Kurt over at uh, GameSpot, who has a show called The Kurt Locker, where he uh, made a video of himself flying to Japan to try and get a, a used copy of this game for like under $500. Jeez. Um, and just hearing his appreciation for D2 really made me want to like kind of lit the fire under my ass to check it out. It is, in my opinion, and uh, this, this is not to put that game down, but it feels like everything that Resident Evil Code Veronica is trying to do mm. with a more like somber understanding of cinema in a lot of ways to me <laughs> yeah. this game feels a lot like a precursor to things weirdly like uh naughty dogs recent bent like uncharted and specifically the last of us mm. sure, it yeah. feels a lot like a precursor to what kojima started doing with things like the later metal gear solid games and uh definitely with death stranding mm -hmm. this is a game that very much takes its time has a lot of cutscenes. Uh, which again Ooh. were like kind of new at the time. If we're going to the first D was an FMV game, right? Yeah, I think mostly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and th this game is not, but this game, like uh, Code Veronica, you know, takes place in kind of like an Arctic, like tundra yeah. kind of space. Um, the thing is, though, the game opens with uh, a bunch of people flying on a plane that gets struck by lightning and it land like it crash lands um, and you land in like an Arctic tundra that ha kind of has like the thing energy. Um, but there are there are zombies, you know, there are like really grotesque, horrible zombies. And honestly, some of the some of the enemy design in particular, like still really hits to this day. Yeah, I think it's, it's really unsettling, really unsettling, especially yeah. in that first cutscene when like it's just the the um, like two of the main characters just kind of like hanging out in a cabin and they hear a knock at the door and they're like, oh, there's another survivor. Thank God. And they open it up and this guy kind of reminds me a lot of Resident Evil 4, honestly. A guy just kind of explodes into like a plant monster. Mm. Um, and, you know, similar to Resident Evil, you have like almost no ammunition to take care of it. And weirdly enough, the combat is very much like House of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, the combat, as soon as you get into combat, it ends up being like a light gun shooter, which I think is a really fun way to circumvent the specific problems that I think... I played Resident Evil 2, 3, and Code Veronica. Not all of them, obviously, but like I, I played enough of them to like get the vibe for all three of them on the Dreamcast. And I think finally getting into that era of Resident Evil after, you know, starting with four, playing five and six, uh, seven and eight, and then going back into Resident Evil four um, remake and stuff. Um, I had never really had that experience with like the tank controls, like early Resident Evil stuff that really, you know, clicked with a lot of people and going and playing those games while I can appreciate them. I had to acknowledge that the controls just like didn't feel good. Sure. And I would rather be playing the remakes of all of them, um, which we'll talk about um, <laughs> with with D2. I didn't feel that literally at all. Like same, same like tank controls for movement around a space, but it, the idea of getting into combat and turning it into like a light gun arcade shooter. Also is, weirdly like random encounter battles. Random encounter yeah. battles like an RPG. <laughs> like there's yeah. so many interesting elements to that game that I think shouldn't mesh at all. But because there is such like a, a prestigious artistic voice behind all of it, it somehow does coalesce into, I think, a really holistic and well executed experience. The thing that really clicked for me, I don't know why this was the thing, but uh, a little ways into the game, you get a hunting rifle. Uh, did you play far enough to get this? Yeah, I had, I had that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. You, can, you can start to uh, snipe 
wildlife in the world like the rabbits and stuff yeah because yeah, you have yeah. a limited amount of um they're they're like healing sprays very similar to resident evil in that way that you have yeah. like healing sprays that you can carry i think you can carry like three of them at any given time but if you engage with the hunting mechanics you can store as much like game as you could possibly hold like there's just like unlimited essentially um and it just really encourages like if you want essentially an infinite wealth of 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 health uh to back yourself up you really just have to like sit in the spaces in silence you know with the snow blowing all over the place and like wait for a rabbit to show up somewhere way in the distance and then try and snipe them which uh, you know is difficult with the dreamcast controller (laughs) um but if you engage with that system enough you start to kind of like shenmue kind of like seaman you start to have this like i'm here i live here this is my Hmm. space i should also mention i played most of these games like with headphones on oh Um, yeah and i imagine that helps a lot this game has i think really great sound design yeah the voice acting is like surprisingly good also um one of the voices uh i think kimberly is voiced by the same actor who plays ashley in mass effect oh shit yeah Uh, wow that's cool i I was i I recognized this voice and i looked it up yeah Yeah. i just think this game like really kind of has it all and is very ambitious and like sticks almost every single landing i think you know some of it is a little bit campy some of it i think for some people will be a little bit more outlandish than they will click with Mm. um but i think it's another game where like if you are along for the ride if you are like i just i just want this game to impress me and and show me some stuff that I never would have seen before. I think D2 is like a really, really, really great example of what this console is capable of and also what this console's library is capable of. Again, like you said at the top of the episode, in terms of just giving really creative, really singular voices a shitload of money to achieve their yeah. vision. <laughs> D2 is that. And it's also, I think, famously the last game he made before he passed. Oh, that's sad. Um, wow. It's good. I like D2 a lot. I love that. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Like, it didn't come to a hole for me the same way. Mm. I found it to be a little bit more disjointed where, like, I really loved the dialogue. Like, when you get the gun, there's a whole scene about how there's no such thing as an absolute predator or prey. And I'm like, what video game on the Dreamcast <laughs> specifically has uh-huh. given the player a gun and said poetry? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, like, I, I really enjoy the dialogue and and the cutscenes genuinely feel cinematic. Then there's also kind of like a point and click aspect to like exploring and like interacting with the spaces. Yeah. Every single, uh, every single like health spray that you pick up has its own individual animation and cutscene. Every yeah. single one. That what? might've been what got to me. Cause like it takes a while. Oh yeah. I, they, they, <laughs> yeah. they all take forever. Yeah. They yeah. all, they, they all take like at least four seconds and like, I'm not an impatient gamer, but yeah. it did, uh, adds up it, it does add up <laughs> yeah so i think i guess i never really got a clear sense of like like none of that's a deal breaker but i'm like well what is the reason i'm playing mm-hmm. and it sounds like for you it was the immersion like it yeah. was like i i didn't find that myself but i did really appreciate all the discrete elements and i'm really glad it's on our list because i think it's absolutely worth checking out it is truly one of a kind yeah yeah i, I think it's a really special game um yeah. and i i think in a you know resident evil 2 and 3 have gotten remakes we'll talk about code veronica later specifically like that game needs a remake and capcom is talking actively about it getting remade like Mm. as of this week weirdly that we're recording it came up (laughs) in like an earnings call so it'll probably happen d2 is a game that is like i think completely lost to time yeah we'll never get a remake Mm. people aren't talking about outside of like i guess kurt on GameSpot. (laughs) you know um but I'm, i'm glad to have had that experience yeah, I, I think just having the ability to play an original hardware and kind of seeing like what the vision was at the time is yeah. very special. Yeah. D2. Yeah. Up next, 
Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver. Uh, I'll give a shout out to our friend at GameSpot. <laughs> shout out to Tim <laughs> Morrison, uh, who I think is frequently wearing Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver shirts <laughs> in so. a lot of the the video stuff he's shooting. Anyway, um, Legacy of Kane is a game that I was excited to check out, like mainly because of Tam's affinity for it. Also, and I'll I'll say this, and sorry to Tam in advance, it didn't like super click for me. Sure, but it's I think it plants a lot of seeds for a lot of video games that we play today um speaking mm. like talking specifically about like d2's connection to things like the kojima productions and and like the last of us specifically with naughty dog legacy of kane soul reaver is by amy hennig who produced the uncharted games at <laughs> oh, naughty wow. dog um and like is one of her first like big huge triple a like story narrative platforming games it's like a demonic hack and slash i think it's like really effective at some things i think like the voice acting is unbelievable every cutscene is like a dream because uh, <laughs> if you look dear listener i highly recommend go on youtube watch the opening cutscene for this game it's very long and the voice <laughs> acting is bizarre and it, <laughs> it rocks yeah, you play this guy named uh, Raziel who gets killed by Kane, the titular Kane. It's, you know, a quest for revenge um, and has some, like, interesting combat mechanics, has some, like, of the the uh, puzzle-solving kind of stuff that we would see, like, even in Uncharted 1 and I think is, like, a little bit cumbersome in the same way it is in Uncharted 1. But all of that said, it is, like, one of the more beautifully art-directed games, I think, on the Dreamcast. I had a good time with it until I didn't. And that's kind uh. of the big thing for me is, like, I was enjoying myself until I started to hit points where the game was asking me to do more than I felt like I could with the controller. Some mm. of the controls are a little bit clunkier than I want them to be. As we've mentioned with a lot of the games that I have been like just heaping praise onto, I am very patient when it comes to some yeah. of the Dreamcast stuff. <laughs> yeah, your your top five suggests that pretty yeah. heavily. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Legacy of Kane, I was having some real issues with, and I kept asking myself, like, is there a better platform to be playing this on? And I actually I don't know if there is. I don't know. I didn't. It's actually this up. one of the. So this is actually one of the very few. I think it's the only game on our list that I haven't played. Oh yeah. Hmm. I at a certain point I wanted to prioritize my time playing more of the stuff I knew was on it. Yeah. Um, and I saw that this was like a, it was a console wide release. It was yeah. on everything. I do think the Dreamcast version was like the best received if memory serves. Yeah. When I looked it up, I saw a lot of people say that it is at least the best looking fidelity wise. Yeah. But I don't know if like maybe playing it on the, the PlayStation one, having a second analog stick to control sure. the camera would right. help like dramatically. Cause yeah. even as early as like a half an hour in, I was going through the tutorial and it was like telling me how to move boxes and stuff. And I could not find the box it wanted me to move because the camera wasn't rotating in a way that was showing me that box. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, yeah, <laughs> which uh, bummed me out. But I think this game really does feel like the the blueprint for a lot of what Sony is doing specifically in the AAA space these days. And yeah. what, you know, companies like EA are doing with like the the Jedi Survivor stuff. Like it just really feels like the the precursor to Jack and Daxter, the precursor orbs. Uh, <laughs> precursor legacy, whatever it's called. I think it's legacy. That joke almost landed. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. It was a good joke. No, anyway, I, um, I I don't love it, but I like it, and I think it <laughs> it earned a place on a list just by being a game that I immediately recognized in a lot of the games that I would love that would come out like five, ten, fifteen years later. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a common thread in a lot of these where yeah. it's like, oh, this set the foundation for X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the part where Raziel says, I can't wait to tell my friend Nathan Drake about this. I think also really, <laughs> it was really good. It's that connective tissue, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, between. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uncharted <laughs> 1. Uh, well, I don't want to spoil Uncharted 1. Never mind. I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs>
I think you got to do this next one. Too. Oh when I said uh, there's actually two here, I haven't played any. Brendan, you looked one. like you got scared by seeing this I think on the list. I did. I just, got, I just got yeah. jump scared. I forgot. This I is the first jump scare. I forgot I forced this one on here. Yeah. <laughs> this is so funny because, as Stephen mentioned, we we had a list. We we compiled them. We had 22 games that overlapped. And then we had like a, a brutal session where we had to cut all of the remaining games from both of our lists down to eight to decide which eight we're going to make it on to round out the 30. And yeah. I was like, <laughs> I demand Frogger 2, Swampy's Revenge, <laughs> make it to this list. Rip, rip Ground the Legends. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> my God. Peace. Green uh, Archer. Here's the thing. <laughs> Frogger 2, Swampy's Revenge. <laughs> Is the only game that I came into this experience already having played. I have right. I have played this game on the PC way back when. I had it on my gateway computer and Shut I up. loved it. And my argument for it is that I think it is better than Frogger. I I think Frogger <laughs> 2, Swampy's Revenge, is a better, more interesting game than the first Frogger. Frogger, I, I look back on with no fondness. Every time I sit down to play Frogger One, I'm like, "This sucks." Fuck this game. I, ha- I am <laughs> having a, I'm having a bad time. Oh, I jump on the alligator and then it eats me. That sucks. I just, I don't think it's fun. Frogger Two, on the other hand, mm-hmm. Swampy, Swampy's Revenge is in it. Who is? Okay, I, I'm sorry to ask for deep Frogger lore, but who is Swampy? <laughs> yeah, what's his and what's revenge? going on? Swampy is the alligator that you jump oh on in, Fro- in Frogger One, and it opens with a cutscene of Swampy old in a retirement home, deciding, thinking back on all the times that Frogger jumped on his head, and says to himself. I'm going to get revenge, hence the name, Wow! <laughs> and steals all of Frogger's children, take, takes all of his children, puts them in a big sack, and then trips and falls, and they get launched all over the oh universe. And uh, Frogger and his wife have to go on a journey to uh, find all of his children. So they're not even rescuing, yeah. <laughs> not even rescuing the children from Swampy. Yes. They're just rescuing the children that have been lost yeah, because of, of Swampy's if revenge. If you play the game enough, AJ, you unlock Swampy as a playable character God. who then helps Frogger <laughs> get his children back. That revenge oh was dropped God. quick. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they have like four or five cutscenes where Swampy's like, I'm the villain. Then he's like, I feel bad now. Um, <laughs> I did lose all your children. The aftermath of Swampy's Revenge. <laughs> yes. Frogger 2 Swampy's Revenge Jesus. Uh, is a game that uh, essentially has a lot of the same mechanics as Frogger 1, except they are all in these like handcrafted levels that feel like kind of almost Indiana Jones adjacent. They all have these like interesting traps and like different ways that Frogger can get absolutely brutalized. <laughs> I think, you know, like Frogger 1 is all about like, I'm going to, you know, not get squished by a car. And in Frogger 2, the first level is like, I'm going to not get run over by a lawnmower. And if you get run over by a lawnmower, it's graphic. Eek. It's a game for kids. <laughs> and it's horrifying. There's, you know, almost blood in it. Uh, it's wild. Jeez. It's a wild thing. But the thing that really uh, strikes me about this game, I was amazed to go back and play it and like still have a good time because yeah. I, I played it as a kid and was like, sure, I love this game as a kid. And I, I couldn't believe when I sat down to play it again, I was like, I think this is actually still very fun is there's a lot of stuff to unlock so many collectibles. Like if you love that kind of like early 3d platformer era of collectibles in, yeah. in games this one is actually really interesting because all the levels are grid based you know because frogger can only jump like forward or to the side or whatever you know it's like you need to make your choices very specifically that also means that the ways in which they were able to hide collectibles and like secret spaces and stuff is surprisingly like creative you know things like the the whole that just spawns all the lawnmowers that come across the level. Like if you can time it right and jump into that hole, there's like a whole second level Whoa. that you can hop around and like 
get a bunch of coins and a bunch of stuff like that. Huh. So I, this is like more of a plea for people who like things like, I don't know, Banjo-Kazooie and Mario to like go back and try this. I think there was a world in which this game was a bigger hit and Frogger was like still a game that people played and wow. cared about. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just very surprised that Frogger 2 Swampy's Revenge is like a game I like still. I, I was so shocked by it. Also, a lot of unlockable characters. There's a frog who's a robot. He's very cool. Uh, I love that. Is, I like it, a lot. is his name Frobot? I don't know. I don't remember what his name is. Okay. I really enjoyed. Did you ever play Crossy Road? Yes. yes. I, I really enjoyed that. I thought like yeah. that's kind of like a modern Frogger. I think I yeah. think Crossy Road is a more interesting version of Frogger than Frogger also. Totally. Yeah. Specifically, like, randomly generating the levels, having the um, the gachapon machine of, like, all the different dudes that you can unlock, and yeah. every single one you unlock also change it, like, reskins the whole game. Like, yeah. you got a Dracula, and now the whole place is, like, yeah, uh, like yeah. Van Helsing's who were throwing spikes at you. Like, yeah. that stuff was very cool. Yeah, I loved um, it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Frogger inherently, I think by being so early to the scene, is like, yeah, cool, like, great mechanics, and then Crossy road i think really like improved on that um yeah. even though it became kind of like a micro microtransaction hell oh yeah um, there are free versions now i think on apple arcade that uh, remove all that stuff and it's great oh that's awesome um but yeah frogger 2 swami's revenge i'm gonna get a lot of tweets people tell me that game is fucking terrible and uh i think that's fine are you? i will stand I by I think, I, honestly, I, think, I think you're gonna sell copies knowing or yeah no one will ever play it and this will be the last time people mention frogger 2 swami's <laughs> revenge this is Swampy's actual revenge. Yes. I am very happy that you had that moment of childhood validation. That's yeah. something yeah. that we had a lot with the Game Boy Advance, yes. where it was like, okay, I have a lot of fondness for like Advance Wars, but like, how is it as an mm, adult? And yeah. it's like, the answer is impossible. I don't know how Child Steven beat that game. <laughs> it was fucking hard. Yeah. And two, it rules. So it's cool to like realign with your past self in that way yeah and i'm glad you had that with swampy maybe in between the next section i'll show you what the cutscenes look like because they're horrible Please. They're i need horrible. to see they're so see bad <laughs> it's like early 3d they didn't even really animate that much you know it's just like they made the character models and then they just kind of flop around <laughs> flat shiny lighting yes yes it rocks i see it amazing that's frogger 2 that's frogger 2 swampy's, swampy's, revenge. Revenge. swampy's revenge yeah sorry <laughs> please put some respect on swampy's name okay next up or don't <laughs> he doesn't deserve it frogger frogger's the star God. he stole a bunch of frogs yeah okay next up is <laughs> dead or alive 2 yeah nice okay <laughs> That's sick. Um, so this is actually one that I that I kind of advocated for, yeah. and uh, I'm ex I'm excited to talk about because I think there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot to discuss here. Yeah. Um, I'll start with the positives. I think Dead or Alive Two, like mechanically, is the best 3D fighter on the console. Wow. Like, wow. I, I think it looks and plays like two generations ahead of mm. itself. Like I love Soul mm. Calibur. Obviously, it's one of my five. But like the animation work is the animation is incredible. Yeah. And it, like the selling points of the series, like kind of having the rocks, paper, scissor, like move set. And also like being able to like grab people out of a move and like the way it like flows. So thinking about the contemporaries too, like this is around the same time Tekken three came out, which I think is like the closest series in mm. terms of like, you know what they're going for. And I love Tekken three, but like this is significantly smoother and like more exciting for lack of a better word. Like mm. I love how the levels have multiple tiers to them. Like there's a level where you're in like a fancy like theater and you end up fighting in the seats. Yeah. It's something that you don't really see. Like there's kind of a version of that in power stone two with like the levels changing. Um, Tom and Jerry were the whispers. <laughs> 
and you also actually have it in uh, Guilty Gear Strive. But that idea of like a level having tiers and like the possibility of like moving to different parts of a level in a fighting game is still a pretty cool thing. Yeah, like it's it's you know rare. it totally ripped that off to great effect. I think because it worked really well for the IP was the Dragon Ball Budokai series. Yeah, on PS2 where like you'd punch mm-hmm. somebody so hard they would fly through a mountain, yes. just like in the anime, and then you'd end up like on the other side of that mountain. Yeah, right. Yes, I, I think this game is genuinely great. And I honestly, like, I, I'm a big fan of like the earlier entries. Like I like 3 a lot as well, which was one of the first Xbox games. Yeah. But I don't think you can bring up Dead or Alive without kind of addressing the stuff around it. And yeah. it's like, you know, I'll start by saying that like, talking about sort of like sexuality in games is a very sensitive topic and like i don't want this to come across like the ultimatum but i also think it's important to bring up you know i think yeah you can't not with dead or alive i mean like very famously (laughs) the like uh, much much talked about controversial boob physics yeah Yeah, right jiggle physics yeah Yeah. and that's because i've been thinking a lot about this because it's like I love fighting games and we've been talking about a lot of them. And as a genre, fighting games are at least like 60% hornier than all media. And it's like, well, why is Dead or Alive sometimes, why does it feel creepy in a way that like Soul Calibur doesn't as much? Right. Or like street fighter doesn't as much soul caliber feels celebratory that's yeah. and that's Conversely, the thing yeah and that's i i mean not that there isn't stuff to criticize there too but yeah. i was also thinking about street fighter 6 which is like a very sexual game yeah but i think the character design in that game the characters that are explicitly sexualized it's part of their character right it's not just for the sake of it right whereas i think i, I do think I, I like some of these characters i think ayane is cool like i think there's some fun character design yeah but it feels like the whole game wants you to leer at them and yes. that's the thing it's like the marketing of the series like there, I, there's a commercial for dead or alive 3 that's two guys going like i only buy it because it's fun and it's like everything about this series has been like obsessed with the idea of gazing yes that like i really think it shot itself in the foot and then you know at a certain point like there's a place for everything but i do think that like it kind of ruined its own reputation at a mm-hmm. certain point. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's a shame because this series, like I think should be alongside the greats. Like totally. I, yeah. I think that it's so much fun to play. There could be a celebratory version of dead or alive. I'm not, I don't think anyone is asking for like prudent fighting games only. Yeah. Right? Like I think, you know, as an artist too, like sexuality is part of all character design, even if it's not explicit. So I'm not like, I'm not upset at the idea of there being an attractive cast but it, it is it just sort of feels misogynistic and creepy. Yes. And the way Dead or Alive does it. And that's what really like this game would have been in my top five if it wasn't for those elements. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I will say uh, alongside that, this is a game that I, I did not get as into as I yeah. would have liked to. Um, but it is the most I, I would maybe argue the most Dreamcasty looking game yeah. on the Dreamcast. Yeah. Like if you, if you look at just the art of this game, it feels like it encapsulates so much of the era, like these three years that we're talking about. It just yeah. look it's so vibrant. The skyboxes are amazing. All of the stages, like they tried to do like lighting reflections yeah. off some of the like the like glossy floors. Like there's so much artistry in there. And I, I totally get what you mean that like this should have been one of the greats. Like this should have been a contender. Yeah, because they they really nailed almost everything except for that element of it. Yeah, and it's a bummer. 
it's a bummer yeah it's disappointing but i, I felt the need to add it just because i think it is a great game yeah if, you know and that's like a subjective comfort level if that's like a deal breaker or not it just it just kind of sags i think like this is even- this is the last one that's on the line too because as as you're mentioning like i remember those ads for dead or alive 3 specifically yeah. mm-hmm. and that's when they started to get into like the beach volleyball series yeah. and stuff like that like right. that era coinciding with you know the rise of spike tv and g4 and things like that like really just turned this like male gaze like hang out in your basement and play dead sure. You know, it's like so, and, and yeah. that's the thing. It's like if this existed in a vacuum, I wouldn't have a problem with it. It's like you yeah. know, if you just want to make a game with like sexy ladies in it, fun, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. But the fact that like this industry still has such a problem with inclusion. Yeah. Like games like this make people feel like it's not for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I mean, I have friends who are women who love Dead or Alive, and they were like, "This is the first game I played that let me kick ass as a woman." Like, it is like sure. early enough in game history that that's a thing. Totally. And I don't want to take that away, but I think what makes that bittersweet is like that wasn't the intended audience, right? You know, mm-hmm. the guys making this were like obsessed with teenage boys like giggling in their basement. Yeah. Right. You know, and it just like. I kept thinking about this. I'm like, why am I piling this criticism on this game and not others? But I think we kind of explored why. Yeah. You know, so uh, again, great fighting game. And I and I wish this series, there's still potential. Because I, I, I was going to check out Dead or Alive 6 to see like, what's going on now mm. like mortal Kombat. when did has, that come out n- like 2019 like recently i i steven i had no idea <laughs> yeah and it yeah. seems like it's sort of a one step forward two steps back where it's uh. like they definitely like toned it down like specifically with the costumes um yeah like you know kasume and ayane are like dressed like the guys are mm-hmm. which i think is cool but then there's a whole dlc marketplace of like skimpy outfits and to be fair i just participated in a chipotle promo code for street fighter 6 where we got alternate costumes for getting a burrito i did it so i'm like, ashamed but <laughs> but i think it, I, it for me what i've read about six and i still haven't played it maybe i'll get it on sale one day but it seems like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too it seems like they're trying mm. to grow up but also cater towards mm. the people that would like weirdly get mad about this right um, yeah, yeah. Like, and yeah. you know i wonder if eventually because I, I mean i love koei tecmo stuff like they produce incredible games yeah. especially like fighting games and, and like action games this series should be great yeah so that's that's kind of where i'll end it i think totally yeah. Um, that's dead or alive too. I one of your five add, games. Uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not. It's not. It's not. But I do love the opening theme song. It's like the most butt rock. Like <laughs> uh, it's it's incredible. Maybe we'll include it. Here it There it was. <laughs> anyway, next. So now we're getting into some of the games that I advocated for. Actually, I think the rest of them are. Yeah, I, th- I feel like you're going to take us through the rest of the year. 2000. Yeah. So year three, Swampy's <laughs> second revenge. Next up. This, this is a big one. Next up is Jet Set Radio uh, or Jet Grind Radio. As Depending it was on where you played it. Named in, in North America. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So this this is probably a game when you hear the idea of a dreamcast episode you're you're waiting to hear about this when people say dreamcast vibes they're kind of thinking about this game totally um which is interesting because i this is not the game that i associate with dreamcast vibes 
I feel like in my head, it's very like vibrant blues, skyboxes. I don't know. There's like a specific version of 3D that I think of as as Dreamcast and Jet Set Radio is just like wholly unique. Yeah. Like I don't outside of the music, maybe like I don't I don't think of it as like a Dreamcast game specifically. It is just its own incredible entity. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's a better descriptor for it. But there is no overpraising the aesthetic of this game. Yeah. Still, it is so beautiful. The cel shaded style is so cool. The graffiti art style is so cool. The music is absolutely incredible. It's ridiculous. It is safe to say this game is carried by all of that. Yeah. Um this this is one of the more disappointing moments in the Dreamcast episode. Uh, I was about to jump in and say this was my biggest disappointment. Yeah, you want yeah. this game to be like I I assume this is going to be like one of the number five. 1. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um and it's not a I I think it's a good game, but here's the test. I feel like a lot of people will say they love this game. Ask them how you play it. I don't know if they know. I don't know if they've played it recently <laughs> because the game is basically similar sort of to Tony Hawk Pro Skater, but it's not about doing tricks and it's not you're not given a short time limit. You're thrown into a level and you have to tag all the places you can spray graffiti and eventually the cops show up and it gets a little bit tenser. You have to avoid them. There's one cop with a pompadour who has a gun and he sucks. Great. Here's the thing about this game. The controls, I think they were really going for like a skate level of like, we want you to like really learn how to rollerblade. They're really rough. The jump is really tough to pull off. A lot of the game is really just seeing a route in a level, trying desperately to do it. (laughs) And then the cops show up and ruin everything. (laughs) Yes. Um, I just feel like the game was hard enough without the cops. Mm -hmm. The cops showing up really ruins everything as it always does. Um, But like it just makes this game so overly punishing Mm. when it should really be a little bit more of a power fantasy. I think like it just feels like one of those levers had to be tuned a little bit. That being said, like, Everything else is so good that I did commit myself to like kind of trying to power learning it. What I've learned about this game is that Uh. certain levels work way better than others. Mm. So some levels actually like got what the game was going for. And it is kind of thrilling when it works. Like some points where you can tag is just like you push the button and you do it. But then some require like a little bit of a quick time event. Yeah. And trying to finish that before the cops catch (laughs) you is thrilling. And like I got what they were going for. And I also especially like, and these are also challenging, but they're challenging in a little bit more of a fun way. After every level, someone will just show up at your hideout and be like, you seem pretty cool. Can I join your crew? And like, (laughs) they'll give you, you have to like do the trick they are doing. Right. And those I thought were a little bit more focused in a way that I enjoyed more. And I enjoy, I unlocked like four characters. I got like pretty good at muscling through this game, but I just, I, I really do think it's held back by the controls. I, I And I don't know if that's fixed because you can get this game on Steam. I don't know if maybe that's a little bit softened by just being either on Steam Deck or on PC. Yeah. And the sequel for Xbox, Jet Set Radio Future, I've not played in a long time, but I remember that being excellent. Like, I remember that being like, the dream realized is that backwards compatible like could i get that on it's weirdly unavailable oh. like you just can't get it so you know but that game is is i think that's the one to play personally but i did enjoy this game enough and it's so synonymous with dreamcast for me that i i felt the need to include it and i did put a lot of time into it i think once you kind of trick yourself into getting through the controls like i do see what they were going for i don't think they're bad by accident i think they wanted it to be like a steep learning curve but it's just too much and I think it's I think it's the cops adding to that difficulty that really 
really pulls it back. The big problem with this game for me is that Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 is also available on the Dreamcast. Mm. Yeah. And that is like maybe one of the best games. I think it actually is like one of the highest rated games ever on Metacritic. Like, yeah. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 is just like a masterpiece. Yeah. Even in that franchise. You really feel it. There's a level in, in Jet Set Radio where like there's a half pipe half pipe and it's yeah. like impossible to use mm-hmm. that's where it feels like this game maybe isn't fully working yeah um, it's it's really it's really amazing how you can have a game where every single aspect like if you were to break it down in i'm sure the way they were reviewing games when jet set radio came out actually was music, that was like graphic sa- yeah, yeah, sound yeah. yeah everything is 10 and then the game plays a six yes mm-hmm. uh, and and that that one aspect just drags down the whole experience it reminds me a lot of um of uh, what was that game with like the Mobius art style and the Japanese breakfast soundtrack? Sable. Sable. It reminds me of Sable, where like both of those games have such an incredible sense of atmosphere and art direction and music, but the actual core mechanics are just like leaving you a little bit hanging, you know? Yeah, I know some people who really clicked with Sable, and it always makes me curious to give it another shot. Sure, and I mean, same with it. Like I think this game does reward you sticking with it in some ways. Like I do think like trying to get through and see because you see more of the game and, and the most of the game is great yeah. you know seeing new levels hearing new music getting new characters uh all of that is incredible but yeah i i, I have to comment on the controls because it, it is hard to ignore yeah. the jump is really the killer it's just uh it, it really leaves you hanging in every sense of the word <laughs> oh, or just shit. on the ground next up is street fighter 3 third strike and it is also one of my five probably not a huge surprise um it's interesting because this used to be a hot take i feel like third strike was sort of the weird one for a long time because street fighter 2 was this like incredible moment it wasn't the first fighting game but i think it's largely credited as like making fighting games popular and there's so many different versions of street fighter 2 i i don't as a big fan of the series i don't even know them all every time i look it up there's more because that was you know before the era of dlc or updating a game so like every version of street fighter 2 just sort of tweaked the mechanics and add new characters like added one or two characters Um, right and they did that too with three actually so when three first came out i think it was uh like a new generation or something I have at least three versions of Street Fighter 3 on yeah, my Yeah, there are three versions of 3. Third Strike is, is unanimously is the, one. the yeah, one. Yeah. But even Third Strike, like when it came out, because 3D was such a new thing, the idea of a 2D fighter was kind of like not that exciting. Yeah. Have you seen Soul Calibur? Right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it, it, and it kind of makes sense. It's ironic, though, because now fighting games kind of having this like new era, most of them at least have fully embraced the 2D plane, even yeah. if they're in 3D. And pretty much only Tekken is like the big 3D fighter still around. Right. You know, I mean, Dead or Alive's still around. There are others. Soul Calibur in some ways is still around. But like Tekken is like the one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Street Fighter 3 Third Strike is by far my favorite Street Fighter. I think in some ways it's wow. like the perfect fighting game. Whoa. Mm. I, I love the aesthetic. This is similar to Jet Set Radio. Like the music, the sprite work, the character design, everything about it is like perfect in some ways you could see six is trying to like harken back to it a little bit yeah and it works in some ways but like it's hard to fully replicate and what's interesting about this game too is that again like when it came out it like did okay but people kind of 
forgot about it until years later. And now it's like universally considered the best entry. And one of the big factors of that is the parry mechanic. This game lets mm. you parry every attack, whether it's a super or, or not. Yeah. There's the famous moment at, at I think at Evo where uh, every Chun-Li kick is parried mm-hmm. uh, in the super attack. I've never gotten to that level, obviously, but like I remember, like I got into Street Fighter with Street Fighter Four, yeah. And around that time, I also picked up Third Strike on PS2, and I remember like I was mostly playing Four, but like for my friends who were also really into fighting games, we were all mostly drawn to Third Strike. There's something about it that felt so unique and so weird, and so like just again, the aesthetic was a huge part of it. But like whenever I go back to this game, like you can feel the difference like especially on the dreamcast like if you play any other 2d fighter and then go back to third strike it is like you're playing a completely different genre like it is so smooth and a lot of that is the sprite work like the animations but the le- like the skill ceiling of this game is so huge and like i think it is it does kind of have almost like a melee thing where like people have been playing this for so long they know like the full extent of what's possible <laughs> but yeah i mean it, the one downside and the reason why i was like maybe debating putting it on uh my five was like there the only complaint i have at third strike is that there's not a ton to do outside of just playing arcade or with friends but whenever i play it it's just like getting a little glass of like the perfect fighting game Mm. (laughs) like i just feel like smarter and better at things whenever i play this game Mm. uh i i love third strike it's kind of hard to fully explain why but i'm glad that it's just become like the answer like when you ask (laughs) a street fighter fan like what's the best one it's third strike and uh you know, it, it's almost so obvious that I was debating doing it, but like, where else would I celebrate this game? Yeah, here and totally. Now? So right. that's third strike for me. I will say, uh, I, this is now becoming a constant refrain, but I this is maybe actually the only game where I would just like load into into a match and just look at the background. Yeah, <laughs> the backgrounds are amazing. Yeah, like, and and are iconic. It rocks. It's really good. I I'm glad you had that experience. I do not, but uh, I I get the hype. That was that was my big takeaway from Street Fighter Three third strike was i was like oh <laughs> shit i i understand i understand yeah. why this game is i like think it's revered. a hard game to play in preparation for this episode without like an experience of fighting games and like you know, this is i think so too I, again i think there's a reason why it came out people are like oh that's cool yeah and <laughs> decades later are like wait a minute wait a minute that yeah. was i mean even again like talking about the party we had and, and sort of the room's reaction yeah when third strike came on everyone was like excuse me yes. what is this <laughs> it, it looks so timeless we were playing and our friend will went is dreamcast the best system ever <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um I just I, I think I think this game is is very special. So yeah. I, I had to put it in my five. Yeah. The uh another <laughs> I think uh our friend our other other host of Eye of the Duck, Adam Volerich, was here uh and said something to the effect of, What frame rate is this game, Matt? <laughs> Which I was like, that's how you know you got it. That's how you <laughs> when know Adam's you got Adam, asking the frame rate. Yeah. Uh incredible game. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love Third Strike. Wow. Another is that how what number are we at for you? Was that four? That's out of five? four, yeah. I only have one left. Wow. Whoa. Three and of them it's are fighting. Romancer. <laughs> Next up we have Tech Romancer. I love this game. Uh it is not one of my five. I think this is I think you and I are gonna have the exact same take about this game, which is like it's fun that they did it. It's fun that they did it. <laughs> this is a it, it, I think it's also Capcom, isn't it? It is Capcom. It's a mech fighting game. It's it's kind of like a mech parody game. Yeah. Like every character is sort of like a a 
parody of like a mech trope yeah mm. um but it's honestly like it, it kind of feels like power stone where it's i think it's meant to be kind of like a fun party fighting game i don't know like how dense it is in terms of like what's possible yeah you can you can start to like um customize pieces of the mech and stuff as yeah. you go through story mode and whatever like there there is a lot of customization to me this game feels like capcom has a lot of entries in the 2d fighting game genre and they saw what was happening with the 3d fighting game genre and wanted in on that Absolutely. And, and then made techromancer and it like doesn't work more than it does hmm. but is a absolute blast to play anyway it's so fun and also it's got a pretty involved single player like the story mode there's a unique story for every character yeah and they all kind of play out like the anime that mech would be from <laughs> yeah um which is a really nice touch i played through all of the game as wise duck the heavy are uh it's just a group of guys in the army yeah in this like weird like stout mech <laughs> and that whole story you're constantly given the choice between saying i am a human or i am a soldier and it ends with them all quitting the army and Whoa. being like we're gonna fight god and then like quit <laughs> the army hell yeah uh it's awesome i loved it it was great i mean i played a few i played a few others just to get a sense of variety it's a lot of fun i mean again i think it's kind of a tall order to stack up against other fighters on this console when you have something like third strike i feel like there are other games that are even going after what Techromancer is mm -hmm. which we'll get to i think in 2001 um oh, yeah but i enjoyed it enough and i think it's like not one i see a lot and yeah. i felt the need to shout it out because i think it's a lot of fun and i think also if you're a fan of like mechs and mech anime I think it would be a blast to just experience. What's funny is this game and the one that you were just alluding to, which we'll again talk about in 2001, both remind me most of a game that I loved when we did our DS retrospective, another under the radar hit, which was Inazuma 11. Yeah. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is about <laughs> Techromancer in particular that reminds me so much of Inazuma 11 and like level five in general and just like their vibe and, and the, uh, the like cartoonish atmosphere that they're able to elicit. But Techromancer is like really, I not not a game you see on a lot of lists but deserves to be shouted out absolutely it's i had a blast with it truly i mean i even other fighters i didn't see the need to like beat story mode and i was like invested in wise duck yeah i had a great time with techromancer final game of the year 2000 can Woo! you believe it uh this is also one of mine that i had to fight for uh resident evil code veronica it's just that d2 exists <laughs> no no no, no. I, I totally get it I totally here's, get it. here's the thing about code veronica i played this game for the first time on ps4 I think actually during Halloween, I did a spooky season stream. Yeah. Mm. I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I, the stream was also terrible because like it was my old TV and there was a glare and I truly couldn't, couldn't see, see anything. anything. Right. Yeah. It was a 45 minutes of me getting frustrated, having to start over and over again. It's a very hard beginning. Yeah. And then I went to oblivion instead. <laughs> it, multiple streams of ours have end when we play a game that's not clicking. We just go right back to oblivion. That's, yeah, that's just the default. Baby. It's like a, it's like a sea cucumbers throwing up their organs to defend themselves. <laughs> like we just go right back to oblivion. Wow. <laughs> okay. It's like I'm glad I, <laughs> glad I made the trip. Glad you here. are the one for my dreams. <laughs> Code Veronica, I was excited to play again because I, I know a lot of Resident Evil fans have a huge affinity for it and I wanted to learn why. Yeah. That's something you and I share where it's like, even if we already had a bad experience, if there are enough people that make a case for a game, we will want to be wrong. Totally. I have no joy in being the like, I didn't like it. Like, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I started Code Veronica again and I've come to the conclusion that this is the lost levels of Resident Evil. Uh, so for those who don't know, Mario is fun but also has <laughs> there are two mario Fucking 2s got him <laughs> got him 
<laughs> the original Mario 2, The Lost Levels, uh, came to the U.S. later, and it was essentially like a much harder version of Mario. Yeah. The Mario 2 we got was sort of a reskin of a pre-existing game, Doki Doki Panic, widely known thing. Um, Go listen to our Mario All-Stars episode for yeah. more on that. I bring it up because, oddly enough, this was supposed to be the Resident Evil 3 and oh. Nemesis was going to be the spinoff. Oh. And somewhere along the lines, it flipped. Um, wow. Because Nemesis is is interesting because that's a game starring Jill and the introduction of Nemesis, who's a recurring Resident Evil villain. Right. But the map is almost the same as 2. Like there, There's a lot of reused assets in Resident Evil 2 mm. in Nemesis. Mm. And I, I guess the idea was like, what's Jill been up to yeah. in the past game? <laughs> And Kovaranka was meant to be the third one. The other, the other big thing about Kovaranka is that while Resident Evil 1, 2, and Nemesis all have pre-rendered backgrounds, this is the first Resident Evil with a fully 3D totally environment. Totally 3D, and it looks good. It looks great, yeah. yeah. This game is, it really doesn't understand the masterful pacing of the first two Resident Evils. Uh-huh. So for context, like, I have a lot of history with old Resident Evils. Like Resident Evil 2 was my first one. I played a lot with my dad and like Resident Evil 2, like Resident Evil 1 famously opens in the mansion and the reveal of the first zombie is like a famous moment in like horror. It rocks. Resident Evil 2 opens in the middle of Raccoon City and there's like an outbreak and what that game is teaching you right away is like it's often better to run. Mm -hmm. If you try to take out every zombie in this screen, you're going to die. You just got to run to the police station. Uh, Code Veronica gives you that same amount of zombies but there's no lesson it's just like oh yeah this room has eight <laughs> sorry i don't know there, there are ways to like lock your progress in the first couple hours of code veronica it right. is brutal they mm. throw so many zombies at you they give you like barely any save points in the first hour it can be a <laughs> awful experience mm. but I just found it to be much more gripping this time. Like mm. it's definitely not like my favorite entry, but as a big fan of this series, I kind of got a better sense of what this one was going for. Uh, like there are some really inspired sequences. Like there, there are sequences of this game that made me want to fight for it. I don't know if you got to the metal detector. I don't know if I did. There's a part of the game early on where you you find this room and there's a metal detector. And they ask you to put everything metal in this container. Yeah. Otherwise, the wall shut and an alarm goes off. Yeah. So you have to constantly go through this hallway with nothing. Yeah. You have to give them all your guns, everything, mm. and come back. And like... That's awesome. The The way that develops what is a so... good idea. It's right? Oh, my God. Yeah. This game is full of stuff like that. If yeah. you can power through the beginning, there are so many sequences that like really showcase like maybe the pacing is off. But the like actual design of situations and like moments are incredible. I also love Claire. I, Claire was my first Resident Evil player character, so I like <laughs> this is like her game. The story is nonsense, and like it actually gets a little bit problematic in some of the portrayals later on. Oh, really? So like it is like not a game I can like wholeheartedly recommend. But I think if you're a big Resident Evil fan, it's absolutely worth checking out. And I think it's also begging for a remake. Yes. Like if any. That's my only note I wrote down for this game was excited for the remake. Yeah, (laughs) and I think it's a it's an opportunity for there to be kind of a fork in the road. Whereas if Resident Evil Four is like action first, horror second game, yeah, this can kind of be the opposite. Mm. But maybe use similar mechanics. I don't know. But there's there's an opportunity for this to be like the more horror centric 
Resident Evil game. I would love that. Uh, and especially, I mean, again, there's sort of like the thing setting in the Arctic. Yeah. Um, and there's also a use of light. That's something that I loved about the Resident Evil 2 remake is that like they just turned everything, they turned all the lights off. So you can only see where you're aiming with the flashlight. Thinking about Claire doing that in this game is is I, I would love that. That'd be very cool. This, we've talked about this already, but I, I've been impressed by 4's like reinterpretation of certain characters ashley and and and, uh louise specifically yeah and i think that like this game could greatly benefit from that as well (laughs) uh so you know i just i i I think it'd be cool and i think as it stands though it's this is also pretty available you can get this there's resident evil code veronica x on all modern platforms yeah just be prepared for like a really unforgiving first hour or two Mm. but i think there are some great moments that make up for it yeah I'm excited to, uh, well, A, play the remake of this, but B, maybe just give it another shot eventually. I think it's worth it. I mean, I think of all of yeah. this generation of Resident Evil, it's the one that I'm most likely to click with if I yeah. give it another shot. It's interesting, too, because, I mean, reviews at the time were like, this is the best one. Mm. Like, th- this does in some ways, even though I, I, I wouldn't fully agree with the sentiment, it does feel like uh, the ultimate version of the old school style. Mm. And maybe it's tough to capture because I think Resident Evil 1 was introducing the idea of the whole series. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to have a little bit more of like a Jaws pacing. And 2, you know, but I think 2 got it better. Like, and I mean, there's so many unforgettable sequences in 2. Like the liquor reveal, like the pool of blood and you see the thing on the roof. Ugh. Did you play two and three at all on Dreamcast? I didn't on Dreamcast, but I, I played them a lot on PlayStation mm. when I was growing up. I'm just yeah. I'm wondering. I'm curious uh, how they yeah how they differ. If you are out there and you played them, <laughs> let us know because I've only played them on Dreamcast and I don't know the differences. Yeah, <laughs> they looked nice. <laughs> I'll say that much. They look nice. They ran well. There are some sequences in Code Veronica, the cutscenes that I think are like one to one in some of the Resident Evil movies. And I don't know yeah. which came first, but that <laughs> moment when Claire drops the gun and then like falls and, and shoots, grabs it and shoots yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. That's in one of the movies, like yeah. one to one. Yeah. Uh, those movies are wild. <laughs> I love those movies. <laughs> Me I too. I've them in years. They but... were my first exposure to Resident Evil. Me too, actually. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Who made those? What's that guy's name? Uh, oh. it, I know it's not Wes Anderson, but it's Paul W. Yeah. Paul, Paul, Paul W. S. Anderson. Anderson. Paul yeah. W. S. Anderson. Yeah. 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 Wow. Amazing. Well, thanks, thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Thanks, Paul. Paul. And that's the year 2000. (laughs) Why don't we take a break and then we'll enter 2001. (sighs) Wow. A space odyssey, Stephen. A space odyssey. Exactly. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Turn off off the podcast, Hal. Is that that anything? (laughs) That was very good. I liked it. Brendan and AJ, the year is 2001, Whoa. and the Dreamcast has ceased production after <laughs> that star-studded year 2000. Frogger 2 Swampy's Revenge comes out. I don't know. I, like People just weren't lining up in droves to get Frogger 2 Swampy's Revenge on the Sega Dreamcast. No, you could play it on the PC. 
Um, I don't think we've mentioned this, but it should be like shouted out. You can you can go listen to our primer on the Dreamcast with Chris Plant. Thank you so much for coming on and doing that and telling yeah. us so much about the Dreamcast. But it is worth reiterating a little bit of that stuff, like why the yeah, Dreamcast yeah, yeah. like collapsed. Please. They made the horrible, horrible choice Sega did of uh, making it so the games were printed specifically on just regular CD-ROMs. They called them something different. They called them GD-ROMs, but they were CD-ROMs. And you could just like it was the the rise of CD burners. You could go to Best Buy, get a computer, and it had a CD burner built in, and you could just download an entire game, burn it to a CD, put it in your Dreamcast, and play it. So not only were they not making a lot of money because people weren't buying the console enough, but they also weren't making any money from the people who did buy them Mm -hmm. because they were pirating all the games because there was no copyright protection whatsoever. Those two things, I think, in tandem are like really kind of the death. There are a bunch of external factors. There's like other consoles that released. The the failure of the Sega Saturn kind of set the stage in general. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of external factors. Sega Saturn, other consoles. Final Fantasy kept coming out. They (laughs) Final Fantasy. Okay, this this has been the worst part of doing this episode. Is like that kept coming up in our episode with Plant. Yeah, he kept being like this, this, and this. Sega was finally getting this, and then Final Fantasy VII came out. Yeah, then Final Fantasy VIII came out, and like a lot of these RPGs that I've I've praised, Skies of Arcadia, Grandia Two. I imagine got buried by totally totally yeah exactly. like the minute that comes out that is a black hole of attention that is like the first fully voice acted final fantasy and isn't i love final fantasy 10 and i was one of the children that fully paid attention to it Hmm. but it's like i'm like why didn't people go crazy over the gamecube port of skies of oh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh that's why it's yeah i i just i just think the legacy of the Dreamcast is like super unfortunate timing problems all around the Shenmue problem, obviously yeah. was just like dumping buckets of money into making Shenmue the next big thing, which it yeah. wasn't. And then all the piracy stuff, it's like just so brutal. Yeah. Um, and but at this time too, a lot of games are being like a lot of these games that we're about to talk about, not all of them, but this is when there started to be like, okay, this game is coming out on Dreamcast and GameCube and PS2. Right. Right. Because at this point, GameCube and PS2 are out. Yeah. Uh, so it's like the, the Dreamcast also kind of came out to compete with the PS1 specifically. Right. And now too it's late in the PS1's life cycle. Right. It's now it's competing with the PS2 and the GameCube. Yeah. So, so I think in retrospect, the Dreamcast is like it's almost weirdly more impressive now than maybe it felt at the time. Right. In mm. some in some ways. Yeah. I, and all the games that we're going to talk about here are games that were like obviously already in development before they knew they were going to cancel the Dreamcast. Yeah. Sure. Um, so they just had to come out. Um, <laughs> and then we'll talk more about it in the next section. But like the next section are games that were, again, already in development, but took just a little bit too long. And then came out usually on other consoles. Yeah, and I have listed what they came out for, which will be interesting to explore. Let's talk about 2001. Games that were made just for the Dreamcast. still lives. It's still (laughs) chugging along. Kicking it off. Oh, my God. The first game we have here is Project Justice. Now, this series is known elsewhere as Rival Schools, which is a way better name. It is a better name. It explains what it is way more clearly (laughs) than Project Justice. I imagine there might have been some controversy about it being like high schools fighting or something. I have no idea. But this is a sequel to Rival Schools, which is a Capcom 3D fighter that came out for the PS1. Project Justice was so close to being in my top five. Mm. I just want to, like, I know it doesn't really mean anything, but it's like, this is absolutely one of my favorite fighting games and games in general on the Dreamcast. The reason why it fell short, I'll explain in a bit. 
But this game is essentially a group of teenagers at various high schools that are all in the worst misunderstanding possible and <laughs> fighting each other. The story is basically like this group of, of villains that are posing as people and creating feuds between these schools but what's so funny is that it is a 3d fighter but it also kind of has marvelous capcom 2 energy where you make a party of three and they do like moves together and you can tag out in between rounds and every character fights with whatever they're like interest is so there's a girl that like works with the school paper that fights with the camera she's one of my oh, favorites she's awesome. yeah uh, there's a girl that fights with the tennis racket who's like wildly overpowered <laughs> i love this one swimmer of the main kid. villains um the swimmer kid is so good the swimmer is that was like when when our friend dom was over he played as a swimmer and he did the move where everyone does a synchronized swimming motion <laughs> just like in the world yeah and that's when everyone in the room got kind of confused and left. But yeah. the people that were like in it were like, oh, this is it. Yeah. Uh, this game is so funny. It's so creative. It's really fun. And the big thing about this game is that we only got half of it. So with Rival Schools 1 and 2, there's a whole like persona side of this game where you make your own student Whoa. that goes to school and makes friends with the characters in the game and learns moves from them. Like Street uh, Fighter 6. Yes, exactly. Wow. And in my head, I'm like, now is the time to bring this back. Yeah. Like, now there's a whole market for that type of game. So, wait, where where is that other half? Did it get, like, It just cut didn't in? get localized. Oh, oh, so that did come out elsewhere. It did in Japan. It's not like a cut in development. No, though. it just wasn't localized. Weird. Yeah. So, it was, in the first game, it was sort of like a dating sim. But, like, you would, like, become friends with different characters and yeah. learn their moves. In the second game, it was like a game of life board game. Uh, cool. And like, I feel like if that was in it, this would be top five easy. Mm. I just feel like we're missing that big piece that kind of puts everything into context. Um, but as it stands, it's honestly, a, it's like a good mix of like Katamari strangeness, but like genuinely a great fighting game. Yeah. It's got a really rich story mode with like branching storylines and a lot of characters to unlock. And what gives me some hope is that in Street Fighter V, Street Fighter V famously horrible launch, <laughs> but like it's one of the few games that got saved by DLC because mm -hmm. Capcom just supported it so much up right. until Street Fighter VI. And one of the last pieces of DLC was Akira from Project Justice. Yeah. Her and her brother show up in Street Fighter V. Whoa. And with this whole weird mode in Street Fighter VI of like making a character, getting to know the Street Fighter cast and learning moves, I'm like, are they setting the stage for rival schools to come back? Yeah. Hmm. You know, or is Street Fighter VI just that? Or is Street Fighter VI just that? Are Maybe they we'll like, that was a good idea and we should do that. Why don't we do that with Street Fighter VI? They already VI? have like made the world of both games canon to each other. So yeah. like it's now canon that rival schools is in the Street Fighter world. So I wouldn't oh. be surprised. Which makes a lot more sense experiencing the story mode of Street Fighter VI. Like, <laughs> exactly. Learning more about that world's like yeah this would be there yeah yeah that makes sense there are also some street fighter characters that are in the first rival school so cool i think what's more oh, likely wow. is we might see like akira or some of the other bigger characters in street fighter 6 at some point That'd be awesome but i just think this game is so unique and so fun it's so funny and it's so difficult <laughs> and i loved every second of it so i i, I think project justice is 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 a must yeah. in your dreamcast journey I, th I think this is up there with canon spike in terms of like games that should be a huge deal still yeah like i even even somebody who like didn't have that connection with fighting games that i wanted to you 
can play Project Justice for like 15 minutes and recognize how special it is. And yeah. How, like completely left of center, every idea they had was because they just like they just really went for it. Yeah. Um, and it all lands. It all lands. It is so as you mentioned, it's so funny. It's so cool. I wish there was more. Yeah. And it's weird that there's not. Yeah, mm. exactly. I just that's just how I kept feeling. It's just like it's just weird that more people didn't rally around this thing. Yeah, there are, there's a very passionate fandom for it. Yeah, and I I hope that Capcom recognizes it in some way. So I think it's a great it's a great idea for a fighting series. If you're gonna make a sequel to Dragon's Dogma, <laughs> you can greenlight Project Justice. Yeah, whatever number or Rival on. Schools three. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, so that that's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, I'm glad it also worked for you. Next up is interesting. Next up, we got Fantasy Star Online. Yeah. This is also a big one. This is historically, I think, one of the most important games here. Yeah. It's the first console MMO, and it still is great. It's like one of the few examples where, like, the first of its kind got it really right. Yeah. I didn't get to play it online, sadly. You still can. You can play this game online on a Dreamcast. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing. This, I, this is my other, I think, big regret, along with like typing of the dead, yeah. like not being able to play that, is that I wasn't able to play this online. Yeah, but I, I still, I mean, it, it did seem like it was considered to, like they, they thought of someone who couldn't yeah. when they made the game because there's a lot of quests where like you'll be paired with an NPC. Yeah. And like there's little beats. This like is the big that. thing we have to bring up at the top is that there is a very rich single player version of the game if you can't play it online. Because I think they realized when the game came out, like, yes, this is an online multiplayer game, but we're losing a huge portion of the audience because not a lot of people had a broadband internet connection in their house in the year 2001 still. Yeah. That like wasn't a normal thing to have. You know, you sure. can plug it into a phone line, but obviously there are drawbacks to that also. Yeah. Um, so very smartly built the entire game to be capable of being played single player. Very mm-hmm. smart. And it rocks. It's great. It feels so good from like the character creator to just like the art direction to the music, like everything about it still really works. And I understand why there's a huge contingent of people still playing online today because I was having a great time not even playing online. Yeah, I, I it's really immersive. It's yeah. really charming. Like the, the hub world is awesome and easy to get around. Yeah. And like I was interested in learning more about the world. They reminded me a lot of the early hours of Final Fantasy XIV. Right. Like, Realm Reborn, I know, is considered Depending to be, on where you start, I think. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. I did start in the forest area. It's probably why I made the connection. Yeah. But Realm Reborn is, is, is one of the weaker campaigns in that game. But you and I loved it because it really eases you into loving the setting. Yeah. And that's kind of what I got from Fantasy Star Online, at least in the early hours, is like getting really gripped by this place. And getting to kind of figure out who my character is by extension of who they are helping and what quests they're doing. The combat's really simple. It's sort of like sci-fi Diablo in some ways. Yeah. I made a robot that had a giant gun, which is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and I know Fantasy Star is also like a huge series outside of the online games. Like this is kind of like Sega's sci-fi Dragon Quest. Yeah. This game was was kind of a surprise i wasn't sure how well it was going to hold up and i had a really really fun time with it yeah this is um i maybe this is a hot take I, i'm not sure but i have tried playing fantasy star online too because uh yeah. very famously phil spencer over at xbox like was a huge 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 proponent of getting that game ported and released in the u.s because it was very famously a japanese only mmo um and he was like i want it localized and i want it on xbox yeah uh, and got added to game pass you know it's like free to play Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, and like, just did not have a good time with it. And having that in the back of my head, I was a little bit dreading turning this one on because I knew this was like equally beloved and loved it. Yeah, I had a great time. Uh, I will also say, if you emulate this game, you can play it in widescreen in handheld mode, and that 
That's a Sounds great like a way to play any yeah. MMO. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. That's mm. awesome. But yeah, I, I also I appreciate how simple it is. I feel like a lot of MMOs tend to like like I, I love Final Fantasy 14, but whenever I turn it on, I have to relearn like eight different menus <laughs> and like the UI is especially when you start the game for the first time. If it was like you, your PS4 is malware, like it's just <laughs> too many windows <laughs> uh this game is very like, it, it, there's still a lot but it's pretty parsable once you kind of know what means what they took into account the fact that like there's you know you can't just go wild in terms of throwing stuff up in in the limited screen real estate yeah you know which i think was very smart of them yeah um and i i think in a lot of cases this is even more stripped down and even more specifically like a game considered to have been made for a console than a lot of MMOs that have now made it to console since. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think you're totally right. Which is it, huge. I, I That's yeah. just the thing I always think about whenever like a game that is an MMO is built for console and then comes out and looks just like it should have been made for PC instead. I'm like, what are you doing here? Like <laughs> what audience are you trying to capture? Yeah. 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 But th- this game was awesome and, and very, uh, it's very cool that people still play it online on a Dreamcast. Yeah. It's amazing. I'll take the next one. Yeah, let's do it. This is Virtua Tennis 2. I could sum it up in one word. Masterpiece. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, this is one of my five games. Yes. Every every single time we do one of these console retrospectives, there's always like a sports game that I just can't help but go back to over and over and over mm. again. I already talked about how Hydro Thunder was one of those. There's always a racing game. There's always a sports game. Go all the way back to like the Game Boy Advance episode. Uh, Mario Golf was that for me where like I just could not pick up the Game Boy Advance without just like immediately defaulting to either going to Mario Kart Super Circuit or Mario Golf <laughs> Advance Tour. Similarly with the Dreamcast, I would always just default to either opening up Hydro Thunder or Virtua Tennis 2. The first one, just to shout that out, it's pretty good. You know, I it, love it the gets all the mechanics. One. Yeah. Which it, is it's where kind of, it's at. It's a very silly Dreamcast problem that there's no women in the first game. Yeah. Where it's like, second game is basically more of the first and it's refined. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, They They add uh, way more way more playable characters, an entire like roster of women as well, yeah. thankfully. They have both the Williams sisters, which is fun. Amazing. And an entire incredible like world map and, and career mode that I yeah. was like obsessed with, especially it's a tennis RPG. It's really. a tennis RPG. And exactly. There's so many fun, very going back to my dreamcast prism of the arcade. Yeah. Like a lot of the training modes are like fight the tank. Yeah. With tennis. <laughs> There's going to be like a tank that shoots tennis balls at you on the other side of the court. Wow. Or better yet, just big bowling pins that you had to practice your serve and knock all the bowling pins down. The first one they have you do is uh, uh, not Galaga centipede. Yeah. The first one it's, it's just like centipede. It's just like, or no space invaders. I'm sorry. It's space invaders where you just have this like yeah. line of, uh, of machines that are like lobbing tennis balls at you. And you have to hit them. And if you can hit them with the tennis ball, it just like takes them out and you need to just clear all of them before they hit the net. Like <laughs> you're just playing this on a tennis court. It rocks. Yeah. Um, and then if you do enough of these like little mini games, first of all, you're learning how to get better at virtual tennis which rocks and on top of that if you play enough of them you level up enough that you can then like go into an actual tournament and actually like play against people which is what you're there for in the first place but what i love about the story mode being set up in that way is like at any time you can just go into arcade mode and just like play tennis if that's what you want to do which is what i did frequently and every once in a while i would be like you know what i think i want to progress a little bit more and i would go in and hop in and like do some of the mini games and then you know progress great time great time Love, Amazing. love Virtua Tennis 2. There's almost not that much I can say about it. Um, I think one of the more brilliant things about it is just like 
mechanically it's so simple yeah. you know it's like you press the a button to throw the ball in the air and then there's like a little meter and you just have to like hit it as close to the top as possible and that's your serve and then you just run around at the analog stick and press the a button to like hit the ball back and you can press b if you want to lob it but like for the most part it's just like so intuitive where you'll know in advance if your character can run fast and far enough and, and like the animations reach far are enough. incredible yeah <laughs> they have yeah. created animations for like literally every single way all of the the players can hit the ball. So you end up in what is like a weirdly hyper-realistic version of tennis that literally only worries about two buttons. Yeah. I think it's like miraculous. Yeah. Um, it, it was it. cool to experience too because my only other tennis game experience, embarrassingly, is Mario Tennis. Same. Yeah. I'm curious how like modern tennis games feel in comparison to this. Yeah. I was like, I was going to almost pick up a few just to see, but like, I imagine it's probably not that far off. Like I imagine the graphics are, you know, a higher fidelity, but yeah. like this game is is really miraculous. Like it really does feel like a modern game in the way it, it controls. Yeah. Um, which is a rare comment for the Dreamcast. <laughs> yeah. This is another one where like if you play it handheld mode and upscaled, like it could you could pass it off as like a really modern game. Yeah. Mm. Totally. Um but it I, I these the virtual tennis duo were like floating around my five. They they didn't make it, but we have completely different top fives then. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, so far. So far at least. Oh, you have one more. Yeah, so do That's you, right? I have one more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll see what happens. Anyway, should we move on to the next one? Virtual tennis two. Virtual Tennis 2. One of the best games. It's a masterpiece. It's one of those, I don't know, it's good games too. (laughs) It's really fun. That's the thing. I mean, the mechanics are so simple and it still feels like there's such a high skill ceiling and there's so much to master. With one button. Yeah. It's incredible. I feel like tennis and games have a very, I mean, you know, arguably the first game ever was Pong. Yeah. I feel like Mm, it's just like there's there's a really tight bond there. Yeah. Of all the sports, you know, that exist. Virtual Tennis, I'll also say this, uh, when you hit the ball, you can you know flick the analog stick in a direction that you want your player to hit the ball in. And if you are either playing against you know early on in a tournament where the character that you're playing against is like fucking terrible, or you just get good at it, you just are like messing with them, which yeah. I love. You're just like, oh yeah, run <laughs> over here, run usually? over here. Um, usually the Williams sisters. Oh, I, nice. I'll just like I'll just like close my eyes and go back and forth and pick one. Yeah, I like them. I also like Tommy Haas. Tommy Haas. With the backwards baseball cap. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, I created my own characters for the story. Yeah, mode. in the campaign, you have a custom character. Yeah, yeah. you have, like, four options to choose from. It's not really, like, creating a character, but it's no. Yeah. Also, <laughs> the, the the names default to man and woman. Okay. <laughs> Which I just left. I was like, sure, whatever. Yeah, why not? Man's playing tennis against bowling pins again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, we got Bomberman Online. Woo! Also, just an incredible game. Weirdly enough, the online component is not as crucial as the title implies. There's just so much to do in this game. Yeah, you you could forget that it's yeah. called that. I I have actually a, a long history with Bomberman games. Like I was Me as too. a kid, I loved Bomberman '64 and Bomberman: The Second Attack. Yeah, which are kind of like I've never weird. heard of that second one. Second, it's it's a rare '64 game. Ooh. It's pricey. Uh, you had a weird like Pokemon companion that would evolve over time and different elemental bombs. I love that. It was great. I Dude, actually don't know if it was great, but I loved it. Bring Bomberman back. Bring Bomberman back. But I feel like Bomberman 64 and Bomberman Second Attack were very much trying to become like a 3D mascot game of some variety. Yeah. Bomberman Online is fully embracing the multiplayer side of it. Yeah. So like every there are different levels and they each have various challenges and they're all u- very unique. Like 
there's the uh, I think the lightning area like they each have kind of a villain waiting for Bummerman. Yeah, and the lightning area is like kind of classic Bummerman multiplayer that you know and love. But then you have the water area, which is almost like battleship, where like <laughs> the bombs are actually like submarine torpedoes nice. that will blow up a little bit later. And it, it, this just kind of feels like the ultimate multiplayer Bomberman game. Yeah. My uh, only complaint is that it takes so long to start. And it's impossible. I don't think I've won. And, and also it's, it's impossible. It's so yes. hard. It's weirdly very difficult. Yeah, yeah, but it's really fun. I had it, a great time with it. It takes game. a full like four minutes maybe when you turn the game on to like get through the opening <laughs> cutscenes, get into the story mode, pick a level, load the level, start playing. Um, it takes and a really long time. And then you lose over and over and over and over and over and over again. I genuinely think this game is harder than Elden Ring. Like at least Elden Ring, I eventually <laughs> beat someone. I have not Elden beaten Bomb. a level Elden in Bomberman Bomb. Online. Elden yeah. Bomb. <laughs> How's the soundtrack? It's great. Unbelievable, AJ. It's really okay. good. Well, I just asked because Bomberman Hero had like one of the best soundtracks. I also love so the, good. the opening menu of Bomberman just kind of walking down the road. Yeah, that yeah. that seeing that opening menu, like seeing that menu, that opening cutscene where it's like him training like Goku. Yeah. He, like literally wearing Goku's outfit like... <laughs> meditating under a waterfall i was like why isn't bomberman a huge deal still yeah the most recent bomberman game i played is one that they released for apple arcade uh last year two years ago that is very much like that pac-man arcade championship dx Mm, the like really like hyper neon like it's just pac-man but we made it look cool kind of like tetris effect but like with less intentionality yeah um same exact deal with this version of bomberman and it like just doesn't feel as good Mm. um and i revisited it after playing bomberman online a little bit like hoping to kind of get that itch but Bomberman online is where it's at this is another one to keep shouting it out but this is another one where like if you play it emulated you can have a save state that's just at the main menu so you don't have to wait <laughs> for it to open up every single time um but this is a game that i actually did end up playing mostly on the dreamcast like on the tv and like had a really good yeah, time with it. yeah it's it's a really fun time i haven't actually played much like most of my time was single player even though i said it's the ultimate multiplayer experience but like even still like it just it, it captures because in Mar- Bomberman 64, the multiplayer was sort of like this. And I just love the variety of modes that yeah. are available. Yeah. I loved Bomberman Online. That This was the first game that I played for this entire episode where as I was playing it, I was like, I want to get good at this. And you know what? I never did. <laughs> played it Because well, yeah, you started off doing it in alphabetical order. Yeah. And this is, I think this is like the ill-advised. first hit. Yeah. yeah. That was an ill-advised way of going about it. Yeah. yeah. I burned myself out pretty much immediately. Yeah, uh, I get it. And then like took a couple weeks away and then came back was like, okay, I'm just gonna play what I want. <laughs> I think I was accidentally rubbing it in because you were going through alphabetical and I'm like, I'm playing the games I want. I yeah. had a great time. Yeah. yeah. You're like, Skies of Arcadia is maybe the best game I've ever played. And you're like, like, cool. I'm halfway through Blue Stinger. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm halfway through. Uh. Uh. Actually, I mean, 18. We- we'll get to 18 wheeler earnest. Right, we'll just do it now. Fuck it. 18 wheeler okay. American pro trucker. <laughs> the first game the I first played. First game you played. Rules. Unbelievable. Yeah. This. Okay. So you brought this up. Uh. Kind of tangentially earlier when we were talking about Hydro Thunder and racing games and stuff as a racing game. And it's Trucks. like. It's more, it's just like an arcade game. It's like a, an arcade truck game. Like, I, I hesitate to call it a racing game. You are racing against a clock. It's kind clear. of like a, a plant kind of foreshadowed this in our patron episode um, where he was, there are a lot of Sega arcade games of like stuff that aren't Sega arcade games. Mm. And this feels like a Sega arcade game of a truck simulator. Yeah. Mm. Like, it's not a racing game. It's like, it's like you are trying to get cargo to a goal on time but yeah. the whole thing is like wow race the clock yeah <laughs> and you have an arch nemesis 
yeah. who is who is in an evil truck that has flame shooting out of it who's trying to run you off the road at all times and a lot of the game is specifically like honestly like a proto burnout where they're like they revel in you yeah. smashing into other cars and just like driving your truck through houses and stuff uh you're like going off cliffs and ramps it's wild it's a wild game and it's so fun and it's like one of the only times i think where that kind of like whoa isn't this wacky like really works for <laughs> yeah. me not to dunk too hard on crazy taxi yeah, which is a game that is when we mentioned cold potatoes earlier that that's that's the coldest potato this is one. Yeah. this is the thing that steve and i are completely aligned on is like crazy taxi just didn't work for me didn't work for steven unfortunately the whole soundtrack is four offspring songs yeah. <laughs> like it's really fun when you first start you're like oh this is fun it's like no that's the whole thing yeah it's four Offspring songs. Throwback to the Offspring, like, I liked listening to the Offspring when that game came sure. out also. Yeah. And I don't dislike listening to the Offspring now, but I don't really seek it out uh, yeah. and being forced to with Crazy Taxi. It just, like, <laughs> for me. with the wheel removed, it just it just didn't work in, in the Dreamcast home console experience. But the experience I wanted to have yes. emotionally yes. playing Crazy Taxi yes. is what I had playing 18-wheeler American Pro Trucker. <laughs> Every Dreamcast list should be required to remove Crazy Taxi and put... Because no, I have not seen anybody fucking list 18-wheeler American Pro Trucker. Steven, it wasn't even on our list of things we were going to play initially. I just accidentally... It just was first. I, I just accidentally had downloaded it also. It got the cargo on time. Yeah. It was punctual and did its job. It's, when you break, it goes... This, yep. this is... Yeah, this is, this, is, this is what Crazy Taxi dreams of being. Yeah, fuck. There, look... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put some respect on crazy taxi yes. a little bit there's some stuff it does very well i actually do think the second one feels a lot better than the, the second, first one the thing i like the map of the first one better mm. i feel like there's a version of crazy taxi that got it right i kind of remember liking the simpsons clone of it uh road rage oh yeah but i haven't played that in years so maybe that's just not correct weird but. era of like great simpsons games that and hit, uh, and, run. hit and run like hit and run was yeah. awesome. just yeah. ripping off grand theft auto for some reason like yeah. what what a weird choice that totally worked out. Yeah, it was it was a great game. That game is beloved. Yeah, I loved I loved Hit and Run. Also, historically one of the hardest to emulate video games. Really? Simpsons Hit and Run, weirdly. It's really funny. It's yeah. so funny. Anyway, shout out to 18 Wheeler American Pro Trucker. A game that uh, you should definitely play if you haven't. <laughs> I agree. It's awesome. Every time you say the name, I hear a truck going every yeah. single time. You should play that. Maybe that'll be in the yeah. show. I don't know. <laughs> Here's a big one. The last of our 2001 list. <laughs> I thought you were going to say The Last of Us. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no one realized it, but The Last of Us was a remake. I don't know how they got away with this. <laughs> Neil Druckmann has a lot to answer for. There is a game on the Dreamcast called The Last of Us. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Jacob and Elena. <laughs> there you go. The last game. The last game is uh, Sonic Adventure 2. In 2001. Hey. Here's the thing. Sonic Adventure 1 was a heartbreaking experience. I wanted to love that game so much, and it just sucks. Like, I I really... Oh, go ahead. You, you looked concerned. No, no, no. Keep going. No, no. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just pile on when you're yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sonic Adventure 1, uh, here, 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 I'll sum it up like this. Sonic Adventure 1 begins with Sonic in the rain looking down into the sewage after a sludge monster escapes via the drainage. Yes. Sonic Adventure 2 begins with Sonic skateboarding down a steep hill. Running away on- from the protagonist, sorry, the villain of 18-wheeler American Pro Trucker. <laughs> yes! Cross, the crossover of the century. <laughs> okay, so I, you grew up as a Genesis kid. I, yeah. I grew up largely with Nintendo. I always wanted 
I, I was always intrigued by Sonic, but never had it. Yeah. The first game I bought for myself, because I think when the GameCube came out, that was when my parents were like, you gotta, we're not just going to buy you shit always. Like you have to start saving up for this, Yeah. which I'm grateful for that lesson. Um, <laughs> and my first, the first game I bought for myself was Sonic Adventure 2 Battle for oh the GameCube. Oh my God. What a great pick. It was, I loved it especially in that era especially in that era because like obviously you go back i mean we'll talk about it but you go back and play that game and like control wise it's not all the way there there's some like really ambitious ideas that don't totally land but there's a lot more that works than doesn't and especially in that era it was like a lot of that landed yeah i was i was in sixth grade and i was obsessed with it i i played through the entire hero line the entire villain line spoilers they team up eventually and fight like a plesiosaur in space i played through all of that my chows were unbeatable i played <laughs> multiplayer i mained amy rose i lost all my friends because she just makes you wait for a minute <laughs> when she says just wait a minute uh-huh. loved it i played it again as like a fun thing to bring to the show on xbox and i was like oh no this game is bad <laughs> oh no no not this one anyone else take final fantasy 7 away from me not the first game i bought for myself here's the thing here's what i've learned sonic adventure 2 on the xbox series is not the way to play it something about that game souping up sonic adventure 2 actually fucks it up i'm nodding the so hard audio yes. levels like I, I brought up on the show past like I, when i realized oh maybe this game sucks the audio was off so knuckles would be like i can't believe you took them out as it was like, bah, bah, like the music <laughs> yeah. was, i can't believe you took the master from it. i was like what is this <laughs> did not enjoy it and i was i was kind of dreading i'm like don't give me false hope dreamcast episode don't give me an opportunity to play sonic adventure 2 again and have my heart broken twice I'm happy to report that it's pretty good. It's not this great. Is, this is your Frogger 2 Swampy's yeah, Revenge. It's not great. It's wow. not. I think this is the <laughs> closest 3D Sonic has gotten to be to getting it. Mm. And I think this is this is the game I think of when I think of beautiful, ambitious disaster. Because like the music, the music. Okay, I know this game is memed for Cityscape and and Live and Learn. AJ, future AJ, please <laughs> drop us the the dry lagoon themes it's like the best song in a video game yeah it's ruined by a turtle going at the start of the level but without the turtle <laughs> that song is sick the knuckles raps are iconic of course I had I, I played this game a lot. I had a really fun time. And the thing that has aged like fine wine is the Chow Garden. This game I've I've realized there are two games about being a parent on the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. One is Seaman and one is Sonic Adventure 2. <laughs> it's a game where you have to do something you kind of don't want to do to take care of babies. Yes. You have to go and play this Tails and Eggman levels to get all the vitamins you need to feed your chows. Yep. But it's worth it. The yes. sacrifice is worth it. And I think this game, kind of like Jet Set Radio, is carried by charm. Like, they, like Sonic Adventure 1's biggest failing is it just wasn't fun. Like, it wasn't, like, the the main base of this weird hotel. Everything about it just feels off. Sonic Adventure 2... It was very much like you could do it. Yeah. You know, it was like you could do it, but you didn't really think about the intentionality behind a lot of it. I think, I mean, I, I'm a little bit kinder on it. I think there's some of it that landed for me sure. more than you. The big thing for me about Sonic Adventure 1 was I had this vision in my head, again, talking about specifically what I considered to be the Dreamcast aesthetic, that I was like, of course Sonic 
Sonic Adventure will have it. All the colors are so muted. Yeah, like I right. Want, I wanted to like turn up it's the saturation yeah. on my TV mm. specifically to make up for it because I was like, why? Why? Yes. Why does this game feel like The Last yeah. of Us? <laughs> It's so weird. <laughs> Sonic Adventure Two completely fixes. Yeah, that. Sonic Adventure Two is is great. I mean, this this is the one for a lot of people. Like, yeah. I feel like for big Sonic fans, this is like the game. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, I, it was nice to like. I, I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I I do think it is a really fun time. Yeah, and a lot of that's nostalgia, but that's okay. Like, that's kind of why we do these episodes sometimes. My you know? my big holy shit moment i think like the biggest holy shit moment i maybe had in every game we're talking about hmm. is i remember specifically staying at a friend's house for a whole weekend my parents went away for a weekend and uh they just left me at my friend's house and it was the day he had gotten sonic adventure 2 battle and we got uh, for the gamecube we were obsessed with with the chow garden and we played through the entire game got into the chow garden went on game facts and we were like let's figure out how to like min max the chow garden <laughs> we like found out there were like good and evil chows that you could yeah. grow. you know you could get like ones with halos you get ones with like fangs and devil horns and stuff i was like this is great this is gonna be our whole weekend and it was it was our whole weekend but we kept running into recommendations to do things and we kept running into cheat codes and just like uh, like GameFAQs walkthrough stuff for things that we just couldn't find. Like we couldn't figure out how to access like the secret hole in the wall in the dark chow world and stuff like that. It turns out, I wouldn't have expected this because you'd think of Sonic Adventure 2 Battle as like the deluxe version of Sonic Adventure 2. They've removed a lot of Chow Garden stuff really? from the Dreamcast version to the oh, GameCube version. Isn't that weird? Wow. So there's actually less stuff to do with the Chow Garden, which still... If that's the only one you played and you, you know, you out there also had a great experience with the Chow Garden, it was amazing. We all loved it. It was amazing to find that all the stuff that we thought like this person had just gotten wrong on GameFAQs, we were probably actually just reading a GameFAQs walkthrough for the Dreamcast version, oh yeah. God, yeah. which is wild. Anyway, this game rocks. And uh, if you were to take the Chow Garden stuff from here and everything that they accomplished in Sonic Frontiers last year and met that together, I think you'd have... A very, very, Sonic very game. good yeah. modern 3D Sonic game. Mm. Yeah. I'm glad it seems that they're they're really figuring out like tonally with like the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic <laughs> Frontiers. It really feels like Sonic is on a better path now than yeah. ever before. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah. But Sonic Adventure 2 was, it was really nice to be comforted by it being pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sonic, Sonic Adventure 1, unfortunately, you just spend a lot of time like holding forward and pressing jump at the right time. Yeah. And sometimes even because of the 3D nature of it, that's not enough and yeah. you'll just fall off the level I, or I like think, you just won't it was... make it to a jump in time or something and you'll just die and then have to start the whole level over. It's just like not, it just, it just prevents you from having fun in the same way. Honestly, weirdly, it's actually a good mapping of 2D Sonic into 3D Sonic because that's the same problem I have with 3D Sonic is like I'm just running to the right and every once in a while the game's like, what if there were spikes here? That's kind of what I appreciate about the Knuckles and Rouge yeah. levels is that like they're all just about exploring. And I think yeah. you yeah. get to actually enjoy everything about the game more mm. because you're getting the music, you're getting the like really creative environments. Like Pumpkin Hill is awesome. Yeah. Like uh, some of those like when they when they start to add security systems, you're like, no, 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 <laughs> no not this. Hmm. Um Tails and Eggman, though, like, come on, guys. Yeah. You have to make that beeping noise every time I fire. Also, oh being God. Eggman in the chow world feels like off-putting yeah about how fast he is it's like how spiders jump yeah yeah like, the, uh. the, there's i think like a very famous gif of eggman just running around 
<laughs> like in, in when you go into the chow garden world, there's like kind of like a loading area or like a kind of like central zone before you actually go into the chow garden itself. And there's this very famous gif of Eggman just running around. That I usually play this so <laughs> off putting. I played as tails in the chow garden because I found with Sonic and Knuckles, it was way too easy to accidentally hit the chows and throw them. Yeah. Yeah. Because like B is the button for everything in this game. Yeah. So like. With Tails, it was a little bit easier to take care of. I also think Dale, Tails would be the character to take care of the Chows. Yeah. If I wanted to make like a dark Chow, it's like you can either like if you raise them well as the heroes, they become like angels. Yes. And if you raise them well as the as the villains, they become dark Chows. If you mistreat them uh, as them, they'll become the opposite. I'm right. Like, I'm, not mis- I'm not purposely mistreating Chows. I'm not a psychopath. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I would play as uh, Rouge because she also seemed to enjoy the Chows the most. Son- Shadow would still go, hmm, when he pet them. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Soften up. I've seen you in Murder of the Son of the Hedgehog, which is canon. You have a soft side. Let it out. <laughs> no one's seeing you other than babies. That's Sonic Adventure 2. Wow. In 2001. 2001. I guess when did it must have been ported like immediately. I have a copy of Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. I also appreciate uh, the president making a cameo in the story of this game. They're like, you have to catch up with the president. Also 2001. Same year. Same year. Wow. 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 That's telling that like Sonic was ported the same year it came out. That's that's kind of sad, but I forgot about this. You could get um, you could get Sonic Advance. I think it was Sonic Advance 2. And if you had the uh, Game Boy Advance adapter for your GameCube, yeah. you could move your Chows onto uh, like a handheld version with Sonic Advance 2. Oh, that's And fun. raise them that way. That version of the Chow Garden, I had it because I didn't have a GameCube. And I just remember being like sad. <laughs> but also being like, this is the only chance I'll have to Aww. ever like raise Chows. I know it's so the question it. everyone asks, but I, I cannot believe the Chow Garden has just been like slept on. Yeah. For this long. It seems like a an easy home run. Right. I've mentioned this before. Even if it was like the worst right. gotcha game version <laughs> of Chow's, yeah. I would rather have that than nothing. Make yeah. it its own game. Yeah. It's a perfect mobile game. Yeah. We, we're in the era of Stardew Valley and Animal Crossing and every single game developer wants to make their own version of either of those games. And the Chow Garden is so obviously going to be a hit if they do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Where are you at, Sega? Make a Chow game, please. But with that, why don't we take a break? Yeah. And then we'll come back with the post Dreamcast section. Thank you, Rouge. Brendan. Oh. Steven. AJ. Wow, you're taking us in. Hello. Taking us in. Hell yeah. It is now after 2001 and the Dreamcast has died. Rip. Or has it? Or has it? (laughs) Turns out there are actually some Dreamcast games that never came to the US in time. Yeah. And Mm. here are a handful of them. We're nearly done. I can't believe how quickly this has gone. Yeah. We were, we looked at 2000. There's like 17 games here. Yeah. It has been a long time. It has been hours and hours and hours. Yes. (laughs) But this has flown by for us. I hope it has for you. I'll say this. We started recording this at noon our time and it is now almost seven. (laughs) So it has been a while. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. It's pretty wild. I'll, I'll, I'll just say about these games before we talk about them. The big reason a lot of this happened specifically was a lot of these games were being developed for the Dreamcast specifically. A lot of them did get released in Japan and then started to get localized for Europe and then just like never made it to the States. But because 
they were in this limbo state and the Dreamcast had like already failed. Like they knew already, as we yeah. mentioned, like it had gotten discontinued in 2001. So as soon as you get into 2002, it's like, why are you releasing stuff for the Dreamcast even at all? Yeah. This is also the rise of our now friend of the show, Peter Moore, uh, <laughs> yes. over at Xbox and Microsoft uh, launching that and signing a lot of licensing deals to specifically take those games that were supposed to come out on the Dreamcast and saying, hey, you've already done the job of localizing these in English because of the uh, European releases. Why not put those games on the Xbox and they can be launch titles or they can be like kind of yeah. launch window titles for the Xbox. So the Xbox got a really huge boon, I think, at launch in terms of just having a lot of like sequels to or some like cool games that were initially going to be released on the Dreamcast, um, which was very smart. Absolutely. Smart move. Shout out to Peter Moore for getting Halo off of the Apple Macintosh and onto the Xbox because that was honestly maybe one of the best ever video game licensing deals of all time. There's only four games here but they're all wild. Oops, all bangers. Oops, all bangers. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want to start with? Well, yeah, what are you feeling? I think think there's... I don't love the order that's here. Yeah. So I'm going to choose first. Pick at random. I'm going to kick us off with Shenmue 2. Yeah. I feel like we've already kind of discussed it. Rip the bandaid off. Um, <laughs> this is Ow. another one that was that was <laughs> close to being one of my five. Yeah. It is not. Yeah. But I love Shenmue 2. <laughs> I really I, got AJ. Sorry. That, that, you saying ow when you said rip the bandaid off really got me. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. <clears throat> Shenmue 2. I don't, We're I, having fun here. I just... I think it to me. I understand that from certain angles, Chenmu Two could appear like a compromised vision mm. from the first game. Uh, you know, in some ways, like how so? Well, hearing you talk about how immersed you were in the first one, how like having to actually switch to first person to look <laughs> at a map, yes, to see where to go, or to like literally as Rio be like, oh. I have to wait for this quest to happen. I'm going to go to the arcade and pass some time yeah. before I can do it. I think Shenmue 2 allowing you to wait Skyrim style, mm-hmm. getting actual directions from NPCs or better yet being walked to a place yeah. and also being able to buy a map. Which you can hold. Which you can hold. Like Far Cry 2. Uh, I I think really help, but I could recognize why maybe that might be a step too far for certain people mm. who think that, no, that's part of it. To me, Shenmue 2 feels like the vision fully realized. I, and, I agree with you. And and to, to me, I think yeah. like Shenmue 2 kind of not being on the Dreamcast is is sad, but it's also representative of like the influence this console and this series has had. You know, Shenmue 2, I think, in many ways resembles more closely what we imagine when we think of a triple A game. Yeah. And like there's just so I think what really seals the deal for me here, and you said you had a whole like borderline astrological read about why two works better for me that I want to hear why you think that way. Mm-hmm. For me, it's the supporting cast. I think there's a lot of new characters in Shenmu 2 that I think play off Rio so well. Yeah. So you have Joy, who shows up right away, uh, who makes me laugh every time because Whenever she shows up, A, she's on a motorcycle, and B, that motorcycle is playing a song that begins with, yeah! It's like this, like, <laughs> idea of an 80s rock song that I can't tell if it's ju- diegetic or not. Like, is this just Joy's theme? Yeah. Or is she just listening to this song on the motorcycle all the time? All the, time. the only case, cassette she has. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she she's a great character. Like I think, you know, in some ways I think elements of her can be a little cringy, but I love how much the city respects her. Mm-hmm. Like every like she really does help Rio like find a place in the city right away and 
helps him out of like tough situations often. Yeah. There's actually a secret scene that plays like when Rio first shows up at the harbor in Hong Kong, this guy takes a picture of him. And then later on, you can run into him and be like, hey, you owe me for this picture. <laughs> and he's like trying to get money out of Rio. And then Joy shows up and she's like, oh, I'll buy two pictures from you. Take a picture of us. Yeah. And then poses with Rio and then just like books it. And the guy's chasing after her. Yeah. And I just I love kind of having like someone whose personality is like so extroverted and mm. so like confident in her place. And also going back to our thematic reading of the first game, she is fully happy like living in this place yeah like she's kind of calling the shots and is at home here Mm -hmm. um then you have later characters like uh is it zhao ying is her name the mentor zhao ying i i loved i i think she like as a mentor figure to rio and also like just philosophically opposed to his quest for revenge I, i i really liked her role in the story like once you start like living in her apartment, that's where the game kind of took took off for me. And also characters like Wong who looks up to Rio, and mm-hmm. suddenly you have like you have all these characters like a person who like clearly kind of has a crush on Rio and is trying to help him and maybe pities him in some way. Yeah, you have someone who looks up to him, and you have someone who sees him as a pupil. Yeah, and like that to me just makes him such a richer character and makes his quest for revenge like more interesting because it's not about Londi. It's about how his decisions affect all these people who are trying to connect with him. Yes. And that to me is what Shenmue 2 is. And not to mention Ren, who like absolutely is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and is introduced kind of as an antagonist, becomes like an ally later on. And it's so, so, so important to state how central to all of this it is that Rio's in a place that he's never been before yeah. and needs to meet and and befriend all of these people to be able to continue his like white hot revenge quest you know i also love the way you learn moves in this game like you meet yeah. the guy who's the tai chi master in the park who uh you need to like hit a tree until all the leaves fall off and he's like you're pretty good and then he just like in passing like puts his hand up like just touching it and the whole tree shakes <laughs> yeah um and then later on uh Zhao ying is like you need to learn patience and you have to catch the leaves with your hand. And like those are the moments where the monotony and the tedium of the first game feel like they have more narrative reason. Yes. Uh, I, agree I, I just think that that feels more closely aligned in the second game. Yeah. And I, I loved it. it. It's really tragic. This game also ends in kind of a cliffhanger. Yeah. Because like Shenmue 3 should have wrapped it up. Like I don't want to tell you Suzuki how to do his job because <laughs> he's obviously very talented and successful. But right. like it just it bums me out that we'd never get that finale. That being said, I think there's enough here, just in atmosphere and in sort of the world building that I I do still get a rich narrative experience from both these games, even without like a finite, what happens with Lund? Because Lundy is almost like the white whale. Like whether Rio like gets powerful enough to face him or not, I'm less interested in than the journey itself. It's, I mean, look, here's the thing. Uh, Again, not to like, Dunk on Yu Suzuki's vision, but he wants it to be nine games. <laughs> what? That, that was the initial plan was for nine games. And it is already from the first game. So obvious that he will build up the strength to fight Lon D, absolutely rock his shit and then spare his life. Right. Obviously. That's that's the, that's the, that's, <laughs> that's the, the only way it can end. Right. And a lot of that is like great character work that's happened. But already one game in, I was like, that's got to be the end game. I started playing two. I was like, that's still definitely the end game and nothing can really change that. And I think the only swerve is that Londi isn't the big bad. You know, I think that's like really the only thing that can happen. But still, even in that case, he needs to come up against Londi and he needs to make the choice to not kill him. 
Again, yeah. I haven't played through all of two yet, but it's very clear that that's where it's going. I don't think you need nine games to do that. And I think it's a little bit of a bummer that like years and years later with this big Kickstarter backing, a lot of people being like, finally, we get more Shenmue. Close the book. It could have been a yeah. great trilogy. And unfortunately, now it's just like kind of being dragged out into like, well, will they ever make a fourth one? Yeah. And then there was an anime where people were like, yeah. well, maybe this is the way the story ends. And then that was canceled. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I, I've only watched one episode of the anime. I thought it was pretty good. It was okay. Yeah. The writers deserve an award for figuring out how to write an episode of an anime for the first four hours of Shenmue. Yeah. It's just... I'm just going around asking people if they've seen a black car and then ending up accidentally raising a cat. They equate that to <laughs> Ryo and Nozomi getting lunch. That's how like, they just go to Tom's for hot dogs yeah. and then get ramen instead, and that's the first four hours of the game. Dude, done. good story writing is all about efficiency. <laughs> but I, as, I, as my film studies teacher always used to say in college... Start with the most interesting thing. Yeah. And it's yeah. definitely not asking every person in town if they've seen a black car ever in their life. But I, I found <laughs> personally, I found playing Shenmue, I appreciated it, but I never got fully lost in it. And two, I got lost in. Two, That's I great. just like I really loved a lot of elements of it. And I, I really loved this sort of making home out of a strange place. Yeah. I get it reminded me, I mean, not to the same extent, but like you know, moving to Chicago for the first time and like having like no one I knew there. Like it does weirdly resonate to like be in a new place. Oh, is that was that was that your theory? Yes. <laughs> exactly what I was gonna say, Stephen. Let's hear it. That, no, that's it. You that's nailed it. it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like I there there are two, I think, important readings about why you and I differ on this. I think that's one of them. You've literally lived his experience going to another place and like needing to start from scratch and build your way up, especially, you know, after everything that happened with your dad. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, what will happen? Yeah, yeah. You know, Landy. Um, yeah. On the other side of that, I do think that the divide between you and I liking each game, this is great for maybe new listeners of the show, is like a great exemplifier of where you and I I think find the most joy in experiencing video games. You frequently love the idea of like love, at least lovable, but like generally just interesting characters. You love that sense of ensemble. Yeah. You love like story and theme and narrative. And it's not like I don't like those things, but the things that I usually gravitate more towards are immersion and specifically like tone and vibe and like yeah. almost the intangible unspeakable thing. I think, you know, it, it also goes back to like kingdom hearts versus final fantasy in a lot of right. ways, right? Like kingdom hearts is like mostly vibe, mostly about this like intangible idea of like friendship and love and just whatever. Um, final fantasy is like, you know, usually about something real. Usually about an ensemble, too. Yeah. At least the ones that I resonate with the most. Um, and again, it's not like I don't love those things that you are usually fixated on and vice versa, because you also appreciate those things. But I find that Shenmue and Shenmue 2 are so perfect exemplifiers of that divide that it real. I think it's like a great way to highlight specifically like what's going on in every episode of Into the Aether. Yeah, no, I feel the same <laughs> way. And that's kind of why I wanted to have it in my five. I just like felt more passionately about other games but yeah i do I, I i've walked away from this episode being a fan of shenmue like i think this series is great me too maybe one day i'll, I'll pinch my nose and try three but like <laughs> i really love one and two yeah i need to finish two first um yeah. I, i've heard that the last disc of two is amazing yeah so I, I, i'm about halfway through so I, I definitely want to see it through as well yeah i don't know what it is i've just heard it's amazing yeah 
because I've, I've heard the story like wraps up after the second to last disc mm. so there's a big like what could possibly be here question yeah. <laughs> uh and i'm excited to find out what there's also is. a lot more fighting into yeah uh, which makes sense, but it also kind of makes you feel like, oh man, like you, you do. He's losing himself. Yeah, right. You yeah. feel the worry of Zhao Ying being like you're going down the dark path. Yeah, and it really does like the moments of joy and peace that are found in like practicing martial arts in the park versus like fighting gang members is yeah. night and like actually night and day. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really beautiful. I think I think again, like the reverence for martial arts is really like the spine of the series. Yeah, and exploring the philosophy behind martial arts in this story is you know manifests in these paths. Yeah, uh, which is which is really cool. All of that said, the actual top level astrological reason I think <laughs> that you and I differ on this as well is I don't believe. Not to say I don't believe, but like the idea of astrology is like more of like a fun thing. It's like, oh, what's your sign? Whatever. The thing I do truly believe is that every single person inherently is assigned a season that they care about the most. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and and Shenmue 2 is all about summer, which I very much associate with you. I don't know why that is. I love that. I don't know if you feel that way, but I think of you as like a summer person and I'm very much like a late autumn, early winter person. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. And that's what Shenmue, Shenmue and Shenmue uh, 2 are all about is like late autumn and then summer. Yeah. Someone once told me summer Steve's a big deal, right? And I think you're you're onto something with that. It's true. But, you know, it's it's definitely a summer game. Yeah. I think I, I have nothing to add. No notes. That's perfect. <laughs> That's Shenmue too. That's one of the four games in the post stream cast section. Um, that came out for Xbox. Next? I don't think we said that, but that in in the U.S. at least it came out on the first Xbox. It came out on the first Xbox. Everywhere else, it came out on the Dreamcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why don't we do Ikaruga next? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, this is also a big one. Um, this was ported to the GameCube in 2003. Igaruga, I think, is kind of considered Treasure's masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, Treasure makes games like Bangayo, uh, Sin and Punishment. A lot of like shoot 'em ups and bullet hells and like arcade games like this. We've, I think, grown a huge affinity for Treasure over the course of doing these episodes. Yeah, they're very present in all of these libraries. Yeah, I, it's yeah. a it's a company I like literally didn't know existed until we did the Game Boy Advance one, and then they showed up again in the DS one, and here they are again. Yeah, Ikaruga is. You've definitely seen it before. You've definitely seen Ikaruga. I think everyone has. It is very famously like a vertical. Uh, like sci-fi bullet hell experience. Um, I think the the really masterful idea here is that you know you're shooting with the A button, but the B button switches uh, the polarity of your weapons and your shield. So the ship is either like in light mode or in dark mode, and all of the uh, projectiles that are coming at you are also light or dark bullets. So you need to match essentially the color of your ship with the color of the bullets that are hitting you, and you're invulnerable to them in that time but i also noticed that so yeah you're if like you are a dark polarity you can just soak in dark bullets to build up your meter yes but you also will do more damage to the opposite polarity right so there's a risk reward constantly yeah it's incredible i mean like especially the first level i think the first level is a masterpiece it is yeah. like the way it teaches you the mechanics, the final boss of the level. It's also two player. We played it together, which is kind of more confusing than helpful. Yeah. Um, it's again, I unfortunately do think it's better single player than it multiplayer. It is, yeah. yeah. I do think it's like very difficult yeah. in a way that like I think I, I would be rewarded for like really like 
committing to this game, mm-hmm. but I never got past the second level and I mm-hmm. played a good amount of it. Yeah. That does kind of push me out of it a little bit, but I get why it's so revered. Yeah. And I do think it's one of the best games on this console for sure. Yeah. It's like shockingly good. I think the big thing for me is just the screen real estate thing bums me out. Sure. Like the, yeah. fa- the fact that it is not only vertical, right? So it's not taking up the entire screen. But it is also like truncated vertical. Like there is a bunch of there are two black bars on the sides that contain like more information. It's like your health and your uh, super meters and stuff like that. But it means that there's just like not a lot of screen real estate to work with. Even we were playing on my like very large TV here um, and it was like hard to tell what was going on, which is Mm. always a bummer. And then as soon as you get into like, oh, I'm going to like emulate this or I'm going to have this on my Steam Deck or whatever. You're working with such a small amount of space. It's kind of hard to deal with. And I, I don't know how you fix that outside of like actually just turning a monitor sideways, which you can, <laughs> you can do in some of the ports. Some of the ports have like built in modes that are like, hey, if you want to turn this game sideways and like play it on a 16 by nine monitor vertically, you can do that. And I'm sure that experience is amazing. Yeah. Um, because the, this game visually is, you know, talk about like Test Drive Le Mans being like maybe the most visually impressive game in terms of like pushing the realism of the Dreamcast. I think this is one of those games that alongside Soul Calibur is like the artistry on display is unbelievable. Like the the yeah. the level of fidelity and art direction here is I think unlike anything you see until the opening of Near Automata. Um and which it feels is like so pulling from Ikaruga like in a big yeah, way. Yeah, I, I the like the plane sequences of Nier Automata, for lack of a better word, yeah. remind me so much of Ikaruga. Yeah, and a lot of Nier Automata is like direct references to formative games in multiple genres. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it's definitely pulling from Ikaruga specifically. So if you like Nier Automata and you haven't played Ikaruga, you should definitely do that. But Absolutely. also, Ikaruga is available on pretty much everything. Yeah, it's widely available. I didn't realize that until yeah. after the fact, but hmm. it's on like all modern consoles. I kind of want them, I don't know if this is true, but I kind of want them to put it on Switch and then allow me to oh that'd be awesome have the switch vertical like if i could like sit it up on like a against my pillow or something yeah i would love that i kind of like uh sin and punishment a little more oh really tra- yeah i that game is so funny i just i love how extra it is yeah. i just love the like bizarre storytelling and I, I i enjoyed the multiple level like kind of being a rail shooter takes a little bit of pressure off hmm. and i can focus on certain elements of it yeah uh, but it was all I and mean, they're both great games yeah um I was thinking of Treasures Library overall. Yeah, I, sh- I should go play Sin and Punish. I still didn't do that. I told, I promised you I wouldn't, and I didn't. And I'm sorry for it's breaking okay. my promise. We make a lot of promises <laughs> in this. <stuff. laughs> no, I got to do that. It's, it's just on Switch. I should do it. Uh, yeah, but Igaruga is great. It's also like, I think uh, in some ways more focused. Yeah. Um, what was the other? Oh, Bangayo is the other treasure game yeah. that everybody really liked on the Dreamcast, uh, which didn't hit as well for me it's okay I, we enjoyed the one on the ds more right Spirits. yeah but also that one was missing the online component yeah because so it's you can't play ds online appreciate. yeah um okay space channel 5 part 2 is great um no it's okay so here's the thing about <laughs> space channel 5 uh there are two space channel 5 games the first one incredible music incredible atmosphere i basically the both these games are rhythm games in some ways, I feel like they're kind of akin to Parappa the Rapper. I'm so excited to hear you explain this. Um, <laughs> it see, it feels like someone watched Austin Powers and watched the opening and was like, I'm making a game out of that shit. <laughs> yeah, that but I'm going to put it on the moon. I'm going to put it on the moon. It is a 60s mod fashion like era like that's the aesthetic of the game yeah is the mod era of fashion in the 60s and you're also a kind of a sci-fi aesthetic 
and you are Ulala, a reporter for Space Channel 5. And basically, you're just like using the power of music to save everybody from aliens. Yeah. And it's incredible. Ali- wow. Aliens invade, and the only way to fight them is to do the exact same dance moves that they're doing, which <laughs> equate to uh, pressing the direction buttons and also some of the face buttons. Exactly. Um, there's also a rival reporter named Pudding who yeah. shows up sometimes. Uh, she's great. For your Team Rocket fights. Exactly, yeah. yeah. The first game is is definitely worth playing, and I think it has the better soundtrack. Like I yeah. love the music. In the fir- Both games, incredible soundtracks, but something about the first game, I think, like, definitely is is the one yeah it's um, difficult is is one of the things because they don't actually show you the buttons that you need you to ha- press on the to screen remember yes yeah and there's that's the big thing that kind of plagues both games is there's no visual indicator yeah of the rhythm yeah uh, which it's just like, like if an alien points up with its hands then that means you have to press up but like it's not actually putting the up arrow on yeah. the screen uh, one, one i struggled with yes yeah. control wise and and you know concept wise because they're trying to get cinematic with the camera angles also and that means that sometimes the aliens whose dance directions you need to be following are like so in the background that it's actually hard to tell what they're doing yeah. in the first place gets rough but space channel 5 part 2 is such a huge improvement like they really like it's kind of wild to see a lot of like shenmue 2 as well like a lot of these yeah. games that came out once the dreamcast is already discontinued <laughs> like took all the feedback they took all yeah. the notes and like got it right and uh, this game is just incredible this is also widely available you can get this on modern consoles on steam uh there was recently i almost spit out my water around the i didn't same, know that yeah around the same time we announced uh like right when we started doing this episode there was a uh, bundle on steam that was like a bunch of dreamcast games and one of them is space channel oh, 5 shit. part 2 wow and it's great I, it's great on steam deck it, it, it it's I don't know what it is about. Maybe it's my controller on Dreamcast, but there's a bit. It, some of the rhythm timing is so exact. It's really tough. It's hard to do, but on Steam Deck, it's much, much easier. And I imagine the same on modern consoles. But this game is like full Katamari weirdness. There's a whole guitar battle with putting into uh, it, it is just so fun and so charming. And it, it's just pure joy. Like yeah. it's, it really has that Katamari vibe. Yeah. I really like the latex 3D art style also. Yeah. It just looks so yeah, cool. Yeah, that's the thing. The first game had like pre-rendered backgrounds. This game is full 3D. Yeah. Mm. It, it's so stylish and fun and weird and like unlike anything we'll ever see. It uh, Another one that like really exemplifies everything that the Dreamcast is capable of. You know, just like such a huge weird swing that would never get greenlit right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? I love Space Channel 5 Part 2. Yeah. Uh, and this was ported for the PS2 in 2003. Yeah, I played uh, the Japanese version on my Dreamcast. Yeah, and it was uh, it was tough. It was. T- yeah, I've recommended getting it on Steam Deck. I'm going to after yeah. this. Yeah, totally. This is the last game. Wow, weird <gasps> that neither of us have brought up our fifth <laughs> game, huh, Steven? Hell I knew yeah. it. I knew it, and I was so. I've been waiting for this moment. My you, whole you life. called this before we did this episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The last game is Res. Killer. 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 Res is also one of the games that I had played before. My friend had it on PS2. Mm. No joke. I don't know if I shared this. The first time I played Res, I was at a friend's house. He was like, dude, I got this wild game. You got to come over. We're going to play it. Yeah. Came over. Then my friend got a call from our mutual friends that were like, hey, we all just took shrooms for the first time and we need a place to like come down. God. 
and they all came over while me and my <gasps> oh friend my were playing God. Res. Oh, no. And I think they genuinely had, like, a spiritual awakening. Yeah. Um, we were, like, in college. For right, concerts. right, right, right. But, like, it was just so funny for them all to watch this game and be like, this game, like, gets it. Like, it, this game has seen the same things that we just have. <laughs> but for, con- <laughs> for context... Rez is a rail shooter. Say, uh, lar- a lot of the same team as Tetris Effect and Humanity. Mm-hmm. It's a rail shooter where you play the role of a hacker who is trying to convince a like super AI to keep living. Yeah. Uh, the subtext is like essentially this AI is suicidal, and the point of the game is to like give them a reason to keep existing. So as you play, you're this kind of like you take a variety of forms depending on your health. Uh, you can be like a sphere. You can be like a human humanoid silhouette uh the final form is a kind of a 2001 space baby um (laughs) but you're a rail shooter and all the actions you take kind of sync up with the soundtrack of the game yeah there are five levels and they're each based like around a song and this game is kind of hard to put into words why it's so special but i honestly like thinking about doing the show and talking to a lot of people about games and thinking about like you know, every now and then I have to recognize like that we're kind of freaks and that we we play so <laughs> many games and are like voca- like not that we're like the experts, but it's like what is like someone who's just asking like what games should I play if I'm like interested in the idea of games? Mm. If someone asked me like what are like the five games like anyone on earth should play to just sort even if whether they like it or not like just sort of explain what games are capable of as a medium yeah res would be one of them i just think this game is like so it looks incredible still you can get it on modern consoles and it gets a little bit uprezzed uh hey. but even on the dreamcast it still looks incredible yeah the music is i i've been listening to the soundtrack for like most of my life at this point <laughs> um and the fact that the the one action you can take sort of this rail shooter of like highlighting projectiles and and blowing them away syncs up with the music so everything kind of has this like tight focus and the fact that like after five levels the game has something to say about life in general yeah is is stunning this game does more in five levels not that it's a contest but like i'm so impressed at what this game is capable of mechanically and in and you know all, graphics music all that but like <laughs> what this game is capable of as a work of art in mm. such a short amount of time is is stunning like it, it really is perfect for what it's trying to achieve yeah and i i've just been so excited for you to play because i just knew it would it would connect with you i, I just feel like it, you you love Tetris effect yeah it, i just feel like it was it was meant to be I'm yeah it was, to hear it, what you have to it was meant to it. be yeah th- this game like tetris effect has a, a pretty like geometric wireframey yeah. uh, art style to it um so i kind of went in being like oh i've, I've been here before like i yeah, yeah. i already kind of know what's going on here but i mean res is a game that's kind of been lingering above me i think for years because it's a game that like famously every time you know a prestigious museum like the moma or the smithsonian is like yeah video games are art did you know that were you aware is is the first invite (laughs) res is always there yes res is always there and i was like i I should probably play that at some point and you know i had psvr res came out for psvr and i 
didn't play it like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> so I was glad to like sit down when we decided to do this episode and be like, I'm going to save Res for a while. Like I'm going to play a lot of other Dreamcast games and I'm going to like give Res a shot and see what it's like. And, you know, Tetris Effect I've talked about on the show. Uh, I have like a really like emotional, spiritual connection to that game. You know, speaking of tone and vibe and like the intangible emotional version of storytelling that just like just gets beamed into your brain wordlessly. <laughs> like Tetris effect worked on every level for me yeah. and res similarly, like every single piece of res clicked for me. Um, that my first moment, it was like midnight and I was in my office. I had, I had the, uh, Dreamcast hooked up to my computer monitor and I was like, I'm going to put on headphones. I'm going to fucking blast it. And I'm going to play through the first level of res. And I just, I had like, again, a religious experience playing. It was just like similar to Tetris effect to be clear but still unlike anything I had ever played. Mm. Um, but you could, you could see that lineage between those two games. So clearly having played res, it's like, Oh man, it's I, whoever looked at and played res and was like, let's give them Tetris geniuses, <laughs> geniuses, because they, guess what? They did it again. <laughs> um, but seeing that they were able to accomplish it on the dreamcast by itself is so smart. I mean, just like mechanically, it's a game that like Tetris effect, you just completely turn your brain off. You know, I think the, the brilliance of Tetris effect specifically was like, everyone knows how to play Tetris already. Yeah. So again, you don't really have to think about it while you're playing it. You just get to experience it and like, see what the game is trying to say. And res manages to invent a completely new style (laughs) of game and also have it feel as brain off, except the transmission as Tetris (laughs) effect, uh, which I think is amazing. So you're, you're flying through the air. All of these like projectiles show up on the screen. You hold down the a button to like prime your weapon. And then you just use the, uh, the analog stick to just like move a cursor across the screen and just highlight. Like if you, if you touch any of the projectiles in the air, you'll just kind of like highlight them and you have up to eight shots. And then when you release the a button it'll fire all eight shots and you don't have to you know you don't have to hit all eight you can just like you know hold it down like hover over two and then do that um and and you'll find yourself i think if you are even you know maybe not but like if you're musically inclined it'll really hit it maybe if you're not musically inclined i don't know if that'll like still hit as well but you know for me somebody who's been making music since i was in like preschool um i just felt an inherent immediate connection to the game I think Res and Tetris Effect also like visually remind me a lot of like design work that I take a lot of inspiration from and and try and emulate in my own work. Like there's just so much of this game that feels like it was built for me. And to know that it not only resonates with me, someone who is like as squarely in the target audience as humanly fucking possible, but enough so that every time a museum does that exhibit, they're like Res is number one, (laughs) I think says so much about how successful this game is because you could play the first like if you play the first two levels you could be like i don't know what's going on here yeah and then you hit level three you're like oh we're on like a world tour that's interesting like once once it clocks it like oh yeah the first level i think was in egypt the second level seems to be they're also all named after planets it's like earth venus uh the second level seems to be in india like i'm flying through the taj mahal like there's definitely something going on here and then the third level is like oh it's starting to come together yeah the boss battles are huge yeah the i bo- love the running man in, in area four yeah it's like such a cool boss i just i just think like there's a scale to res that you don't see in games very frequently you know yeah. like another game that is always in those collections is shadow of the colossus which mm. also has moments where like you will see a boss emerge and, and say out loud like oh my god like i can't believe that they put this scale on the screen and you'll feel that with res which is like a super minimalist wireframe bullet hell. Yeah. And the fact that they're able to elicit that same sense of scale and urgency and like fear and joy and ever like just every emotion that they want 
to transmit into your head just fucking works. Yeah. Is, um, you know, it's artistry unlike anything we usually see in any medium. Like, I just, yeah. I, I just think Res is like one of the perfect exemplifiers of what video games can do and be. And, and taking, you know, most of the visual design out and having it just be this kind of like wireframe on a black background shows just how little you need to elicit those kinds of emotions in people. Yeah, that was beautifully said. And I'm so glad you had that experience. I, I think the the final level of this game is really where like it kind of sealed the deal for me. Like that's where you go through the evolution of life. Yeah. And uh, I played through this game on PS2 with my friend and then we played it again when our friends on Shroom showed up. <laughs> and then I, uh, it was released on the Xbox Live Arcade in the 360 era. I got it then. And then I got the PS4 port of it. And I played it around the same time we brought Tetris Effect to the episode, to that episode. And playing it again on Dreamcast, I mean, this, it's also just like perfectly replayable. Like you can finish the whole game in a night, you know, and, and it, it feels equally rich each time. Yeah. Um, it is obviously both in our top five. And uh, I, I think Skies of Arcadia, I love, but I think overall, this is the best game on the Dreamcast. I can mm. say that like without hyperbole, I think. Because I just think it's it's just so, I mean, forget the Dreamcast. I just think it's one of the best games I've played. Like, yeah. I, just, I just think it's really special and really powerful and could actually not be anything but a game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's res. Yeah. I, I, it makes me want to go back and play Tetris Effect again. Yeah. It yeah, makes me want to revisit humanity. The thing about humanity, it's very long. Oh, I see. And I, I think both res and Tetris Effect have that beautiful, perfect. Yeah, they're like, very concise. Play them in one sitting. There's so much confidence in that. Yeah. You know? I think so too. Yeah. And then all the other modes in res are also really fun. Like there's a bunch of other, like there's like practice modes the and score like chasing score stuff. chase modes. Yeah. Um, there's also modes where it's like, you could just hang out. I think it literally says like, if you want a chill vibe, <laughs> which again for 2002 is like that phrasing feels ahead of the time. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's great. That's res masterpiece. That's, and that's also the dreamcast. That's wow. It. Yeah. Should we take a break and then just yeah. like sprint through some honorable mentions Let's and then make digest. a top five? Let's digest everything we've shared. And yeah, we'll we'll go through honorable mentions and then we'll settle on the top five for the Aether itself. Yes. Wow. Wow. Thanks, Rez. Thanks. <laughs> Welcome back. We're going to uh, talk about some honorable mentions. So, we, you know, that that list of 30 games, that'll be like in the show notes on Backlogged. It'll be in the air table for those of you who uh, back our Patreon at the at the $5 level and we'll have access to the air table. Nailed onto Brendan's front door. It'll be nailed onto the uh, front <laughs> steps of the church before I get carted off by the Pope himself. <laughs> but if you have played all 30 of those games and you're like, more more brendan more, more steven more what AJ. else you got i need more uh we we have a couple games that we'll just like run through real quick yeah yeah just like fun shout outs i want to lead with one that i think is important and i think the only reason it's an honorable mention is that it is for sure in japanese and i couldn't play a lot of oh it. yeah uh it's a game called napple tale arcia and daydream yeah um cool game this game is awesome first of all if nothing else listen to the soundtrack by yoko kano just unbelievable soundtrack in in a era of great game soundtracks yeah. is like stunning this game is also notable for having like an almost entirely female game development staff 
which I think is really important, especially in an era where we're talking about stuff like Dead or Alive 2, where like, yeah, that is like the only other game with like a woman on the cover, yeah. you know, like I think it's important to have games like this. And D2. There's more than just that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Resident Evil. Co- cl- give Claire some credit yeah, as well. Yeah, She's there true. too. But um, Napple Tale, I think, is like pretty close to being forgotten. Like, I think it's. It does it's, feel that way. Thankfully, there is a unofficial English patch you can get yeah. that came out a few years ago. I was unfortunately not able to get it to work on Steam Deck, but it does exist. Uh, so there is a way to play it. There are playthroughs of it on YouTube in English. And it's a really, really beautiful platformer that's sort of like Klonoa, from what you told me, where like yeah. there's a central hub world where you're helping. The premise is that this girl gets kind of transported to this realm. I think that's for like the dead. Like it's sort of this like kind of afterlife. I played it in Japanese. I have no um, idea. <laughs> it's very much like Spirit Away or Alice in Wonderland kind yeah. of energy. And all the levels are based on the seasons. And there's this sort of like Majora's Mask clock town area. And you go out to each of the seasons and do this little platformer. And then you come back and you help the people who live there. It's it's honestly awesome. And I, I imagine if I could play it in English, it would be on the list. No question. Mm. I just wanted to shout it out because I think it's a really cool game. And I hope that there's a more direct way to play it one day. Yeah. But I wanted to give it the credit it's due. Yeah, it's a cool game. Uh, yeah. The, the thing I, I said to you when we were talking about it uh, unofficially off the show was, yeah, uh, Napple Tail watched so Klonoa could run. It just, <laughs> yeah. it just, it just really hmm. feels like the Klonoa team I played, need to play Klonoa then. played that game and were like, what if? <laughs> what if a rabbit? Yeah, what if a rabbit could do this? Who could fly? Yeah. Man, what's next? So many options here. I'll I'll shout out uh Air Force Delta. I do like flying games. Yeah. I like games where you're behind uh the wheel in the cockpit of a plane. Um, <laughs> behind the wheel of a plane. Eighteen wheeler, bro. Like ace combat and stuff or yeah. like games that I, I get into every once in a while, specifically Star Wars Squadrons, like was a recent yeah, game that I, I was I, yeah. I thought was so fucking cool, uh, you know, kind of bringing back the uh, TIE fighter era um, for a modern day. Really cool. Air Force Delta, just like a really good one of those. There are a couple on the Dreamcast, but it's the one that I definitely connected with most. It's just like visually stunning as well and like handles and controls really well and feels like as good as a lot of those modern ones. So if you're interested in that kind of game, definitely give it a shot. I'll add one here. Mars Matrix. This is actually very similar to Ikaruga in that it's a bullet hell, um, but I do think it's a little bit easier to get into. Yeah. If you want to finish a game like Ikaruga, <laughs> Mars Matrix is a good one to play. Um, uh, it's also Capcom, I believe. Yeah. Um, it's not as confident, I would say. Yeah, I agree. As Ikaruga, um, but it is definitely more playable. It's also uh, horizontal instead of vertical, so yeah. it takes up the entire screen and it looks great. And great soundtrack, too. I, yeah, I the soundtrack's really good. Yeah. I, yeah, I like the, the main menu. Um, I'm also going to shout out Egg or Elemental Gimmick Gear. What? Uh, you and I both really wanted we this. We wanted to be big Egg fans. Yeah. We wanted to come to the show you and be like, be all these lists are oh. wrong. Why did we not think of that? I want to be a big Egg head. I, I wanted to come to the show and be like, you got to play Egg. It is beautiful. Like, yeah. it actually reminds me a lot of Supergiant's art style because it's like a mashup of 3D with hand-drawn art. Yeah. So the environments are stunning. So cool. I, I love the... You about egg? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, you said it's a mashup. My first thought was it's a scramble. It's a scramble. <laughs> it's so good. I'm sorry. It's a sunny side up of um, <laughs> egg is a is a scramble. Uh, Brendan just fell down. <laughs> He's laying down now. <laughs> scramble. Scramble. There's simply no way that got picked up. It's got a lot of really great ideas. I love the sense of place, and I love the pre- like the setup of the story. 
and like what's going on is is wonderful like i was very gripped by it i think the central mechanics are not very fun mm. like the actual piloting of the egg is like kind They're of uninteresting. eggs yeah yeah absolutely elemental wild. gimmick gear. elemental I, gimmick I, gear. Uh, sure do yourself a favor though if you want cool box art look at the cover of this game i love it this is like the good side of don't judge a book by its cover it's yeah like the cover is great actually yeah. it looks it, a lot like a um uh mistwalker studios game yes like it looks like it should have been one of those yeah I, I still enjoy cool, right? it it looks great yeah. yeah i enjoyed my time with it enough i just think like maybe if i had more time to play it maybe it like benefits getting further in yeah. but it one of the big things to grip me. is that they they i mean they wanted to make a zelda yeah, they exactly. wanted to make a top-down Zelda, but what they run into are the problems of Final Fantasy VII on the PS1, I think, where frequently there are areas that are art-directed so, so heavily. You know, they, they put so much on screen that it's hard to tell, like, where you can walk, what you yeah, can do, what right. stuff is interactable, what stuff is not. And in a Zelda specifically, that's like, you know, endgame. Like, you just can't, you can't progress. Um, and I found myself very frequently getting very frustrated by moments where I'm like, how in the world is I supposed to know that I could like walk under this object or whatever, especially when you're like walking slowly because you're in a mech. Yeah. <laughs> kind of similar is Echo the Dolphin Defender of the Future. I actually love the way this game like feels to play. Like, gorgeous. The controls are great. Yeah. It really is fun to like swim around as a dolphin. Yeah. They nail that part of it. The rest is kind of a mess. Can you explain I the setup of Echo the Dolphin Defender of the Future? <sighs> Do you want me to do it? I could do it. Please do. Echo uh, the Dolphin Defender of the Future uh, involves a, an opening cutscene where you learn that all dolphins are actually aliens um, <laughs> who are trying to protect the world from invasion. And the game then starts with them teaching you like how to swim and use sonar, which yeah. is really fun. It reminds me, it feels like an unironic version of Hitchhiker's Guide where yeah. they say that humans are the third most intelligent. It's yeah. humans, dolphins, and mice. Right. And it's like, no, dolphins are just really cool. I'm just obsessed with the idea that it starts off with this like really heady sci-fi premise that's all about these like space crystals that you need to save. Yeah, and then, and then immediately like, it's like, do you want to do a backflip? Yeah, yeah, do, yeah <laughs> do a flip. Hey, do you want to uh, do, do you want to catch a fish with me? Let's see who can catch a fish the fastest. It's like yeah. I thought the world was ending, man. <laughs> the game is called Defender of the Future. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like really charming and really beautiful. The music is great. It just like once you get to the second level where it's a coral reef full of sharks, I genuinely don't know what to do. Yeah, like I have no idea where to go. And the I first level point, I thought was too difficult to make it through. I helped the whale find the baby. Yes, I was all in at that point. No, I, was I did like, it too. Don't get me I was wrong. Like, egg broke my heart. Yeah. Echo's gonna save it, and then they also <laughs> broke my heart. I will say, quick anecdote: I fucked up my foot really bad at Walter's Disney World, <laughs> and uh, had to cancel my trip early. Uh, and and fly home. And while I was in excruciating pain at the Orlando airport at the JetBlue terminal, I thought now is a good time to play Echo, the Dolphin Defender Holy of the shit. Future. And uh, I'll say this: Echo did help me through a tough time. I'm glad. Shout out to Echo. Thank you, Echo. Thank you, Echo. Echo is a Sega legend in so, in a way of their own. Yeah. Whenever I tell people that we're doing this episode, and they're like, "You're gonna play Echo the Dolphin," I'm like, "Yeah, I did play. Like, you know, I had some interesting stuff." And then they always describe the Sega Genesis version. <laughs> I think I think most people don't know there was a Dreamcast one. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, at this point, when did it come out? 2001. I don't know. Yeah, don't I'm not sure either. But regardless, the last one uh, for me here. I mean, a lot of these we've like kind of already touched, like yeah, Paris Sun One, Virtual Tennis One, Space Channel Five One. Uh, the last one for me here is Choo Choo Rocket. Um, did you like it? I had a great time. So here's the thing about Future Rocket <laughs> is it is weirdly like humanity. Uh, it is a puzzle game where you're guiding a bunch of mice 
to a spaceship while a evil cat chases them. It was meant to be made multiplayer. So playing like the core game single player is like not that fun. But there's a puzzle mode that I loved where they give you like a finite number. Like you, you get like one right. And you have to figure out like where to put that one right. Oh, I didn't play that. Oh, you you, sh- you really should. Damn, have. I should have played that. Yeah, the puzzle mode is awesome for single player, but still, I just didn't really like. I feel like I kind of like. I know it's different, but Mr. Driller gave me enough puzzle stuff that I didn't feel the need to go. Post Mr. Driller, Choo Choo Rocket really yeah. tanked for me. Uh, my 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 feeling about Choo Choo Rocket was like it's like you changed the channel to a static channel, and it was playable. <laughs> That's brutal. Play the puzzle mode. I think yeah. you'll have a good time. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. That's all the ones you wanted to shout out from this list? Uh, let me see. Oh, and Sega Bass Fishing. Pretty self-explanatory. It's a classic. It's a classic. It's, a, it's one that I imagine most people thought was going to be on the list. Yeah, I, I, it was on my list, but you know, I didn't feel the need to argue for it. Yeah. And that's it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, anything we want to shout out here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll shout out Dino Crisis. Hell yeah. I mean, it's Resident Evil, but dinosaurs. Yeah. Ooh what's what's bad about that i don't know I, I, i'll say this i had a better time playing dino crisis than i did resident evil 2 or 3 mm. i get that my big thing was that it was playstation first so i didn't know if it fully counted that's yeah. why i didn't have it on my list that's, i mean a lot a lot of the things i added to this list are things that i have played on playstation uh, yeah. including again tony hawk pro skater 2 yeah on one of the best games of all time star wars jedi power battles i think is um weirdly very much like gauntlet but you're playing as characters from Star Wars. I play the game all the time through the plot of the Phantom Menace. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. It's awesome. Yeah. It's Plo sti- Koon. still really fun. Plo Koon's in it. Plo Koon's in it. Uh, yeah. It's still really, really fun. And when you get a power up, you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good. Uh, it's awesome. A really, really cool game. I'll also shout out Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man game, Hell yeah. uh, which was available on N64 and PS1 and obviously the Dreamcast. Um, it looks the best on the Dreamcast. So like there's an argument to be made here that Spider-Man is best on the Dreamcast. <laughs> I just think this is it's a little bit more of a brawler than when you get to like Spider-Man 2 on the PS2 or whatever. Like, I, I don't think this game is going to, quote unquote, make you feel like Spider-Man the way like a lot of other <laughs> games are capable of doing. But for the era with the technology that they had taking just the comic book and and cartoon version of spider-man and turning it into a video game they did like a surprisingly great job of that it's still really fun really vibrant really weird it has some of the best cheats of any game like i feel like it's one of the games that like really taught me that cheat codes could be like fun and cool Mm. um specifically there's one where if you type it in it does the like marvel what if version of the entire video game that's amazing which if you don't know about what if i mean there's a there's a tv show called what if now so like i think it's a little bit more in the zeitgeist than it was like when this game came out but what if is essentially like one issue versions of comic books where they'll be like what if I don't know, like uh, famously, like what if Gwen Stacy got bit by the spider instead of Peter, you know, things like that. And it changes the entire game to just be like a Mel Brooks comedy. And it's so funny Hmm. and it's so weird and so good. Uh, And I just very infrequently get a chance to shout out that first Spider-Man game. Yeah. Um, But two gets a lot of the attention. Yeah. No, no, no. unrelated to toby mcguire oh i'm sorry yeah no, we're not yeah, even yeah. there yet this is that's what i'm saying this is like 90s this yeah. is 90s cartoon comic book spider-man and it's good uh spider-man one for the playstation 2 it's rough <laughs> i wouldn't recommend that one as much it's bruce, so bruce campbell's the narrator of that one though that's yeah. amazing and though. that's great yeah that's great you're just hanging out on roofs yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah that game's great yeah that's it that's it that's all mentions wow one more quick break and then and then we'll do top five top for the five show. Hell yeah. See you soon. 
Okay, we did it. We, we talked did about it. every game for the Sega Dreamcast, every single one. If there are ones that were missing, you ju- you missed them. Egg, your- egg who? It was your fault. Elemental what? No, no, no. <laughs> That's not one of them. Now that we have <laughs> revealed our individual, not top fives, but like five games five that we favorites. care about the most. This is now when we do a top five. This is the official. I love this format. We should keep this forever. Yeah. I, I, th- I just think the idea of like, we're not ranking stuff. But at the end, we're ranking stuff. At the end, we're ranking stuff. Yeah. Um, and we I, only have one in common. So for yeah. those who listened to the show for a while, maybe the first game of the year was the only other time where uh, in 2018, because we had started the show halfway through the year, we had a bit of a different list. Yeah. But since then, we're like anticlimactically in agreement. Yeah. I feel like we always kind of come to these episodes wanting there to be more drama. And it's like, no, we just both liked Fire Emblem. We're playing Sorry. all the same games. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even for the console episodes, like I think... Uh, overall like ds we had a pretty good amount of 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 lineup here but here we only have one game in common i'm kind of shocked i thought we were gonna have more it's not completely artifice but there was a little bit of me that was like i know you're gonna pick a lot of fighting games yeah but also a lot of them didn't resonate with me the same way they did with you absolutely the only one that was really close to making the list but didn't was soul Calibur. like soul Calibur, like really almost actually did make the list completely on its own merits and uh didn't a because i was like pretty sure it was going to be on your list and be just the five games that we have here i i felt really strongly about which i'll just shout out again cannon spike seaman shenmue virtua tennis 2 and res for me then for steven soul Calibur, skies of arcadia street fighter 3 third strike marvel vs. capcom 2 and res and res so, so res, res is the carryover i i was pretty confident res would be would be in in unison yeah but uh okay so i mean how do you want to do this do you want to do order first do you want to choose the five and then do order yeah i i mean yes yeah i think that's probably the best move i mean obviously res res will carry over res i'll just put it on the list yeah that's that's that has to be there somewhere yeah and i honestly i'll give this one to you right off the top i think soul caliber should also be on that list I think that makes sense. I think for for the show and for everything, yeah. I I worry about uh giving you one too soon, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll put over what we think are candidates, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, even if it's over five, I think by extension Shenmue also. I was gonna also say Shenmue should probably be on that list because yeah. Shenmue I think means a lot to both of us, and even though I like two more, I think they're kind of of the they're you know two mirrors of the same thing. Yeah, technically all one game. Exactly. <laughs> you get it <laughs> so okay res soul caliber shenmue looking at mine i'm gonna make a case for skies of arcadia i know you're gonna make a case for it so um there's a better version of it that exists on the nintendo gamecube but so you is it, it a dreamcast game <laughs> <laughs> the th- i i think i think it is i mean i think like here's the thing if we were doing a gamecube episode also soul caliber is better in the arcades so we should take that off too <laughs> all right so is it res on other right. stuff too i don't <laughs> I don't love the energy. Um, oh, me dunking on myself, Steven? I'm trying to help you. I'm sorry. I'll stop doing that. You're right. I'm kidding. We should get rid of Skies of Arcadia. My okay. bad. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at my. I'm I'm pretty fine accepting that Third Strike is a me thing. Mm. As much as I think that that's like one of the best fighting games of all time. Yeah. I'll say it again. I get that it's not that for you. So third strike, I, I'm not going to make a huge case for. Mars Capcom 2, I think, is more the two of us. Um, I work for the company. You were, it's, it's your brand. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> but I think Skies of Arcadia is the one that I, I would want to make the list the most of mm-hmm. the rest of the ones here. Interesting. How about you? So you have Cannon Spike, Seaman, Shenmue, Virtual Tennis 2. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. So Res is already on there, um, and none of my other ones are on there. Yeah. Uh, what am I talking about? Shenmue's on there. Uh, so <laughs> Virtua Tennis 2, Seaman, and Cannon Spike are, are the last three. I'll, I'll be straight up. Virtua Tennis 2, great game. I think it's similar. That's a me thing. Just every time we do one of these, I just really fall into a game like that, and Virtua Tennis 2 just happened to be the unlucky winner. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to make the case that that should be in the top five best Dreamcast games ever. It's up there. Or our favorites. Yeah, the yeah. show's favorite. Yeah, yeah. Categorically um, best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody. Sorry. It is one of the best Dreamcast me. games. The five, ever. only five right. Dreamcast games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every other Dreamcast game is actually about to be deleted. Yeah. So yeah. Throw out the other 25. Echo who? Yeah. I'm going to call Defender it Defender of When? Internet Archive and uh, have them erased. <laughs> <laughs> Defender of When is I'm very glad, fun. I'm glad you got yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I was proud of it. I'll say it. So I, I can get rid of uh, Virtual Tennis too. I, I feel fine about that. But it really breaks my heart to have to be choosing between Seaman and Cannon Spike here. Yeah, I love both these games. Cannon Spike to me, this is the same feeling in my gut, heart, and mind that I felt when we were doing Game of the Year and we almost put three hopes on our list, mm, yeah. uh, you know, for like the collective top yeah. five. I think it's sort of the it's the underdog yeah. of, of the roster here. Just just to be clear, Skies of Arcadia, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, Cannon Spike and Seaman are all vying for the last two slots. But I'm not like I mean, I think Rez is set, but the other two we can, can reconsider. OK, for me, it would help be helpful to put over everything that's a candidate and then we'll whittle it down from there. So actually, why don't we. So, OK, so we have Rez, Soul Calibur. Shenmue, Skies of Arcadia, Marvel's Capcom 2, and Seaman, and Cannon Spike. That's seven games. <laughs> so two have to leave. We're in the same spot. Yeah. We have to cut two. All right. It, hel- it helps to be able to see this. I know I'll, it's an audio I'll medium. ask this. AJ. Yeah. You've been here the whole time. Yeah. You heard a lot of impassioned pleas for a lot of different games. Yeah. Is there anything that stands out to you that like... Seaman's got to be on the list. <laughs> what is this? Hell, but, sorry. Because well, plan- look... Gameplay wise, maybe a little underwhelming, Uh, but I think in terms of the way I've heard the two of you talk about it, it is like the tip of the dream part. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. prism. (laughs) uh, Which I'm glad you've remembered my prism. Um, I think the prism is important. Yeah, Yeah, which I do think is important that we have all points of the prism represented. That's interesting. That's why we come to you, AJ. <laughs> it's a great point. But but I do I do think all points of the prism. I do think there is something in Seaman that is like even if it's not the best like quote unquote game. Yeah, it is something that is something that has only existed on the Dreamcast. Yeah, um, precursor to Animal Crossing, doing a very similar like you have to check in every day thing. Yeah, I would love to know if the people who made Animal Crossing also played Seaman sure. and were like, this is it. Yeah. But even outside, but even like using Animal Crossing as the example, like you're you're waiting to do stuff. It's happening in real time. But like the experience you were talking about, Brendan, with seeing the like cycles of life and stuff in Seaman. Yeah. uh, I just think that from like a philosophical standpoint, I guess, is something that you don't see in a lot of games. Yeah. And that you did see on Seaman on the Sega Dreamcast. Yeah. The only other game I felt that much of a connection to really was Rez. Right. You know, which like, I would also uh, argue is pretty close to the tip on the dream. Yeah, and but, and hypothetically, Shenmue gets pretty close to that also. Um, Shenmue's creeping up towards the beautiful, ambitious disaster. As yeah, well. yeah. The, the the thing about Shenmue, you know, not to argue uh, against a game on my own list, but the thing about Shenmue is, although I think it should probably be represented in our top five, there is a lot of that game that just very clearly doesn't work and won't work for a lot of people, and I feel. 
I would almost feel bad being like, you have to play Shenmue. No, but, but the thing is, this is our, not to be selfish, this is our list. Yeah. It's the two of us and what represents both our tastes the most. I, I agree with AJ. I think Seaman and Shenmue should be on here. Yeah. I would also say if that was your metric, Brendan, of like, there's going to be stuff in here that's not going to work for people. There's definitely going to be stuff in Seaman that's not going to work for people also. I, true. I don't point. know if I have point. an order, but I think I have a five in mind. Hit me. Rez, Soul Calibur, Shenmue, Seaman, and Skies of Arcadia. Hmm. That leaves out Cannon Spike and Marvel's Capcom 2. As much as I love Cannon Spike, I don't feel terrible about not including it in the five, personally. Yeah. Marvel's Capcom 2, excuse me, Marvel versus Capcom 2, I love, but we we at least get one fighting game with Soul Calibur. That's like the connection between the two of us. Yeah. And it also weirdly with Shenmue a little bit. Um <laughs> I mean, we have full representation on the prism. <laughs> <laughs> and I would go, argue we have. It. I would argue we have some of the like in between spots. Yeah, Res Dream Soul Calibur Arcade Shenmue Dream Ambitious Disaster Seaman Dream Skies of Arcadia Dream a splash of Ambitious Disaster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not a ton of arcade. Not a ton of arcade. But Soul Argument Calibur for is, Spike is, is, is going to say arcade. Is, yeah, Cannon Spike, Spike has arcade, and so does Marvel's Capcom Honestly, too. Res. And Re- Rez, Rez, yeah, Rez is kind of like yeah. arcade and Once dream. you're done crying, you realize there's a score chase element. <laughs> That's true. There is a, a whole score chase uh, Same with Seaman. Um, <laughs> is there sorry. a score chase with Seaman? <laughs> I got two more Seamans. <laughs> I haven't finished it. Maybe there is. Yeah. Could you imagine? I, I would if love. It, if it had like a Resident Evil screen at the end that was like, <laughs> now do it C minus. Get it? <laughs> Try harder next time. It's good. Leonard Nemo is like, you did all right. <laughs> they should let me direct another one. Well, here, do you, do you, do you want to make a case for Cannon Spike or Marvel's Capcom 2? I, I don't, as much as I love Marvel's Capcom 2, I don't know if I would put it over any of these for both of us. Mm. I think this is like a pretty good representation. Marvel versus Capcom 2 also connected with you more than other fighters as well. But would you say but not Soul as Calibur much as Soul was, Calibur? Soul Calibur is closer. Okay. Yeah, I mean Soul, Soul Calibur is like the one I would sit down to play a lot. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And like will be forever. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, thinking about like the Dreamcast specifically, like Res to me screams Dreamcast. Yes, it's playable elsewhere. Screams Dreamcast to me. Soul Calibur doesn't as much mm-hmm. because I've had that experience with Soul Calibur two, for example. Yeah. You know, like. I think of Soul Calibur specifically as a game I can already play at home. And I feel like the the joy of Soul Calibur one specifically is like it's the arcade game you can play at home. Mm. But I have to recognize that that's just because of the way I've lived my life specifically. You know what I mean? I, I think there is that like external factor of in 1999, that shit was mind blowing. And also playing through the entire console library, Soul Calibur still is, I think, one of the most incredible games on the Dreamcast. So. Yeah. Those two feel locked for me. So Res and Soul Calibur. Yeah. yeah. They feel like absolute definites. Weirdly, Shenmue and Skies of Arcadia are the ones that I'm like flip-flopping on. Specifically because you like Shenmue 2 more. Yeah, that's a- true. And I'm like, do we split the difference and have neither of them? <laughs> hmm. But the I don't know if I... I really want Skies of Arcadia there, personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I need Cannon Spike or Marvel's Capcom over Shenmue or Skies of Arcadia. What about Virtua Tennis 2? <laughs> Sorry. Not even on your list. <laughs> what about C-Man? Is C-Man also up for moving around or is that locked in? 
I think that's locked in. Yeah. I true like I I said this when we talked about Seaman and then I said it again when we talked about Res, but those are two games that I think really exemplify everything that is cool about the Dreamcast. Yeah. I think when I think of the Sega Dreamcast, when I think of these huge artistic swings, when I think of the ones that nail it and the ones that don't and mm. like the beautiful ambitious disasters. <laughs> it's like both Seaman and Res managed to push through that and just become beautiful and ambitious. Right. Yeah. Thinking about Marvel's Capcom 2, like that is really old. I mean, it, there was ported on PS2 and stuff, but you can't really play it elsewhere. Yeah. It is like a very flashy arcade game. Like, is that at all desired on, on the Collective 5, do you think? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it, it was on mine, obviously, so I, I love it. But I think yeah. I agree Seaman should be there. So I'm happy to like lock in Res, Soul Calibur, and Seaman. Cannon Spike, I'm happy just to like not really consider anymore as much as I love it. I think it's like it's amongst titans you know mm -hmm. no shade on cammy and friends so really it boils down to like shenmue skies of arcadia and marvel's capcom 2 in my opinion i mean the way we have the list written with five games we are representing three games from both of our lists yeah which i think is interesting and like we have res share very even so caliber's mind was almost on yours shenmue uh, is on yours was almost on mine for two uh c-man was also almost on mine scars of acadia is more me but like you also enjoyed so I, th I think with with your perspective five it's very even yeah very even split unless one of us can make a very impassioned plea i mean if you're feeling iffy about skies of arcadia because of the gamecube port would you feel more comfortable with marvel vs capcom 2 in place of it no and i mean here's the thing the game that i would really argue for is cannon spike cannon spike yeah but I, yeah I, I can't put cannon spike over skies of arcadia <laughs> unfortunately and i can't put skies of arcadia over cannon spike and that's 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 the impasse that we're that's at the unfortunately yeah. i i feel like in virtue of having an evenly represented list mm -hmm. cannon spike brings the arcade into your into your home which res also brings i would say yeah and also it'd be more brendan i think it's actually and it would be more would brendan, it, wait, yeah. is it more even now res shared soul caliber me mm -hmm. shenmue brendan seaman brendan sky is me yeah. yeah so it's, it's three and three it's, even. it's three and three yeah and three i think plus having, three equals five as we all know <laughs> i think i think having skies of arcadia there is a a good the, okay here's the thing if you i've done this because google will suggest questions when you google yeah, stuff yeah, yeah the worst sentence i've ever said uh if when you google one of the questions is was the dreamcast any good and when you click on that drop down the first result is a picture of skies of arcadia <laughs> like if you just google like is the dreamcast fun you'll see vice and ica like winking at you mm -hmm. so i just think it, it just i get that the gamecube port is probably better but it is so important for the dreamcast to have like their big rpg yeah i think so too yeah and it, yeah. for me it's like i think it's like res skies of arcadia so I, I do mm. feel strongly enough about it to want it to be here. Here's I'm just like really excited to play the GameCube version. <laughs> is the thing. And like maybe this is a God of War situation like in 2018 where like yeah. you just trusted me that God of War should have been on that list. And then you played it and you're like, thank God we put God of War on that list. So you're saying thank I'm going to be happy that we didn't put Skies of Arcadia on No, Stephen. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm going to be happy that we put oh, Skies okay, of Arcadia okay, on the okay, list. Okay. I thought you were I'm like. I'm trying to help. Why, let me help you. <laughs> Why do you keep fighting me when I'm trying to help you? <laughs> what do you think about the internet? <laughs> I think you've been brainwashed by Google, as it turns out. Google autocorrect. Oh, my God. Autocomplete. I feel... I, feel I, I personally feel good about these five if, yes. you're, if you're ready to move towards order. Yeah. 
Because this is where the argument's going to be, really. This is the yeah. thing. We have to get past it. Like, sure, Skies of Arcadia, great. I'm going to love it eventually. Yeah. I play it on the Nintendo GameCube. Yeah. And we can bring it up again. Then. Then. Yes. Uh, foreshadowing? <laughs> I'm pretty comfortable putting Res at one, given our, our recent conversation. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Ali, it's, it's an easy number like one It's an easy number one. Yeah. Um, number two in this lovely list. I feel really good about these five. I, I, think, I think this is good. We got Soul Calibur, Shenmue, Seaman, and Skies of Arcadia. Do you think maybe it would be easier to work five to back up? Yeah, what do you think? Five to two. I don't know. I mean, having having Res like fixated at number one makes me think figuring out number two might be the move. But okay. yeah, I don't know. Is, is there a game that we both think should be number five? Like, is there a game that you're I mean, like, for me, like if it was my list, it'd be Skies of Arcadia. Would be but, number five? No, for be number two. Oh, but I think for us, it might make the most sense to have Soul Calibur at number two. Hmm. I think it's really between Soul Calibur or Seaman for number two in this collective top five. Can I swerve and say Shenmue should be number five? Yeah, I, I think that's. Per- I think five. I think that's that. That kind of communicates a a cautious recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing. Okay, Shenmue's at number five. Yeah, is at number one. Everything that's left is is your list except Seaman. So hypothetically, if you were given free reign, how would you order these three games? If I was if I was not considering me, if Brendan, I wasn't considering Brendan, your good friend and co-host, I, I wanted. OK, I wanted to make it clear that I love and respect Brendan and I appreciate his guidance. I don't know. I don't know what what trap I've fallen down that I've communicated otherwise, but I love this. OK, so if I was given free reign without Brendan, my good friend and, and mentor, uh, closest if I, ally, if I was completely alone in like a caged room, mm-hmm. I would if I was your Londi. <laughs> If you had just killed my dad and I was talking <laughs> to Nozomi about feeding a cat, uh-huh. I would say number one, Res, number two, Skies of Arcadia, number three, Soul Calibur, and four, Seaman. Wow. Is yours flipped, Brendan? Seaman, number two, Skies of Arcadia, number four? Um, If I was to consider you, I think it would make more sense to have Soul Calibur. I mean, I don't know if Soul Calibur being above Skies of Arcadia matters to you that much, unless I'm wrong. I think it does. Yeah, I, I mean that's I, I just because it was the game that like connected with you more. I think it's so important. Yeah, and, yeah. and of all the fighting games on the Dreamcast, like going into the Dreamcast experience, being like, I want to finally click with fighting games. Yeah. Very famously, season two of the show was all about me trying to find a turn-based RPG that I could like really yeah. sink my teeth into. Season and get three into. was almost that for fighting games. We were almost like it, the working title was Dukes Up. Was Dukes Up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. have we ever said that? I, I yeah, you didn't know, know that. <laughs> Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. We were gonna do subtitles for all the seasons, and season uh. three was gonna be Dukes Up, and I was gonna try and get into fighting games. We were gonna do art for the seat before we decided to do the art with our our our, uh, our artist. I'll say in residence scout who is absolutely incredible She's and amazing. You're probably looking at the new art, which by the way, yeah. shout out. We haven't seen it at the time of this recording, but I'm sure it's incredible. But before we had decided to do this like connective story that's happening via all the season art, we were like, we should make it a fighting game cover. Yeah. Um, and it was going to be called Dukes Up. God. Um, and I think one of the big reasons we didn't was that uh, our friends over at the DLC podcast, Jeff Kanata and Christian Spicer, had also just recently redone their art to look like a fighting game character <laughs> select screen. And I was like, damn. And I think also Three Houses had like, just come out, and we were like, uh, this is going to be our life for six months. Yeah. Anyway, point being, this has been a long quest for me. The one that connected with Soul Calibur, which was you know the one that I was expecting yeah. to connect the most. Um, but I, ju- I, I think Soul Calibur is pretty great. Yeah, I think it, I think it works as number two. I feel better about that for for both of us than anything else. Yeah, 
I feel like maybe for Skies of Arcadia, if you're if you're lesser on it, would you put Seaman above Skies of Arcadia? I was I was coming into this expecting to argue for Seaman at number one initially. <laughs> But then when we started talking about Rez, I was like, obviously Rez is number one. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I to be clear, I really like Seaman, and I share a lot of your your passion for it. But I I can't give it number one. <laughs> I think um I think it's really just going to come down to one of us taking a hit on either Seaman or Skies of Arcadia. Sure. And I think I would rather take the hit on Seaman than Skies of Arcadia, which like I did connect with and enjoy, and literally put down telling myself I'm going to revisit this. Yeah, the later. reason is a little bit more abstract. It's not because of the game; it's because there's another port of it. Yeah. So yeah, I think Soul which, Calib- which specifically fixes the issues I had with the first one. To be right. clear, Soul Calibur two, Skies of Arcadia three, and then Seaman four. Is that the order? Yeah, I think so. That feels good. Damn. Let's see it and and say it out loud before we fully commit. <laughs> okay. Let me let me type it in. All right. I've right. entered it into our Google Sheet. Let's sheets.google.com. Do, let's do five to one. Slash spreadsheets. Slash D slash. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> the whole, the whole, <laughs> do you imagine? That's what you'd like to add to our spreadsheet. <laughs> Please visit 1WJ capital E. Anyway. Okay. Five to one. These are the five favorite Dreamcast games of the Aether itself. Number five, Shenmue. Number four, Seaman. Number three, Skies of Arcadia, number two, Soul Calibur, and number one, Res. I'm nodding. I, I like it. I think yes. Yeah. Here, here's my my only fleeting thought: is Shenmue above Seaman? I, I don't feel passionately about this. Like I think I think it still works, but I just wonder if Shenmue should get that bump. If Seaman is maybe more of a number five, and and Shenmue is number four. Again, because I think we collectively have more reverence for one and two and i think we had more to say about it like as as a duo than seaman personally mm, mm. i i know but i also i also had a great experience with seaman as well and they are are weirdly both like going for immersion so they kind of have similar goals as games at least amongst these five the thing about seaman for me is the really really huge technological leap of that game yeah which, you know, same could be said of Shenmue, but also very refined mechanics. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day... It does work better. Seaman yeah. work. Yeah, everything that Seaman tries to do works. Yeah. Same can't be said of Shenmue. But also, you know, Seaman didn't cost $40 million to make. <laughs> that we know of. Yeah, maybe Leonard, maybe Leonard got a good deal on that narration. Yeah. Like. Cost $39 million. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that, that's that's kind of the biggest argument for me, but also, I mean, you're you're asking me to like pit my darlings up against one another in, yeah. in this case. Like both Seaman and Shenmue are games that I really connected with on like a pretty deep emotional level. Yeah. The thing about Seaman is, I know the older he gets, the shittier he's gonna get. Yeah. Uh, and I, I didn't see that, and that might have completely. Whereas you beat Shenmue and I, walked away from it. I beat Shenmue. Yeah. I I kind of feel like Shenmue should get just like Rio walked away from his hometown yeah i wonder if shenmue should get the bump personally i'll say yes yeah yeah i think flip number four he said to himself as he flipped him <laughs> what about just having shenmue as four and five <laughs> like shenmue one and two no no just just shenmue, just shenmue. <laughs> <laughs> how about mr driller as one two and three <laughs> Seaman, Seaman, Seaman. That's one, two, and three. Okay, so now, now let's hear this out loud. Number five, Seaman. Number four, Shenmue. That that sounds and feels good to me. 
Why are they, what? Okay, wait a second. They all start with S except Rez. <laughs> Rez. Can can we swap something out? <laughs> Maybe Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> what what else fits? Space Channel Five. Uh, two. Star Wars Jedi. Sonic Power Adventure Battles? Two. Sonic Adventure Two. Okay, I think <laughs> number five, Sea Man. Number four, Shenmue. Number three, Skies of Arcadia. Two, Soul Calibur. And number one, Res. I think that's it. Souls and Swords. This battle strengthens the sword of Seaman. <laughs> um, wow, I think we did it. I can't believe it. Wow. Yeah, that's a good five. I think that, that represents a lot of the prism, a lot of us, a lot of the console. It's only been eight hours. It's only, yeah. <laughs> I, I truly don't even know how long it's been. Uh, but I guess with that, we should wrap up. I suppose so. Um, this has been great. It's been, I mean, on it. We mentioned this at the top, but it's been a long time since we've just recorded together at yeah. all. This is the first time in weeks. It's the longest we've ever taken a break from recording. Yeah. Um, it's kind of astonishing how like easy it has been to get back into it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think we really wanted to. Yeah. yeah that's the feeling. Um, this has been great, though. Hey, if you like this episode, let us know. We'll probably do another one next year. We're already talking about it. Yeah. Actually, do we want to reveal what it is? I think we've kind of decided. Sure. Next season. AJ. AJ. Reveal. Is it the game? It's the GameCube. It's yeah. It's the GameCube. That's not how I wanted to reveal. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. We got some exciting news. It's the GameCube. It's the GameCube. I think. I think that's great. Everybody's favorite video game lunchbox. Yeah. Indestructible video game lunchbox. I liked this intro. Honestly, I think that was really representative of the GameCube. <laughs> it did launch Luigi's Mansion. It was a little bit of a, a whisper. A little bit the, of a whisper. It had no Mario. <laughs> Until Sunshine. But did people think that that was going to be the plot of the Luigi game? Was that it had no Mario? Yeah. Wow. Can't wait to bring that up in one year. <laughs> <laughs> I think we also wanted to do a little bit of a giveaway, didn't we? We did. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For people who made it all the way to the end. Hey, well, I just want to say like bits aside. Thank you so much for listening. If you're yeah. all the way here, I truly, this, this episode might be longer than the Dreamcast's like lifespan as a system. <laughs> uh, this has been so much fun to plan for and to record. Like I, I've just been looking forward to this day for so long. And I want to thank you both just for being here, for making the show together. Uh, I, I'm really proud of what we do. And, and this has been so much fun. So just thank you. Thank you. Thank both of you. And thank you for listening. Uh, we love doing this. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. Likewise wanna, for we, you, Stephen, and we, also for you, dear listener. We want to give someone a Dreamcast. Yeah. Who? Oh. The modded Dreamcast. So for this episode, Stephen and I purchased uh, with uh, the, the incredible help of our patrons. Yes. Patreon.com slash into the cast. Two modded Dreamcasts from a website called Retro Reflow, who were able to give us Dreamcasts that have HDMI out, like 1080p resolution, upscaling. A lot of incredible stuff, all refurbished uh, from the inside and out, new power unit, new uh, air intake fan, and uh, importantly, replaces the disk drive with an SD card slot, um, which made it possible to do this episode, uh, which rocks. Yeah. Uh, And we would like to give one of those away. My question is how we should do it in an age where we used to do this on Twitter Mm. and Elon Musk can get fucked. What do we do? Instagram? YouTube? (laughs) I think Instagram. Instagram? I also would like more followers on our Instagram. Sure. On the episode art posts on our Instagram, enter the cast, comment on the episode art, a tale of souls and swords. 
and one of you will be chosen randomly to receive the Dreamcast. Make sure you're following the account so we can DM you. Yes. And uh, I hope you win. You. I hope you win. You. I hope you win. Wait a minute. Is A Tale of Souls and Swords better or should it be Live and Learn? Either one. Either one? Yeah. What do you think is better, AJ? I think you could send either one. Okay. Yeah, I'll okay. know what you mean. <laughs> All right. You choose. Live and Learn, A Tale of Souls and Swords, or perhaps they're out if you want to be a Shenmue head. <laughs> sure. Either any of those sayings, comment on the picture and you'll be considered for the giveaway. I'll say this. Every time we do one of these giveaways, people disqualify themselves by saying the by wrong thing. trying to be clever. And trying yeah. to be clever. Yeah. Don't be clever. Just just do it. Just do it. Because otherwise you just if won't you, be counted. If you actually want to win. If you do want to like just send us a thing that's going to make us laugh, that's also very nice. That's great. But you will not be eligible to exactly. win. <laughs> exactly. So just a heads up. Cool. So that's it. Wow. That's it. Uh, we should probably say all the stuff. Uh, I already said patreon.com slash into the cast. We have three tiers. You can back any hip, of them. Hip. Hooray. Hooray. Oh, hip, three tiers. Oh, nice. Oh, no, no, no. That was no. a good bit. No, it wasn't. I liked it. <laughs> The Nintendo DC, AJ. <laughs> that one is funny. I'll, never, I, I'll stand by that one. Never forget. Um, uh, $1 <laughs> tier gets you access to uh, uh, basically like for a long time, all our episodes were on a dollar tier. We recently changed that to five. But if you back us for a dollar, first of all, thank you. Second of all, you'll get access to every episode we made up until the 3DS retrospective, which was, I think, this past March. So it's actually a good amount of content there. If you want all the there's new... No good se- there's... Yeah. An Advent Children watch along commentary track that we did. There's a bonus about Persona 3, 4, and 5 with yeah. our friends Alana and Callie. There's um, one with me on it where we talk about how we make the show. Yeah, that's yeah. a great one. We should maybe do another we one. Should, of those. I was going to say, which has changed in the yeah, last two yeah, and a half Yeah, that yeah, that was in like 1996. <laughs> yeah. I was that. a baby. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's just three baby seamen. Yeah. <laughs> um, we do record underwater now. People don't know that. <laughs> the $5 tier on the Patreon will get you everything, all the new episodes, and also our mini show, Any Percent, where we are given 10 minutes to talk about a question or prompt. 10 minutes exactly. Basically the opposite of this episode. I was about to say, <laughs> if you've listened to all of this episode, just imagine how difficult that is for us. <laughs> and uh, we also have a $10 tier, which like, thank you for even considering. Uh, and that will get you everything in the other tiers. A shout out in the show notes and a eventual discount on the merch when that is unveiled. Yes. Uh, sorry for the wait on that. We've just had a lot of complications. <laughs> um, but that's basically it. And yeah. the cast it online is our hub for everything. Things and are changing, I think, in terms of where you can follow us. Yeah. We, we like to say that Tumblr is our hub these days. But, you know, with the way all of this stuff is going, who knows how long that'll yeah, be. It true feels like even. everything's changing very quickly. We do have a Threads account. We have a Threads account. We have a <laughs> Tumblr. We have a Twitter, which is, I think sort of the like i mean twitter is ambiguous these days obviously yeah. but you know used to be like the de facto main account yeah uh we also have a discord which is honestly an incredible place and we will share updates there too yeah so. I, I always tell people to follow us just join the discord because that is the only place that's that probably I'm, the like, sure consistently bet. active and like am having a good time so yeah. <laughs> those are the two important factors yeah yeah, yeah there's so. a lot of cool people on the discord that's yeah, true and um, the link to joining that is also into the cast at online. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you can find that there. I'm Brendan Bigley. I'm on the internet at Brendan Bigley on pretty much every single social network that exists. Yeah. I'm, I'm on all of them and I'm posting on every single one. <laughs> and one day I'll, I'll uh, turn into a pile of ash and uh, 
maybe one day I'll even be reborn into a phoenix, become the protagonist of Final Fantasy 16, which I can't wait to talk to you about. Yeah, I'm excited to play it. I feel like my whole life has been Dreamcast, and I haven't played any of the new games. So I'm excited to I'll say to this, Final Fantasy 16, no Dreamcast energy. <laughs> zero percent that's kind of a bummer i want i want my life i want to leave this episode i thought that'd be like a bomb for you i thought that'd be like helpful to be like oh yes but that's the thing i'm leaving this episode wanting more dreamcast energy i'm taking it with me i'm bringing it to the places that don't have it you're the people in the cave who've only seen the shadows exactly (laughs) and you're 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 afraid of shadow the the hedgehog (laughs) no no because that's on the gamecube anyway Thank you so much for listening. I'm Stephen Hilger. I'm also at Stephen Hilger and at Stephen Hilger Art in every place. Uh, AJ, where can people find you? I am at AJ Fileri on the social networks that I am on, but don't I don't follow me. I mean, you follow me. I don't really do much. Join the Discord. It's 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 better. It's better on the Discord. AJ's I, not posting a lot. I, I don't post a lot. I'm not a poster. I respect that. I post about the shows that I make, and then on Blue Sky, I kind of there's so much brain up there that's being used for different, better things. <laughs> <laughs> so interested and proud of you. I think that's great. Thanks. Good for you. Blue Sky, I try and post like it's 2009 again. Yeah. I that Yes, that's the exact vibe of Blue Sky. That's great. You'll make it. a Mr. Driller fan account and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I also make a whole bunch of podcasts, but you know, you yeah. find them someplace. Cool. All right. Oh, well, yeah, I also have another show. It's called Wavelengths. Wavelengths.online. Check hey. it out. Cool. All right. The hey, Dreamcast. Guys, happy new season. Yeah. Happy season six. Wow. What's so weird, too, is this is so this episode is out August 2nd. You know that you're listening because you're listening to it on August 2nd, probably. But it's July 8th, 8th while yeah. we're recording this. So for us, the break actually starts now. Yeah. As we as we've said before, and the break starts now. We're not coming back to record for I mean, until after this episode is out. So a lot can change. A lot can change. I'm so interested to see what we're going to come back talking about and playing. Yeah. I've been making a list of all the stuff that I've been playing. Me as I think well. you are too. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's all Dreamcast stuff at the moment. So <laughs> uh, I'll be interested to see like what you dig into. For me, yeah. the brand new World of Warcraft expansion. You joke, AJ. We did have a <laughs> we whole have conversation about no way wow. about yeah. getting into World of Warcraft just for funsies, Jesus. Um, just for the thrill. Yeah, yeah. yeah just to fucking feel <laughs> something. <laughs> feel something. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I don't know. Like, I'm playing through all the Uncharted games right now. I started with one. I'm almost done with the first one. Yeah. yeah. That all might be on the internet already. I don't know if that'll be a patron thing or not, uh, but that'll probably already be out. Before I, I flew home, I was really into Street Fighter Six, and all these fighting games have just, like, fully revitalized that in me. You're going to become a god at Street Fighter Six. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to playing more of that. You've had so much practice. I yeah I I uh, I really like I've always loved fighting games but I'm I, I feel like I'm fully back in after this episode yeah which is cool uh, I've been playing this game called Age of Wonders it's just like oh, yeah. fantasy civilization mm. so there's a lot of fun stuff on the horizon I, I really just, pick that again up. I just want to end this episode with feeling grateful and I I'm just so excited to keep doing this yeah with with both of you so excited to get back thank you for listening yeah. and, four uh, more years well five <laughs> five more years. Uh, um but yeah uh we'll 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 see what the new season is like into the aether forever what awaits us into the aether forever into the aether is dead uh, long, live. Hail into the, long live into the aether fuck yeah. i forgot into the, the aether ended after two years was. but it was ported forward to many other different networks <laughs> into the aether legends yeah <laughs> we're actually just going to only do text con- uh, transcriptions of the yeah. show from now on exactly we'll remove all the random encounter battles <laughs> <laughs> okay on that note those bye are just bye. ads right what, uh, Random encounter <laughs> battles in a podcast. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs> I want to keep going. <laughs> this is sad. It's sad that we're done. Goodbye.
TWG, the worst garbage, the online.